Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown with three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown. You get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at Wilmington and Beaches Vacation.com. Tony Orlando's first year anniversary. What great music he had, what great narratives, what great stories. It's always great to have Tony Orlando without Dawn as the lead in to my midnight extravaganza. As ladies and gentlemen, we again attempt to come up with a new name because Frank Morano is now the golden child. You know, the interviewer extraordinaire here at WABC because of his back-to-back -back, uh, uh, back -back, uh, interviews with Roger Stone and then Paul Manafort on the other side of midnight decided to flex. And as you heard, he wants me to have a completely different name than his show with mornings a week from 1 to 5, Monday through Fridays. That's 20 hours. And then you catch me on the weekend. So we're still in the process of coming up with a new name. We're taking all suggestions, then digesting it. And by, well, by um, 1 o'clock in the morning next Saturday, when I resume uh, the 20 hours of always broadcasting Curtis on the weekends all the time in all my different forms, we will have packaged together a new name. A name that hopefully is very descriptive of the kind of program that we do that is completely different than what Frank Morano does. So he's throwing his weight around. He's an untouchable here at WABC. So, hey, let's just move forward and get that new name, Lickety Split, Jiminy Cricket. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And remember, the difference uh, in this program that I do, other than other programs that I do here at WABC, in fact, I'll be substituting for Rudy Giuliani on Monday from 3 to 4. And I just had a conference call with Rudy before the start of the show, and Andrew Giuliani, his son, who's running for the Republican nomination to become the governor of the state of New York. Uh, what a great turnout of people signing his petitions to qualify him for a Republican primary Earlier today, out in, uh, uh, right near St. Agnes, Rockville Center, Nassau County, and then in just a few hours, the second largest St. Patrick's Day parade in all of New York State will be kicking off at 1.30 in the afternoon in the uh, Irish Riviera of Rockland County, Pearl River along the Hudson River. Imagine the second largest in the state of New York, second only to the parade that I participated in on Thursday uh, when everybody was marching up uh, Fifth Avenue in the rain. Uh, I wish I could be at that parade at Pearl River, but unfortunately, I've got to be back in time 
to complete the cycle of all the different programs that I do with uh, uh, with uh, Han, Chris Han, from 3 to 5 in the afternoon. That's uh, left versus right. And then I return 9 p.m. at night to 12 midnight. And then the most requested, the most uh, participatory of all the hours that I do, the Animal Welfare Hour, featuring my wife, Nancy uh, Sliwa, the Animal Rescue Extraordinaire, caps off my weekend extravaganza, and then I'm forced to... Uh, Turn over the microphone to the Mama Luke, the Mama Lukes, and the uh, Mashad, Frank Morano. But the reason that I played uh, Lola in the Kinks, think back, boomers, think back. It was 1970, if I remember correctly, and maybe some of you cognoscenti out there who are listening first to Cousin Brucie for four hours from 6 to 10, and then Tony Orlando without Dawn. Remember how that hit us, 1970. This is a song about dancing with a guy who's dressed up as a woman. If I remember correctly, that was my first interpretation. And remember the Kinks, the English band who did this song, uh, had fallen on hard times before that. In fact, I think they had a four-year ban uh, because of some rowdy activity they had on stage. They were like uh, in a death cycle in terms of a musical group. And then they came up with this song. And so I want to ask all of you, as it leads us into a discussion about Leah Thomas. Leah Thomas, the man who identifies as a woman who has had testosterone suppression but has all the anatomical equipment of a male. You just uh, look at her. The arm span, the cardiovascular, the respiratory And these other women are competing against the men. There's no doubt about it in the NCAA championships that kicked off on Thursday, in which she won the 500-yard freestyle. And I don't know if you had a chance to see the picture as the winner, Leah Thomas, stood off to the side with her trophy. And then the second, third, and fourth place winners, all of them anatomically uh, correct females, were grouped together with their trophies It was almost like um, the munchkins on one side of the the winner's uh, stage. And then Leah Thomas was like the giant on the other side. It was so obvious in terms of the disparity of their physicality. And yet, I just don't see enough females squawking and talking and yelling about this. This is amazing to me. I would have thought that biological women athletes would collectively refuse to compete in events with transgender athletes. And if the women athletes are not going to stand up for themselves, nothing's going to change. There's going to be more of this. Because, hey, look, uh, Leah Thomas, when he was uh, perceived of as being a male and a male only, he was rated like number 423 in the country at the University of Pennsylvania. He shot from 423 as a male to number one as a female. He transitioned to a female in 2019. But what I want to ask of all of you is uh, that story of Lola, that bomb-busting song that came out in 1970, which I'm sure some of you listening, you had to listen to it uh, one time, two times, three times, four times, and say, is he talking about a man who is dressed up like a woman? Uh, I believe it was Ray Davies who actually wrote the song 
and it was in reference to the Kinks manager at that time who spent an entire night dancing with a cross dancer. I believe it was in Paris and then uh, ended up in uh, copulating and fornicating. I believe that was the case. If any of you can add light to that, please do so. Uh, you music aficionados, because I know you had to be stunned, boomers, when you heard that in 1970. I was, what, 16 years old? I was already having problems with uh, massive amounts of testosterone that were crashing through my cranium. I was chasing skirts, but I was wondering, what? Maybe the skirt I was chasing was actually a guy like Lola. Lola seemed to indicate that it was okay. The kink seemed to be segueing in to a lifestyle that said, hey, live and let live. Live a libertarian lifestyle. Hey, if that's the one you want to be with, remember like Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young sang that song, love the one you're with? Then go for it. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But what's that an actual true story? And I don't know if many of you know that the leader of the Kinks had to fly 6,000 miles to re-record just one line for the Kinks song in Lola. Just one line. Now, remember, now you could do it from your house, your bathroom. The technology is so. You could do it from your basement, your attic. It doesn't matter. You could do it from anywhere. Back then, no, you had to get back to the studio. So imagine, the Kinks finally were back on track after virtually being banned for four years for rowdy stage behavior. And I don't even know what that is. I wish that maybe some of you can enlighten me on what that rowdy stage behavior was that kept the Kinks banned from the stages of performance venues basically throughout Europe and North America. Four years, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And what was that one word that Ray Davies had to fly 600,000 miles to re-record that one line for the Kinks song Lola to be able to be played? If not, if they didn't change that line, we would never have heard of that song Lola. It would have ended up on the cutting floor because of the word that was used in the initial song that couldn't be used, that would have been banned, and quite frankly... Would never have seen the light of day. Our numbers one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. That's one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Wow, we start off with a blast. We're saluting Tony Orlando without dawn for his first year anniversary. What in a tremendous array of musical talent you get on Saturday nights. You know, rather than us having to uh, revisit the Ukraine and all the devastation and the carnage. And the Soviets uh, slash Russians of Vladimir Putin uh, who are into smashing uh, the urban centers uh, of living in the Ukraine. The massive uh, outflux of refugees now numbering six and a half million. Look, we'll be able to revisit that on future programs. And that has been the dominant uh, subject of conversation here at WABC, the number one news talk station in the nation that's heard in 38 states and parts of Canada and parts of Europe at this very hour. And even in the Bermuda Triangle, between the Bahamas and Bermuda, where many a sailor going down to Davy Jones's locker had been uh, heard saying right prior to that that he had been listening to Frank Morano on the other side of midnight right before, boom, 
Down the hatch he went. Our number is 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-WABC. We have so many things on our menu in the wee hours in the morning. We're going to take you to 6 And then, huh, it's religion on the line, right? The longest-running uh, talk radio program in the history of WABC since we flipped from spinning stacks of wax. Cousin Brucey, Herb Oscar Anderson, Harry Harrison, to all talk all the time. That that was the first talk radio program uh, with Rabbi Joe Potashnik. As you know, he's been joined by Reverend Bernard, who has that huge mega church not far from where I was uh, brought up in Canarsie. He's right on the boundary of Canarsie, East New York, uh, right where the old junkyards used to be on Pennsylvania Avenue and Flatlands Avenue. And then it's uh, the Catman, John Katsimatidis, his roundtable discussion that always makes news, but that first half hour is yes with the Mamaluke, Frank Morano, and a whole host of others. And then he goes into interviews that generally make news all day Sunday and bleed over uh, into the uh, informational cycle and the 24-hour news cycle on Monday. You get it all here at WABC, but the entertainment is phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. one 800 848 That's one 800 848 Now, it's time for us to go to the phones. Let's go to Dina in Yonkers, first up in the queue. Uh, It's your turn to be heard here at WABC, Dina. I'm here. Uh, Do you know what Aramaic is? It's a language. Yes, uh, many people. The language of Jesus. Yeah, many people people think that, in fact, I am a Syrian, that I am Chaldean. Uh, I'm a Syrian. Okay. Uh, your name in my language, it means cross. <laughs> right, crucifix. You're right. Cro- right, cross. Uh, sleeve, we say, for the cross. Anyway, uh, can you use the name of a song for your, uh, for your show? Dina, let's see what you have in mind. What song? Uh, I remember when you went on television the first time you were a teenager. You're you right. So young. You're right. I was so proud of you. You have no idea. Wow. <laughs> and uh, and uh, probably people told you you're doing wrong thing. Don't do this right. And you kept it on. And now you have an army. Am I right? You are correct. Uh, but Dina, uh, okay. what what the song? The name of the song yes. is "I Did It My Way," Ooh. and it has a music with it. People would never forget it. They would be humming your name <laughs> through uh, the centuries. Dina, Dina, so from it's a the beautiful from, song. I love it. And Dina, you keep, uh, Dina, the woman who speaks the language, the Assyrian language of Jesus. She is so on that. Uh, that is a potential there. By the way, uh, Camelia, who is uh, right? Did I get that right, Camelia? Finally, a phone screener. You know, it's a flower. Uh, I had no idea that. Uh, I couldn't pronounce the name, so I, I practiced it phonetically, phonetically. And, of course, Bruce, that's uh, singular, so that makes it very simple for me. That, that, uh, we got to write that one down. Doing it my way, although this is coming from uh, near the Euphrates in Iraq itself. The birth of civilization, that's what Dina is talking about. Not that she's lost in Yonkers, the birth of civilization the Assyrian peoples, of which many people think I am. Why? I'll tell you why. You heard Dina say that in Chaldean, Assyrian, my name means crucifix. And the Archbishop of the Chaldean faith, 
which is a quasi-Roman Catholic, uh, part of the Roman Catholic Church, but I wouldn't say completely. Mosul, you remember we went to war in Mosul to take back Mosul uh, from ISIS. And by the way, we had the support of the Iranian <laughs> and the Iranian guard, the very people we're in conflict with, right? Uh, wartime makes strange bedfellows like politics does. But Mosul was the center of Chaldean learning. And I'll never forget when I was in Detroit trying to set up the Guardian Angels, which I did in the 80s, after the flight of so many people, uh, after the riots in the late 60s. It was King Coleman Young, the mayor, who had me locked up. He said, how dare you come into my city without my permission? So he had me locked up 10 days, Detroit House of Correction, and eventually it was the Chaldean community that bailed me out because they owned all the party stores, what they call the party stores, in Detroit and in the surrounding areas. These are tough locations, the hardcore neighborhoods. These are Christian Iraqians who walk around with AK-47s in their stores. You have to. And they knew the name Sliwa in their Assyrian language and crucifix. So they actually put together money to bail me out. And when I met with them the first time, they said, oh, you're like one of us. I said, I hate to disappoint you. You know, my last name is Shliba in Polish, Ukrainian, in Russian. It means plum. My father was Polish. They said, no, 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 you're one of us, Assyrian. Do you realize the archbishop in Mosul of the Chaldean faith, his last name is Sliwa? What would you rather be, a plum or a crucifix? And I said, hmm, that's... uh, what the hell? Why would I want to be a plum, right? You got to spit out the pit. A crucifix. Does it get any better than that? The crucifix that Jesus Christ died on. So from time to time, people go on to Wikipedia, which almost anybody can. And they uh, take out the fact that uh, my father was Polish. My mother was Italian. And they make it appear as if I am of Assyrian a descent, and then I get all these requests from all over the world. Oh, you're one of us. That's right. Do you speak the language of Jesus? I said, I barely speak English. You're asking me to speak the language of Jesus. So that, that was a great startup call by Dina, a legitimate Assyrius lost in Yonkers, not Mosul in Iraq, the epicenter of the Chaldean faith, It's sort of a quasi-Roman Catholic adjunct, I'll say not completely embraced by the Roman Catholics, closer to the Roman Catholics than the Eastern Orthodox. Yeah, much closer. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. We're off to a roaring start. Let's go to Peter, who's calling from Little Italy. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Peter. Hey, Curtis. Good to talk to you. Um, I just got engaged last week on Wednesday, and we were wondering if you would officiate wedding. Would you do our wedding? Oh, my God. (laughs) I got to tell you, Peter, I've been married so much Uh that every time I am even in proximity to a wedding, uh, I get the heebie-jeebies because yeah, I have I have nightmares. I have now other than this last one to Nancy. That's the keeper. I actually got married in a cave in upstate New York where there were more cows than people. <laughs> a cave. In fact, wow. I, I forget the name of that cave. I'm sure there are people up there listening now, counting the cows as they're sleeping uh, in the fields. What cave did I get married in? Imagine, I don't even remember which cave I got married in, but it was a wonderful ceremony. 
uh, cold, even though it was 110 degrees in the shade above ground. But in the cave where we got married, it's like 66 degrees. It was so nice. I'll always remember that wedding with Nancy because I like to forget all the others. <laughs> God, it's still costing me to this day. Costing me to this day. I'm going to be 68 on March 26th. And, my God, uh, I... I, I I have to do the right thing. My mother always told me, always wish the bride and the bridegroom uh, the best of luck. But let me tell you something, Peter. If you can get out of this wedding, head for the hills. <laughs> Don't do it. This, be, this could be your worst nightmare, Peter. <laughs> no. Did, did, you, did, did, you, uh, did you have a sign of prenup? Not yet. Oh, oh, there it is. That's it. <laughs> now, is she a mail-order bride from the Ukraine? From Staten Island. Oh, might as well. Might as well be the same. They do the hop, skip, and the jump. They come from Eastern Europe, whether it's (laughs) Russia, Belarus, the Ukraine, Siberia. All of a sudden, you're on a Zoom call with them. You're like, oh, they're they're looking at you. You're like a real schlub, a real pisher. And they're making you feel like, my God, you're the best-looking guy they ever saw. You pay for them to come over. You're lovey-dovey. You've never had such mad, crazy sex. Then all of a sudden, you tie the knot. You get married and then they get the green card and then all of a sudden the divorce lawyer is calling you peter make make sure it's not one of these situations peter i'm trying to save you from a fate worse than death (laughs) thanks curtis by the way uh, where are you getting married where are you getting married we don't know yet we just we got engaged at the nick game on the 16th what what the nick game yeah yeah Hey, listen, I realize I'm a Nick fan, you're a Nick fan, but the Knicks are so miserable. Uh, they won by 30 that night. Yeah, they won by 30 that night. Meantime, they're out of it this year, out of it like they've been for a month of Sundays. So let me ask you a question, Peter. You're such a big spender, you decided to pop the question at a Nick game, what, next to Spike Lee, 40 acres and a mule? No, we were up by the... Uh... Way up top. Oh, the and nosebleed the section. Screen. All right, the yeah. nosebleed section. And, and how long do you know this young lady? Three years. Three years. Is she also from Staten Island? She is. I'm from Mount Vernon. She's from Staten Island. All right, but you're Italian from Mount Vernon. Uh, Mount Vernon is mostly uh, African-Americans and Italians, right? It's a good mix, yeah. Okay, all right. And you met her Staten Island, so you, it's a merging of Mount Vernon and Staten Italy. Correct. Well, you know something, Peter? I got to wish you the best of luck. Hmm. But hedge your bet, pal. Get the prenup, huh? Do yourself a solid, Pete. It's good for her. It's good for you. Because once these miserable divorce lawyers get hold of you, it's like when you're in a fight in the ring. They tell you, hey, Peter, you go into your corner. Uh, the young lady, you go in your corner. You let us lawyers negotiate this. You have nothing to do with her any longer. But you said, I've known her so long. I, I can talk to her. No, no. We'll, de- we'll screw you over, Peter. You will not say anything to her. They are the worst, these divorce attorneys. They are vipers. They are hyenas. They're jackals. Yeah, I just painted a really miserable picture about wedding potentially what it can be. (laughs) Let me hope that uh, it's uh, 1% out of the 99% that you go on to live a very healthy, long life, that you uh, stay in love with each other until the ends of time, Peter. Thank you very much. I got a good feeling. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. Hey, Mom, Francesca, I said that on your behalf.
But I really meant what I said initially to Peter. Oh, my God, Peter. What are you doing? You proposed to her and they came? And they came? This is not good. If it goes in the direction of what's happened to the Knicks of late, man, it's going to be going south quick. Can you imagine me marrying a couple? Now, Frank Morano, he would have no problem. The guy birthed a Catholic. Now he's talking about being an Episcopalian. He doesn't know what he is. He marries people. He has no religious orientation whatsoever. No theological degree. He didn't go to seminary. He just stands there and marries people. Who the hell is he? Yeah, I should have recommended Peter. Uh, I should have recommended Frank to Peter. Oh, I hope for the best. I really do. But I, I, I just had this feeling in my goiter. My goiter. You know, where, where is the goiter in your body? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is a salute to Tony Orlando, his first year anniversary here at WABC. And he had one of the greatest interviews uh, of all time of entertainers, Frankie Valley of the Four Seasons. Uh, that, that was a keeper as far as I was concerned, where he talked about this song, all the other songs that they were responsible for. And then naturally, uh, the Jersey Boys uh, on stage and Broadway. That, that was great. That was great. That, that even uh, was uh, equivalent to uh, any of the many interviews that Frank Morano has done on the other side of Midnight this past week alone. Uh, could well end up earning him a Marconi Award, Roger Stone, back-to-back, belly-to-belly, and then Paul Manafort as a result of the Roger Stone interview. Uh, YouTube has taken us off of their channel, WABC. The Suits, the Mockers, the Muckety Mucks, our owners and operators, John and Margot Katsimatidis of our parent group, Rep. Apple Media. We've all circled the wagons uh, uh, and uh, high-five Frank Morano for that. That's right. We're in unity here. Not always. Uh, but for right now, we are. Meantime, uh, I came in right after the first anniversary of Tony Orlando with the Kinks song, Lola. And asked a number of questions because it was in relationship to Leah Thomas as a um, man identifying as a female, claiming that she's had testosterone suppression, winning the 500-yard freestyle NCAA championship on Thursday, which was so unfair. And yet the women are not up. They're not screaming. So you know something? If the women are not screaming about how they're being bogarted in their own sport, what was it? They got Title Nine thirty years ago. They gave him some parody with the men. And they're willing to throw all that away because of political correctness or they're afraid of being canceled. Hey, I'm not going to argue. You know, you would think women would unite in solidarity on this. Anyway, let's go to Mike in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. Hi, Curtis. Uh, the reason that Ray Davies had to change the line was it started out, it tastes just like Coca-Cola. And he had to change it to Cherry Cola. That is correct. Uh, and, you know, the Coca-Cola company was going to sue the uh, the Kinks. Uh, they were going to get a court order. Right, right. Uh, oh, it would have gotten messy. So here it is, Ray Davies. Uh, the Kinks are finally back touring after four years of being on the shelf. 
uh, because they were banned over rowdy stage behavior antics. I don't know what that was all about. Well, you know what that was, Curtis, was Ray Davies and his brother, Dave Davies. They used to get in fistfights on stage in the middle of the concert. Well, that's great. Wow, you get a, a nice heavyweight championship fight, a welterweight or, or lightweight fight in addition to seeing a concert. I know. It was the strangest thing. I know a guy who saw them, and, uh, well, he, well, he saw them here, I don't know how long ago, ages ago, but he said that they started hollering at each other and started swinging at each other in the middle of the concert. Like true so, brothers, like true yeah. brothers have done. But anyway, think of it. He then gets on an airplane at the old Idlewild. You know where Idlewild is. A lot oh, yeah. of folks say, Idlewild, what's that? Uh, anyway, love uh, anybody to That's be able to answer that, right? Oh, you remember in car 54? Right, right. right. So they t- he takes a plane 6,000 miles to re- re-record the one line uh, so that it wouldn't be Coca-Cola, as you mentioned, Cherry Cola, came all the way back so he could do the concert that following night at Madison Square Garden where they hadn't been for so long because he had been banned. That is incredible. I know. That's, uh, that's a hell of a trip to, to, to change just the one word. Well, I'll tell you right now, Mike, uh, you have answered the Curtis Lewa trivia question. And Camila, uh, please uh, put Mike on hold. He's going to get a WABC cap. Lickety split quick. Unlike uh, the Frank Morano uh, audience, which oftentimes has to wait over and over and over, snail mail, no mail, no no complaints on this end. Our promotional uh, department doing a crack job. Uh, so, Mike, you earned yourself a uh, WABC Curtis Sliwa cap, uh, and that can be used to ward off any potentially thug or thugettes. You just tell hey. If I tell this guy, Curtis Lee, well, what you're trying to do right now, he'll hit you so hard, your mother, if she's still alive, will feel the vibrations. Uh, let's go to uh, let's go to Bobby in Jersey. Your turn to be heard on WABC, Bobby. Curtis, I have a great Ray Davies story for you. You're going to love this one. This is back in 1993. A friend of mine was addicted to strip clubs, addicted to them. He was married, and every Thursday night, I would go out with him to New York. I'm from Jersey. had a business out here. I'd go out with him to New York City to the Paradise Club, which was a big strip club out in New York City. So one night we're out there, and they're passing around like a hat. And everybody's putting five bucks in a hat. And next thing you know, within 10 minutes, two women are going at it on stage, which was pretty cool to see live. I look to my left. Who walks into the club? Ray Davies of the Kinks. And my jaw just drops because, you know, you just know it's him. He's got that distinct, he's got, it's Ray Davies. And I tap my friend Pete. I said, Pete, you got to see who's here. I said, look. And he looks, he goes, holy, you know what? That's, 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 the Ray, that's Ray Davies from the Kings. I said, absolutely. He sits right next to us at the table by himself. He's, with, no, he's obviously there to pick up some tail. He looked fantastic, by the way. If you remember, this is 1993. And I looked at him and I said, can I get an autograph? And he says to me, with the accent and everything, he goes, why would you want my autograph? And I said, because you're Ray Davies, the lead singer of the Kings, that's why. And he goes, I think you got the wrong guy. And he smiled. And I looked at him dead in the eye. I said, no, I don't. And he just winked at me. And I knew he didn't want to be bothered, but I thought that was hilarious. But he was such, he was a cool guy. And he was just waiting there. And, of course, the girls came over to him, all around him. He had a good time, I'm sure, at the end of the night. 
And that's my Ray Davies story for you. Now, Bob, at that moment, uh, you and your pal and the unexpected entrance of uh, Ray Davies into Paradise, the strip club in Manhattan, did you end up getting lap dances and brumskis? I, I did not. To be very fair, I am not a guy that likes anything like that, but my friend loves it, and he had a terrible marriage, so I used to do this with him, and I'm not into that. But I got to tell you, it was worth going that one time just to see Ray Davies because to sit next to a guy, it's just, it's, you have to understand, he's like, he's larger than life because he's just got some, he's got the most unique look to him. And he's very, he was very, especially when the girls got around him, forget about it. But it was Ray Davies of the Kings. And boy, was he having a good time that night. I can tell you that. Bob, I want to salute you. The ultimate sacrifice you made for your friend who was having such a hard time with his personal life. To have to go into the Paradise Strip Club, to have to look at these voluptuous women, uh, some of whom were artificially enhanced, to have to sit there and bear with all of that just to be in solidarity with your buddy. What a great friend you are, Bob. As Ellen John would say, that's what friends are for. <laughs> what a pile of bull feathers. I was there for my friend at a strip joint. But that was a great song about, uh, again, the lead lead performer for the Kinks who created that song, Lola, in 1970, knocked our socks off. I was 16. I said, what, guys? Guys dancing with a guy who's dressed like a woman? That's freaky deaky. Remember? 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Billy. Calling from Pearl River, which will be hosting the second largest St. Patrick's Day parade in just a few hours uh, at one thirty in the afternoon. Will you be there, Billy? Yeah, I'll be there. Good, 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 Billy. I wish I could, but I got to be here by 3 with Chris Hahn. So uh, there's no way I could get there and back in time yeah. because you know what will happen. These guys are going to kidnap yeah. me, throw me in a gin mill, and I'll never get out of there. Yeah, that happens a lot. Well, these are St. Patrick's Day, Curtis. I was wondering, with all the wives you've had, how come you never married an Irish girl? I uh, dated quite a few Irish girls early on in my life uh, because I was surrounded by Irish guys at Brooklyn Prep, so especially at Stella Maris, in which all the Colleens went there in the Rockaways. They all had freckles. But there was one really big problem in having a relationship with an Irish girl. Do you know what that was? They don't cook? No, no, no. Look, first of all, Irish food is almost as bad as English food. Almost as bad. But they don't believe in birth control. And uh, I have had enough problems in my life, Billy, uh, that I just, I just decided it's not worth it. They had a strong orientation. They did not believe in birth control. Why take a chance? Right, Billy? Why? Yeah, I think things worked out for the best that way. No, because I ended up getting screwed so many other ways. So by not going with an Irish lassie, I ended up getting screwed so many other ways. But uh, God gets you. Yep, yeah, God certainly got me big time, Billy. Big time. (laughs) No, no, I, I had different Irish girlfriends. But it was like I realized like the first or second day, especially when I would take them home and see their mother and see all of this, their brothers and sisters. I said, "Mm -mm 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 -mm. no way. Daughter is always going to be like the mother. So in this particular case, 
I, uh, if there was an accident, look out. I'd be part of that Irish family. And I'm not a drinker. And a lot of the Irish uh, never really got along with me. Never really because, you know, a lot of them were cops and they were arresting me left, right, and every which way in the first 13 years of the Guardian Angels. Uh, but everything's copacetic now. Everything's copacetic. But it wasn't, wasn't good in the beginning. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to David calling from San Diego. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, David. Hi, Curtis. I'm 64, and I grew up in that era when everything was on top 40 AM radio. And right around the time when the Alola came out by the Kinks, shortly thereafter, a much more popular song came out, and that was Take a Walk on the Wild Side by Lou Reed, also about a guy who dressed up as a girl. Now, that's one thing I don't understand, because Lola is so much more popular now, and you never, ever hear Take a Walk on the Wild Side. Well, remember, Lou Reed, uh, and you're calling all the way from San Diego, is that correct, David? That's correct. All right, and how are you listening to us here on WABC? OnlineRadioBox.com. Oh, great, great. The stream, and there's the app. Boy, you you can listen to WABC crystal clear now all over the world, all over the world. This is great. But, David, I remember seeing Lou Reed in the Lower East Side. Yeah, Uh, exactly, he was, was um, a, I will call him a tragic figure in the fact that where I saw him are places he should not have been. He was, he was a big uh, shooter. He would shoot heroin. And right. I'd see him on those P-dope lines. And I'd say, oh, my God, it's Lou Reed waiting for the P-dope guy to come on Avenue C, Avenue B. Uh, in order to to purchase his nickel or dime bag in which he could shoot up. Sometimes, although I didn't see this myself, uh, people would see him with a spike right in his arm. Right in his arm, David. You know, he, he cleaned up later on in life. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, he was all part of the Andy Warhol factory CBGB scene. And I remember I, I lived in Syracuse for a while in the 70s. And so I, I, I tried to, tried to uh, keep up with what was going on in the city. Well, now, David, you say you rarely hear Lou Reed. This is just for you. This is just for you, David, in San Diego. Take a walk on the wild side. There you go. Now you can imagine him in the streets of the Lower East Side. And you're right. The bass, yeah. The bass line is wonderful in that. But I was, I was going to just, here's a bit of, of AM radio trivia. There was a song out here in San Diego that actually got banned after it played for a short amount of time. And the, the tune was called DOA by a band called Blood Rock. And I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. It's on YouTube. But it was so graphic and so gory that it played for a while, but then it was pulled off because of the, the content. But uh, Lou Reed played for a long, long time, and now you never hear it. But you do hear Lola on the 60s, 70s stations a lot. Now, uh, how old are you again, David? 64. All right. So you're right in my category. You're a boomer like me. I'm going to be 68 on March 26. I can remember it was 1970 when I heard that song Lola, and I'm only 16 at that time. And I'm like, what? The guy is dancing with a guy who's dressed as a woman? Believe it or not, out here in San Diego, it didn't raise that big of a, big of a, a stink. Because out here, you know, in the Southwest, we were—I hate to say it—we were—we were much more up on the uh, the sexual revolution. 
Well, also, uh, uh, also, you had quick access at that time, so easy to cross the border into TJ, where many a man <laughs> was dressed as a woman as they paraded up and down the blocks of Tijuana. Well, I, I never got into that, but yeah, that was a that was a thing because this was a navy town, or it was a navy town back then, and going over to Tijuana was big. And uh, if you didn't spend a night in uh, the Ocho, which is the jail in Tijuana, you weren't really a sailor. Yeah, well, I did. I did. I spent a night in the jail. Believe it or not, I was charged by the federales for breaking into Mexico. I am probably considered the only illegal alien ever to break into Mexico. (laughs) The only illegal that went south, huh? Yeah, uh, Colonia Juarez, Colonia Libertad, so from the ocean. Uh, where they have uh, Colonia uh, Libertad to uh, Colonia Juarez. It goes right to the airport because the airport in Tijuana is right by the border. And I always said to myself, I always said, David, I would look from the Mexican side and you would see all the lights, all the prefabricated houses, just like maybe a mile or more away. And I would say, gee, I don't understand it. People coming all the way from Guatemala, Honduras, southern Mexico, and then they make the mad dash at night. You know, they would all line up in that soccer field and then make the mad dash, all of them wearing L.A. Dodgers garb, hoping they could just fit in. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like, and I would say, then there are people living there with no turlet, uh, you know, sewage everywhere with a chicken or a rooster. They could walk across the border and they decided to live there. Yeah, there were signs on Interstate 5 coming up from San Ysidro, which is the California side of the border. There are signs on Interstate 5 warning you to uh, look out for people running across the freeway. I was uh, I a- was sitting with the Guardian Angels right there near the border in a jack-in-the-box. Jack-in-the-box. We had been in the canyons of San Ysidro because at that time in the 80s, the Tijuana police would go into the canyons wearing their uh, their uh, jackets that said Tijuana police, and they would hold up the illegals coming through because the coyotes would lead them right into the trap. So we were sure. patrolling there to stop that. So we had a long, long night. You know, the helicopters were above us. They were shining the lights. So we stopped. We go to the jack-in-the-box there. The jack-in-the-box is all over California. And we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, we see what had to be like 200 people come out of the bushes, go running into the back of a a truck. They're all, like, jammed in. They close the doors. They're on their way, it says, to Los Angeles. Right in front of us. That's why there's this this big immigration checkpoint about 40 miles north of San Diego proper, and everybody has to go through it. They check for any truck or any vehicle. If you're on a bus like a Greyhound, they do a walkthrough. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's it's the highway to the promised land, Interstate 5. Isn't that uh, just north of uh, Camp Pendleton? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I must stop pounding the hound, the Greyhound, from San Diego to <laughs> L.A., the Rock, downtown, yeah. the, the Greyhound Station, downtown L.A. I mean, that is like the worst place, uh, that skid row, like you can't believe. And, yeah, they stop there. you. <laughs> they bring the dogs in. They start sniffing. <laughs> They ask for your papers, your papers. In the meantime, they never look down necessarily in the belly of the Greyhound because with the luggage and everything else, you got like five illegal aliens hidden. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I felt like there were five guys under there, you know, because it's so small. They just crunch up. 
And then they put the luggage in front of them. And, you know, if the dog can't sniff them out, that's it. They let the bus go right through. You know, the reason I listen to WABC is because we have absolutely nothing like you guys out here in in California. Now, now I'm working on that, David. I've uh, spoken to our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, for years. Ever since he bought us right before the lockdown and pandemic, WABC, and I have said to him, John, if you have the wherewithal, the perfect sister station for us is KABC, where I used to broadcast from. I used to oh, yeah. do I used to do a program here. Al Rentel used to be their mid morning guy, and he had got he got hit twice. He had cancer, and then he fell down the stairs and he broke his hip. And for a full year, from the studios in WABC, I substituted for Al Rentel. Uh, we never told them that I was in New York City. I knew so much about L.A., having battled the gangs, the Bloods, the Crips, MS-13, 18th Street. People thought I was right in the heart of L.A. That sounds like it. I am on a mission to try to convince uh, our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, that at a certain point, if he could get that stick, and then we would be covered from coast to coast. You'd fit in well with KABC. That's another station I pick up on online radio box. You'd definitely fit in well. Oh, yeah, and it's it's not good programming there. It's not good, David. No, that's, but like I said, that's why I listen to WABC. I even have a WABC hoodie sweatshirt that I just wore. It walked up to the store, and people are looking at me, you know, giving me the side eye because they don't know what WABS means out here in San Diego. So, no, you guys do a great job. And they ought to give you an extra hour, Curtis Sliwa, marriage counselor. That's killing. right. You were you were you were killing me. I, I was hoping you wouldn't go to me because I was I was still trying to keep get my myself under control. But uh, how many times have you been married, David? Only once. And I, my uh, April first would be my fortieth anniversary. You wait, 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 I got you got married on April Fool's Day, yeah. April first. Yeah, yeah, right there in Syracuse. Yeah, and the, and the judge said, you know, uh, are, are you guys going to say April Fools afterward? And I said, oh, only to each other. <laughs> and she slugged me. <laughs> no, uh, we 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 were, we met in the army in basic training. Another reason why I think men and women should be separated in boot camp. But anyway, no, we got we got divorced four and a half years later when she ran off with a an army aviator she met when she was in the Sinai in Egypt. Yeah, see? You see, Dave? I still owe the guy a beer, but unfortunately, I just uh, I, I looked him up online just to, you know, for the heck of it, and he died. So, yeah, my, my ex-wife uh, is a widow. So he was the better man, but I lasted longer. Yep. And by uh, the way, he may have done you a favor in the long run. Oh, oh, I owe him. I, I still owe him. So... Yeah, no, no. Look, look. I have a situation here uh, where the former governor of the state of New York, uh, Governor David Patterson, was my oh, yeah. uh, my radio partner in the afternoon uh, drive time. Uh, mm-hmm. And I introduced him to my wife, Mary. I said, hey, here's my wife. Uh, you know, take her. And he did. Yeah. And Youngman. <laughs> exactly. And he proves how love is so blind. It proves how love is blind. And they love each other, and they have a great relationship, and they're raising my oldest son, Anthony, who actually works here as an intern, just got his senior ring from high school, and does a podcast with me here called Father and Son, Anthony and Curtis, and we discuss, like, father and son issues. So it actually worked out for the best. Well, that's good. I like I like a good, happy marriage-ending story, but I, I, I've, I've – 
follow the advice given to me by a lieutenant colonel when I was in Korea who had two divorces under his belt, and he ended up giving so much of his money away in, in alimony, he made about the same as an airman first class. And he said if it, uh, if it flies, floats, or performs the physical act of love, rent it. <laughs> well, I tell you what, David, I'm going to share this conversation with our owner-operator as I continue to lobby so we can get that KABC stick. And imagine you got a big, you know, you got a fan base of one. <laughs> oh, this would be great, David. This and thank you for keeping our tradition alive down there in San Diego, where many of our New York refugees have fled. Yeah, well, thank you, Curtis. You're the best. Thank you, thank you. Oh, that was good. Oh yeah, there's no doubt about that. Going to definitely do that. I, I got to tell you, I did KABC, Al Rentel. For a full year. Can you imagine this? I did it every day from the studios of WABC. Nobody knew that I was doing it from New York City because I just totally immersed myself into everything L.A. And people were amazed. In fact, James Woods, you know, the actor James Woods, he would listen. He'd say, Curtis, uh, I got I to gotta get together with you. Where do you hang out in L.A.? J- James, uh, to be honest with you, I'm not in L.A. What? You sound like you're a Los Angelino. I said, because, James, Los Angeles is the city of angels to live and die in L.A. And I almost died a few times at the hands of the Bloods, the Crips, 18th Street, and then MS-13 to try to slit my throat right in the ramparts. Oh. I love I love Chicago. That's my second city, Los Angeles, City of Angels. I can't get enough of it. I can't get enough of it. The pursuit of KABC, one of my many missions in life. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's uh, go to Stefano. It's calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be heard, Stefano. Hey, Curtis. Uh, I got to tell you, the biggest kick I get out of listening to you, it's that if I didn't know your true age, I'd think you were 150 years old. You had such a such a full life. I tell you, the things you did, I just love listening to these people call you and how you bounce around from one subject to the other. And on top of it, you're actually prepared in almost everything. And that's why when I listen to you in the afternoon, when you're talking with Anthony Wink, I'm like, I can't believe this guy's got to be jumping out of his skin. I said, you can't get in a word. Crosswise, the guy will never give you right, no matter what. Stefano, when is he going to? Let me tell you something. Having been married as many times as me, where I had to sit at the kitchen table and just listen and suck it up and shut up, I've been down that road before. You just take liquid Prozac, liquid Prozac, and you're cool, calm, and collected. Up next is our mayor on a road trip. It's like he's almost never here. Oh yeah. Washington, D.C., Miami, Chi-Town, coming to a city near you.
go, go, girls. We got to get that chorus. Seems to be what uh, our new mayor, Eric Adams, is on. I don't know. I, I don't get this. It's like we're not even three months into his new administration. Crime is up in the subways, 100%. In the streets, 60%. You see that elderly woman in her 90s get cold cocked right off of 70th and Columbus Avenue. Another elderly person uh, attacked. It's just, even in Bayside. I mean, my God. Bayside. (laughs) It's like... Crime-free in Bayside, on the corner of 38th Avenue and Bayside. I've been there many times. I won that uh, neighborhood uh, in the recent mayoral election. They were awakened around 3 a.m. when 24 shots were fired between 209th Street and Corporal Kennedy Street. Now, I got to tell you, if you've ever been to the 111th Precinct here, that's right, uh, right off of Bell Boulevard. In fact, they'll have a St. Patrick's Day parade uh, next Saturday. I'll be there. It's my birthday, March 26th. Big, big parade. But they had reported zero shooting incidents since the start of the year, and that's typical for Bayside. In fact, Patty Lynch, the head of the PBA, and his son live out in Bayside. A lot of cops live out in Bayside, both active and retired. And his employee who lives in the neighborhood reported that his two cars were hit a total of like 13 times, including one bullet that punctured the driver's side rear tire of his uh, Dodge Charger. And apparently a man was sitting in the backseat of a car when he was shot multiple times, taken to New York Presbyterian Queens with what they called non-life-threatening injuries. No arrests have been made. Like that never happens. It's all over the city. It's all over the city. And so I'm saying to myself, okay, people say, Curtis, give the mayor a chance. He's inheriting a mess, a hot mess, left behind by Bill de Blasio, who was the part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope, who, by the way, is living at the Marriott Hotel downtown Brooklyn until his uh, home is rehabbed on 7th Avenue and 11th Street in Park Slope. And he's living in the penthouse, and I believe we're paying for him in Charlene. I can't get any information like who's paying for the penthouse there uh, at the Marriott Hotel in downtown Brooklyn. Anyway, maybe some of you know our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But look at the circuitous route that the mayor took. He was in Washington, D.C. I have no idea why he went to Washington, D.C. There's no need to do that to stand side-by-side side with the mayor there and the police commissioner when they arrested the guy who had uh, shot and killed the homeless people both in D.C. and New York. He could have done that from New York, but he went to D.C. Then, from there, he went down to Miami with the uh, crypto monsters, those cutthroats, uh, almost everybody. I mean, from Donald Trump to our own John Katsimatidis uh, to others in business of saying, watch that cryptocurrency it's like uh, filled with all kinds uh, of Alibabas and the 40 Thieves. And yet there he was sitting with the mayor of Miami, having a good old time, and then going clubbing that night. And then this weekend he was in Chi-Town with Mayor Lightfoot, who <laughs> was really lightweight, 
talking about how to battle crime. Wait, wait a second. Let's go to the audio tape. Our mayor, Eric Adams. Well, he's on a tour of the nation. He's going to Blue City after Blue City. He was in Chicago with their failed mayor, Lori Lightfoot. And Mayor Adams promised while he was out there with Lori Lightfoot that he's going to take his campaign against gun violence. He was out in the Windy City, which, according to the New York Post, has been hit hard by a surge of homicides and shootings. This is nothing new. Chicago has been a deadly place for many of their residents now for years, and it's gone unchecked. We were talking about this during all of the Trump years, and President Trump offered to help, and Lori told him to go, you know, stick it where the sun doesn't shine. That was Bo Snardley earlier this morning. He could be heard Saturdays from 7 to 10. He's had an expanded hour. Right after the best of the uh, morning show, the boys, uh, Bernie and Sid, they were rocking it right after I finished up. Uh, and uh, Bo Snurley can normally be heard Monday through Fridays from 4 to 5, right before Cats uh, Matitis' roundtable discussion at 5 o'clock. And so these are his observations. Now, Bo Snurley, originally from Southeast Queens, so he's a New York City guy. He knows. He's wondering, what the hell is Eric Adams doing in Chi-Town? But now Mayor Adams is saying we need help from Washington, D.C. We need to staff the ATF, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms and Explosives. We need to do some information sharing. We need to focus on those illegal gun manufacturers that are producing these guns that are proliferating our cities. He said, I'm going to visit all my mayors. What is this guy with this my business? (laughs) He's right. (laughs) There we go. My police, my mayors, my country, my city, my fire department. No, it's ours. It's ours. Somebody's got to straighten them out. Just because you've been elected mayor doesn't mean that you own the city. You don't own the city. I've never heard anybody speak in that capacity as my police, my fire department, my city, my mayors. You mean... All the mayors across the country, Garcetti in Los Angeles, oh, that uh, flip-flopper there, Bloodsport, I call her, because one minute she's demeaning the criminals, next minute she's demeaning the media uh, in San Francisco. Lightfoot uh, in uh, Chicago, Philly, Baltimore, D.C., they're his mayors? The other day, it was New York's police. His police. Don't come close to my police. Now he's saying he's going to visit all my mayors, like all the mayors, the Democrat mayors in America belong to him. I'm going to visit all my mayors across this country that get it. And he says he's going to travel throughout the country and see what others are doing, too, not just with his mayors. You know, if he actually did the job and drove crime down, because now he has this fake, phony, fraudulent, fugazi, anti-gun unit out there that was supposed to be anti-crime, except now they call it, uh, what, the Neighborhood Stabilization Unit, some kind of an acronym there. They're all in uniform. They're wearing their badges. They have cameras. They're identified as 5-0. It's not undercover. It's not plain clothes. He sold it as that. And Bo Snurley was all over Mayor Eric Adams, who was on a junket in this last week with problems skyrocketing here in New York City when it comes to crime. Crime up in the subways 100% just in one week, 68% in the streets.
It is clear to me that Mayor Adams doesn't, quote unquote, get it. You don't get it, Mr. Mayor. If you're out on a tour of the United States to all your blue cities to visit all your mayors, then maybe you and your mayors ought to have a reality check. It is not illegal gun manufacturers that are the problem. Oh, I don't deny that they should be, if, if it's illegal, they should be taken down. Of course they should. In fact, uh, let's go to Police Commissioner Kelly, who was guest on uh, Katz's roundtable discussion at 5 the other day. And he smoked directly to it, as uh, Police Commissioner Bill Bratton did uh, in two weeks prior, about if you're going to have an anti-crime unit, it's got to be plain clothes. It's got to be undercover. But that's not the real problem, Mayor Adams. The real problem with you and your mayors is that you're presiding over cities where there is a culture that is permissible, that allows a, 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 a culture that glorifies this kind of violence, that glorifies killing, that glorifies criminality. And yet you and your mayors and you and your fellow Democrats who are largely in part responsible for policies that assist in promoting this culture of evil that has taken over so many American cities, you won't say a word about the culture. You won't actually get on and use your bully pulpits, none of you mayors, and actually talk to the residents of your cities and say, we have got a problem here, and it's not the guns. It's that we have people in this city, in all of American cities, who won't hesitate to use guns to kill somebody. They don't think that killing is immoral. They don't have a sense of morality. Brilliant. Brilliant summation earlier this morning by Bo Snurdly, uh, a.k.a. a guy from Southeast Queens, grew up here, understands, understands the streets, and has identified what Eric Adams is doing as basically just going on a junket before he's done the job here again. Uh, I jumped a cue there. Let's go, if we can, Bruce, to uh, Police Commissioner Kelly, who is saying exactly what Police Commissioner Brighton had said two weeks ago, same time, same place, on the Cats Roundtable discussion at 5. It's very uh, questionable as to this new gun unit that was put out on patrol. Putting these cops out in uniform is not uh, going to be particularly helpful in making the arrests that were made in the past by anti-crime units. It involves stealth, it involves surveillance, it involves following people uh, at times, you know, using ta- taxi cabs, that sort of thing. Now, let me tell you something, Police Commissioner Kelly, Greg Kelly, father of our own uh, uh, Greg Kelly, uh, is the longest-serving police commissioner in the history of New York City and busted his shoes and climbed up the ranks the hard way. He knows you got to have an undercover unit, a plainclothes unit. You wanted to tweak it. You wanted to uh, change uh, some of their actions, no problem. But what we have out there now is a reconfiguration totally, totally different than what Eric Adams said on the campaign trail, that he would reinstate the anti-crime unit with changes. He never said that they would not be undercover and that they would not be plainclothes. Now they might as well just be a different division of uniform police. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Mike in Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. 
Hey, Curtis, how are you? I love the show, and I'll tell you, Commissioner Kelly was absolutely 100% right. I heard him on that show when he spoke about the anti-crime units. You know, you know, and I got to tell you, you know, I'm, I'm retired from the police department. I was on when Adams was on. Uh, he was basically an empty suit. He was nothing but a politician. He 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 he, he race baited. I mean, this guy's a, a fraud, a complete fraud. And all he does is, you know, he he, he 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 had people buy into this, you know, this this theory that he's a moderate. He's a crime fighter. He, he's neither of those things. He, he's he's a complete zero. Well, I think, I think, Mike, the one thing uh, we can state, uh, even if people had no idea what Eric Adams' background was, is that when you try to please everybody as he does with everything he does, you please nobody. You got to take well, a stand. I don't think he tried to mm-hmm. You have to take a stand. You have to get undercover police officers out there who can come at criminals from all different angles that they're not expecting. Uh, so that they get to jump on the criminals. Criminals are smart. They have lookouts. They have steerers. They're going to be able to spot these guys and gals a mile away. The other thing I got to tell you is, I, I re- and, and it's so funny, in 1985, or it might have been 86, I actually met you. I was in a patrol car, and and uh, I saw you. You were At the time, you were with your, your, your ex. And uh, I saw you, and I noticed the beret right away. And I said, hey, how you doing, Curtis? I said, what are you doing? And you were on your way to the dentist. You probably don't remember because it was so long ago. But I asked you, I said, hey, can I sign? Can you sign my memo book? And you actually signed that. I probably have it somewhere. So so I, I always kind of remembered that. And every time I see you, I saw, you know, I'd see you on the news or I'd see you in the parade here on Staten Island uh, a while ago. And I, I remember I, I always remember that day. And you were you were always a very nice guy. Well, Mike, uh, to be truthful, you wouldn't. Uh, to be truthful, made- that day I was trying to delay going to the dentist. Anything. I would have done anything to delay going to the the dentist. If you would have said, hey, you want to come to the diner here, the Colonnade Diner on Highland Boulevard, have a cup of coffee? I would have said, sure, Mike, because there's only one thing that I fear in life, and that's a dentist. If you remember, it was in the 50th precinct, though. It was, uh, I forget exactly where it was, but it was it was in a 5 all. might have been around by Marble Hill. And I said, hey, what are you doing? And you tell me where you were going. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, no, that was Inwood. That was Inwood. Yeah, that was Inwood. That's correct. Right near the Inwood Project, uh, a.k.a. Lou Alcindor, a.k.a. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar grew up or, or right underneath the number one train. Yeah, and I'll tell you, Curtis, you would have made a heck of a, a better mayor because I know you would have been out there in the streets. You would, you would, you know the trouble areas. You would have flooded them with the police. He's doing nothing. There's so much stuff he could be doing right now. And then when I heard he was going down to Chicago to speak with Lightfoot, I mean, <laughs> what a joke! What are you going to learn yeah, from Lightfoot, who leads the crime capital of America? Yeah. It's unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah, well, but you know, anyway, you know what it is, Mike. Mike what it is is uh, somebody's got to sit him down and say, "Look, if you get control of the crime problem here in New York, if you actually so show progress, they're going to want you all over the country to come. Why are you traveling the country now? You haven't done anything." That's right. He's all talk and no action. This guy. He's a complete. He's a complete empty suit. Well, I tell you what, Mike, uh, that's why already in Bayside, which uh, had its first major crime in the history of Bayside, (laughs) Mm -hmm. 24 shots fired. 
This never happened here before. <laughs> a guy gets capped. And nobody wants to say anything. At the 111th precinct, I called up. I said, this is a bit unusual, isn't it? No, I can't. Curtis, we can't respond. You know, word from uh, one police blog is, sorry, no response. You know, call DCPI, whatever. And actually, oh, they introduced me to the round filing cabinet. But this never happened in Bayside before. The crime is spreading everywhere in the city, Mike, everywhere. And look at the subways. You know, Curtis. There's no, there's no, there's no cops in the subway. There's absolutely no presence in the subways. You go down there, you're taking the life, your life into your hands. I mean, it's terrible. And and you know, there were good people. I still, I live in Staten Island now, but I still go back to the Bronx a lot. There were good people there. I mean, I grew up in the Bronx, and and uh, you know, the the people want the police there. They want they want to be protected, you know. And 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 the and the thing that really irks me is. When the when the, the the politicians set the tone, and then when crime goes crazy, what did, who do the people bl- uh, blame? They blame the police. Oh, the police aren't doing anything. The police don't want to do anything, and that's one hundred percent not true. The police want to do their job, but they can't. Now they're handcuffed, and that's true uh, all over. In fact, the mayor, our mayor Eric Adams, sat down with the worst mayor in America, Lightfoot. And they agreed on one thing. They can't recruit cops, Mike. He admitted they cannot recruit enough replacement cops for the many men and women who are going out on either retirement or early retirement. Chicago, it's even worse. So they had spent years, Ray Kelly had spent years raising the standards. You know, either you had to have college credits or you had to have served in the military. Now Eric Adams is saying, along with Lightfoot, hey, if you got a GED, you can become a cop. We need cops. Nobody wants to become a cop, Mike, because you are rendered impotent. You can't do anything. What they're doing is by 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 setting it up that way, they're lowering the standards so much to get people on. You're getting people on now that would never be able to get the job years ago. You know, years ago when I came on, I, I was appointed in 1983. And in 83, I remember vividly when I was going on, they would say, look, if 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 you do anything wrong, you're out, and we can re- you're replaceable. There's a hundred people that are waiting for your spot. So if you either don't like it here or you can't cut it, you're gone. We got a hundred people behind you waiting to take your spot. Now they t- they'll take anybody. I mean, and and I remember about ten years ago, and and it's progressively getting worse. I remember ten years ago, I was watching the news on television and they had uh, they were talking about the, the difficulty recruiting people and they had a guy and he said and he said you know I fix xerox machines and he said I thought about becoming a cop but I make more money I got nobody I got nobody shooting me I don't have to worry about if I make a bad decision that I'm going to get arrested and get prosecuted and I'm and I'm like that, that that's I mean who in their right mind I would never I feel so bad when I see these young kids today out there who, who in their right mind would take the job? If my son or daughter ever wanted to take the job, I, I'd actually discourage them from doing it. And it was the greatest years of my life. I loved the job. I felt like I was making a difference. But now the climate is so, so bad. I mean, it was a little bad back then, but nowhere near as compared to how bad it is. Now. Well, you know, if uh, a person wants to be a human piñata and be spat at and flip the bird and told F you, sniz. Uh, be totally emasculated, uh, you become a police officer in New York City or Chicago or some of the major urban areas because cops are told not not to be proactive. So I'm amazed. I'm watching this press conference, 
And this is Lightfoot who led this initiative. She can't get cops in Chicago because gangs have more power than cops do in Chicago. They run half of the city of Chicago. So she's saying it's because of the educational standards. We'll accept you with a GED now. And our mayor, instead mm-hmm. of saying, wait a second, your problem here is, is that the cops are impotent. They're not being permitted to be cops. You're lowering your standards. You're going to end up having gangbangers joining the police department, which will make oh, it 100%. worse. 100%. And and you know what they'll do? The liberals will turn that because when they start arresting the cops that 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 slip through the cracks, they're going to wind up saying, see, police are bad. Look at look at how bad they are. But it's the politicians that pull the strings. You know, the another thing I remember when I was hired, there were there were these, uh, you know, the instructors. And I remember one guy telling me, he said he actually told the class, he said, he said, you have to be so careful taking this job now, he said. Because the, he said, I never thought about the possibility of me getting arrested. I never thought it was even possible until I took this job. He says, that's how, that's how careful you have to be. Because he says, you, you make one wrong call and it's all over for you. And it's true. No, I you see know, it. I, I, I see it, Mike. Uh, I, uh, I go out on patrols at night now uh, during the week because obviously uh, I'm always busy. But my best time, sir, can be on the subways leading the Guardian Angels. We were on the four train the other night. We ran into a reporter and a photographer from The Sun. And they followed us uh, on that four train between 125th Street in Harlem all the way up to Fordham Road in Kingsbridge in the Bronx, where I first started in 1979. Every car we went into, every car had a problem for four straight Mm -hmm. hours. And then, Mike, there was a situation that would have made you cry and any of our listeners cry. We came across a 74-year-old woman from Atlanta. Her name is Mary Reeves. She had uh, been a teacher. Uh, she uh, was a uh, college, uh, a college uh, professor for a while, then became a lawyer. Uh, and then all of a sudden, her marriage went bad. She was forced into the streets. Here she is on the subway. She had just been released from the hospital, Jacoby, where she had had coronavirus. You could see where the intravenous had been placed into her hand. You know, it was all wrapped up. They had stole all of her ID. They stole her money. They stole all her belongings. She's there. She's crying. Nobody is responding. Nobody. She's going from uh, Woodlawn Road, the last stop of the four train in the Bronx, to new lots all the way the last stop of the four train mm-hmm. in Brownsville, East New York. So I said, I stopped the train. I said to the conductor and the motorman, we've got to get help for the woman. They ignored me. We got to 125th Street. Thankfully, two, two cops responded. They said, well, we'll get, uh, we'll get the homeless outreach unit uh, to come and take her. And I said, okay, how long will that take? Oh, they won't respond till tomorrow morning. So then I took it into my own hands along with the guardian angels like we've done so many times. I took it to the shelter, which is on uh, East 33rd Street, right off of Park Avenue behind Norman Thomas High School, uh, and had her there for the night. And I'm using my Atlanta guardian angels to try to find her family so we can get her back to Atlanta. You would have so cried in hearing this woman who was saying, Curtis, I just want to die and join my mother and father in heaven and my older sister. And I saw my mother in her, Mike, because that's exactly what my mother said, Francesca, months before she died. She said, Curtis, 
I just want to join mom and pop in heaven and my 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 sister Mary in heaven. I, I want to leave. And I kept saying, no, mom, no, no. It, you could see she was insistent in this woman. Not, not, it, it, it just it, it doesn't have to be this way, Mike. It doesn't have to and be it, this oh, way. Terrible. And, and I'll tell you something else. There's a difference between the the politicians from the Democratic and the Republican Party, because I notice it, and you probably notice it with Como too. You know, in the police department, I met a lot of politicians going to different events and stuff like that, and you'd see them. And Como is, is you could tell he has a disdain for people. Same thing with Schumer. You know, he's a politician when the cameras are on and the lights are on. He loves everybody. But secretly in Schumer, when he would go to police events, you could tell he hated being there. I mean, he, he, there's, there's a look that he would have on his face. He hated the cops. I think he hates the middle class, you know. And then, there's, and then there's other people like Trump. If you look at Trump, I met Trump before, a genuinely warm person, a person that will go out of his way to talk to you. Even you, I remember that day, uh, you, were, you were the Guardian Angels, and I, I waved to you from the patrol car. You came over. Yeah, but oh, again, you know, again, Mike, I, I wish I wish people. I could say it was because uh, I was a nice guy. I was doing anything to delay going to the dentist, who was just recently interviewed by Frank Morano on the other side of uh, Midnight, who is now a great comedian and comedy writer. Who am I talking about, ladies and gentlemen? I even deny, denied trying to go to him. That's why my wife was with me at the time, because I would use any excuse. Oh, I'll sign an autograph for you. I'll walk in the 5 precinct. I'll meet all the guys and gals. I'll go have a cup of coffee at the diner, anything to avoid the dentist who I hate, I loathe, I despise. I've always said, you want to get rid of thug and thugettes on a corner in any street, in any community in America? Just put a dental chair and then the sound of the drill, amplify it, and I guarantee you that corner will be cleared. The toughest, roughest guys in jail or prison do not want to go to the dentist. And I know exactly how they feel. Two, three, and to the four. Snoop Doggy Dog and Dr. Dre is at the dope. Ready to make an entrance, so back on the before I have to pull the strap. So our mayor, Eric Adams, has decided he's going to go on a tour of America's cities and teach them about crime-fighting techniques. You think maybe he should do the job here first and get some uh, cred? Crime is up 100% in the subways, 68% in the streets, and shows no sign of declining. And now he has his uh, brand new, what should have been the anti-crime undercover plainclothes police uh, unit that he had promised that is not that at all. And everybody is going, gee whiz, what is up with this guy? He's got ants in his pants. He needs to dance. He's like uh, all over the place. He's in Washington, D.C. He's in Miami with the crypto crypto, uh, creeps. And then he's in Chicago to learn about crime fighting techniques from a, a town that has the worst police enforcement of any in America now because the mayor there, uh, Lightfoot, lightweight, won't let the cops do their job. And as I had mentioned, she wants to lower the standards. They can't hire cops. And then Eric Adams uh, pimps off that right and says, yeah, I want to lower standards too because we can't hire cops. You know why you can't hire cops. It's not the standards. It's that they can't be cops, and they know that. 
1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then uh, the partner in battling crime, so Eric Adams says, is uh, Crime Wave Kathy Hokum. Hokum because she spews nonsense. She looked at the recent polls, the Emerson College poll, that said that if Andrew Evilize Cuomo were to run against her in a Democratic primary, she'd be ahead only by four points. Shocked her. Another poll said that any Republican running against her now because of the Nobel issue could beat her in the general election. So in typical political fashion, instead of uh, ideologically sticking to her position, she's done a pirouette. And she has said the following, which is good. This I support Eric Adams. And we all should. And more crimes should be bail eligible involving weapons. Those occurring on a subway or bus as a passenger or an employee who is victimized should not have no cash bail. That means it should be bail imposed. And what Hochul wants is that judges can set bail for the defendant who has been charged with multiple offenses within 18 months. Imagine that. It's got to be 18 months. How about for 18 years? Even if none of the individual charges are serious enough to have warranted bail restrictions. Well, at least it's an improvement. But she's not going to get to first base because she's not going to apply any of the gubernatorial pressure on Stuart Cousins, the majority leader of the Democrats who have a supermajority in Albany, and uh, the Speaker of uh, the Assembly who took over for the Meyer Lansky, a.k.a. the Hyman Roth, no longer with us. Oh, you know who he is, Sheldon Silver. So now it is uh, Carl Hasty from the Bronx, and he is not for imposing bail again. So they're not, they're not even going to allow it to be uh, discussed on the floor in terms of any budget bill that has to be passed. You'll see. This is all for political show. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go, if we can, to, um, oh, I like this, Al in Amityville, where the House of Horrors is. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Al. Yeah, I don't live too far from there, Curtis. Curtis, what's Moxta? Uh, I'm a retired correctional officer from the Brooklyn House of Detention, and I got two funny stories to tell you, but the reason I called is I got a great name for your radio station. You ready for this one? You mean for the radio show that I host? Show. Right, yes. okay. Yes, it's the How Are You Today Curtis Show. No, 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 how no, are you no, no wait a second. Say that one more time, Al. It's How Are You Today you know, like I'm mimicking your callers. You don't know, like them to say how you're doing. So the show, every time they call, it's the How Are You Curtis show. Oh, I like that. It's a play on words. I now, I, now I get it, Al. Now I get it. I was ready to lock you back up in the new yeah. Brooklyn House of uh, Detention that they're building at great cost to the taxpayers. Well, I was there from 72 to 97. I'm retired 25 years now. Now, wait a second. Hold on, Al. You were at the Brooklyn House. Yeah, Brooklyn D. From uh, 72 to when, 97? Okay. Curtis, small correction. Uh, From 1972 to 1980, then uh, I transferred on my request over to Brooklyn Criminal Court. Okay, so 100 Skimmerhorn Street. Yeah, 120 Skimmerhorn. 
Baltimore, and then every once in a while they'd shoot me over to 360 Adams. All right, so and, you see, you missed me when I was at the Brooklyn house. Hey, you could have you come over and say, hey, Curtis, uh, uh, did you get your commissary this week? Because I don't want to, you know, screw this up. Um, what you call it? Um, we had, you know, we was talking about mob guys. This is a true story. I'm not exaggerating this. So these five mob guys come in, all handcuffed to each other. And um, I walk over to them. I see they were pretty pleasant. And I had my uniform, obviously. So I walk over to them and I go, uh, I got a great sense of humor, Curtis. I walk over to them and I go, these guys must be connected. Now you got to work on your stand-up comedy. Maybe go to Caroline's uh, for open mic night. Boy, that wouldn't even cut it with the Borscht Belt politi- the Borscht Belt comedians of years ago. You'd have to be bussing tables there, doing Simon Says before you could even earn the right to do stand-up. Wow, that was ooh. He really let us down big time. But he was a screw, you see. He was the CEO at the old Brooklyn house. They turned that into condominiums. Now they claim they need a new Brooklyn house of detention. Billions of dollars instead of just rehabbing Rikers and keeping them all on Rikers. And how about just putting the court on Rikers Island and forcing all the lawyers to have to travel to Rikers Island instead of busing the inmates to and from their court hearings in the Bronx, in Manhattan, sometimes in Staten Island, Brooklyn, and the Queens. Why? 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 One-stop shopping. They're on Rikers Island. We have the facility. Have a court out there. You could do arraignments out there. You could do hearings out there. You could do trials out there. But no, no, no. The lawyers are complaining. Uh, the DAs. Uh, uh. By the way, that's the other moaning and groaning thing going on. All the DAs in all five boroughs of New York City are claiming they can hire people. Because people do not want to become ADAs any longer. Gee, I wonder why. I wonder why. Because when they start going through the pounds of paperwork and they begin realizing that they have no power whatsoever to uh, force somebody to be prosecuted for the crimes that they've committed. And that all they're doing is swapping paperwork before the person gets released out into the streets to do it again and again and again. All the district attorneys went before city council claiming that they have underpaid assistant district attorneys, overwhelmed by a mammoth backlog of cases. They're quitting in groves when their work is needed more than ever. I wouldn't give them a nickel, dime, or penny. We're going to reward incompetence. Do you realize these district attorneys, all of them, and not just uh, Alvin Bragg, who published uh, on prosecutorial offenses, he was at least public about that. Every one of these DAs has a list in their office of those offenses that will not be prosecuted, even though the law dictates that they will be. They have absconded from their responsibilities, and now they're crying that they can't get ADAs because naturally an ADA realizes, wow, I'm going to do all of this work for nothing. The person's going to get a disappearance ticket to go out and do it again and again and again. So they can't find ADAs to hire. Ooh. How about letting them do their job, district attorneys? Don't give them an extra nickel, dime, or penny. 
And by the way, Eric Adams cut the police budget after it had already been cut by a billion dollars by de Blasio and the city council. Now it was a minimal cut. But the one thing he could have done is restore the billion dollars. And at least that would have been a morale boost for the cops who would have said, at least we're back to parity. At least we're back to where we need to be in terms of the budgetary allotment. Our number is one 800 From Al in Amityville in the Horror House out there, we flip the script to Don in Amityville at the Horror House. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Al. <laughs> hey, how you doing, man? It's, Good. It's Don from Amityville. How you doing, Curtis? Wow, can you imagine uh, that? Two guys in a row calling from Amityville. How far were you from the, from the Horror House? I'm actually a mile away from there, but I can tell you I've been next to the oil burner and the um, water heater, and there is an indentation in the floor. <laughs> so I think there was a hole. <laughs> hey, man, listen, uh, just real quick. I Back in the day when you were, had that television movie made of you, I think it was 1980-ish about? Yeah, we're fighting um, back. We're fighting back. Right. I wrote a song for that. Believe it or not, the, the, the ADA on that, the assistant, the, uh, the assistant director, was a young guy named Patrick McCormick. And he was my like, cousin-in-law or whatever. He's married to my wife's cousin. And um, he asked me to write a song for that because he was, uh, was his first gig. Um, and I don't know if you remember him or not, but um, I wrote a song for him. And he pitched it to the director, but they never used the song. So Wow, wait but a second. Song- well, maybe that's why it didn't do that well. Maybe if they would have used your, your, your theme song uh, for We're actually- Fighting Back, uh, it might have been, uh, actually- been a hit. He actually loved it. I wrote a song called The Ballad of the Magnificent Ten. Because weren't you the Magnificent Ten before the Guardian Angels? No, the Magnificent Thirteen. Oh, Thirteen, right. Okay, I'm sorry. But I wrote a song called Magnificent, The Ballad of Magnificent Thirteen. I must have been Magnificent Thirteen, but that's what I wrote. But anyway, I've written some songs that Frank Morano has used on his show, just for the record, of some, some New York City um, genre songs I wrote back then. And I wrote a song called Subways Don't Bother Me, uh, which I wrote after actually uh, around that time when I had seen you on the subway. Um, I also wrote a song called Coney Island uh, for the theme park there and Brooklyn Girl and Empire State. Molly has the girl over there has she has them on tape and Frank's used them about three or four times on the show. Um, But that's neither here nor there, man. I got a name for your if you wanted to, I, I would love. To, I asked him so many times if he would just play "Subways Don't Bother Me" for you. Cause I, I just because I wrote it back then. I'm 67, man. So all right, well, know, I, same I, same time, same place for me. I'll be 68 on March 26. Uh, you know what's interesting? You wanted to yeah. do that theme song for "We're Fighting Back," which was on CBS and made for TV movie, yes. and then played a few times, and then it was lost in the ether. Do you remember? Right. Do you remember who played the lead part? Who was Curtis Sliwa? Yes, Kevin McMahon or McMahon or Mayon or right. Kevin McMahon. Right, and this yeah. this was supposed to be his boost into stardom. He, he was going to play Curtis Sliwa in the Made for TV movie. Right. Prior to that, do you know what big movie he had been in? No, I don't. No, I don't. He had been in The Raging Bull, the story about Jake LaMotta. Uh, he was wow. he was one of the guys who had fought Robert De Niro, who played Jake LaMotta in the ring. So the kid was like on a rise. They were predicting a tremendous acting career for him. Oh, you're going to play Curtis Lewa in this made-for-TV movie, and then you'll be uh, doing, you know, movies uh, in the theaters. Uh, he played me. And then he went nowhere. Can you imagine that? That's that's what playing me did for his career. 
I remember what Patrick was doing. He was telling me about it, and I and I wrote that. I put a, some. The only lines I remember from the song was somebody had to shake the mice out of the men. That's the thing about the Magnificent Ten. Now, I don't know why I say Magnificent Ten. No, but no, no, it's okay. Because remember, you had the movie. Remember, you had the movie. Although a lot of people thought that I had named the group after the movie, you know, that had Yul Brenner, that had Charles Bronson. But actually, that was not uh, that was not the motivation for the forming of what eventually became the Guardian Angels. Uh, there was a movie that was an inspiration to me, but it was not the movie with uh, Yul Brenner and Charles uh, uh, Charles uh, uh, Bronson. And the other figures there, the Magnificent Seven, I think it was, or something along that effect. Uh, it was another movie. And ladies and gentlemen, if you happen to know what movie that is, it's an old uh, Asian movie. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And you will win a Curtis Lee with booby prize. Don't ask, don't tell. I'm so cheap. I throw nickels around like manhole covers. But you will end up getting a really good WABC hat that says the Curtis Lewis Show on it. And that's Top Shelf 5 Star. 1-800-848-9222. From Amityville and the Horror House out in Long Island to Billy in the East Village. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Billy. Yeah. Um, well, I, I hope I'm not off because uh, I, I was going to do something really light now. Everyone's really getting heavy. No, 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 I know, but uh, we go back, we digress. You know, my style is I'm all over the map, so feel free to go in whatever direction you want, Billy. Okay, so uh, I noticed in the last couple of months, uh, Boris and Natasha have been mentioned about three times. So what I'm saying is, do you know who Boris and Natasha were real-life people who they were modeled after? Uh, That's a quiz. So let me let me just set uh, the table for our listeners, because obviously you're connected here, Billy. Let's go to the theme song that we all grew up as little kids as we watched Rocket J, Squirrel, Bullwinkle, Boris Badnoff, yes. and Natasha. Yeah. Oh, so great as a kid. But now, because of uh, uh, Putin's invasion of the Ukraine, they want to extricate uh, in the future uh, all of those scenes that Boris Badenov and Natasha were in on the original Rocket J, Squirrel, and Bullwinkle. Can you imagine that? I, I can't imagine that. No, I really can't. I, I, there, there, mean, you mean Putin was actually watching Rocky and Bullwinkle? No, they're saying basically because of the Cold War, and they represented, oh, okay, yeah, you know, yeah. this, the evil Soviet Union, uh, like right. the KGB. It's sort of like, no, that's it. Uh, you can watch your Rocket J Squirrel, the reruns with Bullwinkle, but they're going to leave Boris Badenov and Natasha on the cutting room floor. No, they, 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 well, well, but what I'm saying is, what actual real people were. Boris Badenov and Natasha modeled off after. Wow. There's real, there's real people. Okay, let me give you a hint. I, 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 don't, I don't want to leave this open for a long time. 
let's deal with right now with you. Uh, okay, I, they were probably on the Ed Sullivan show. Wow, so there wasn't Topo Gijo. He was on like 46 times, the little Italian no, mouse. No, 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 not quite. No, but uh, you're getting you're getting warm. <laughs> there wasn't I Jackie think. Mason who was on many times and then was booted not, off in perpetuity no. by Ed Sullivan. No, no, no. There, there, there were an actual couple, an actual couple. He was one was a singer. There's a male guy who was a singer who played guitar, and he had a wife who was a singer also. Wow, wow, that's a real come brain on. buster. Uh, oh come on, you gotta know this. Wait a second, they didn't they didn't come out of East New York. They didn't go to Jefferson High School, did they? <laughs> I, I I didn't go up in New York. Mm. I I came here later. All right. Well, yeah, it's a brain buster. Who? Who? Okay, we're talking about. <laughs> no, I I don't want to give it away, but okay, okay. Boris and Natasha was Louis Prima was the guy, and do you remember Louis Prima? Yeah, the guitar. He played guitar. He had a band. He was a great. He had a great band. Yeah, really, uh, Louis Prima, one of the greatest performers of all time. Absolutely. Okay, there you go. Well, that's that. That, that was that's what they modeled Boris Badenov after. And what about Natasha? To, what about Natasha? Keely Smith. Remember her? No, that was his girl. No, that was his girl. Yeah, that that I don't remember. I'll be honest with you, I don't remember. But that Louis Prima. Yeah, but no, Keely Smith was Louis Prima and Keely Smith were a couple. So, so it's like you know, hello. I'll uh, be honest, Billy. You, you, you burst my brain cells, my medulla, and my cerebellum on that. Louis Prima was Boris Badenov, and his girlfriend. The name I cannot conjure up was Natasha. And now, as a result of this invasion into the Ukraine by Vladimir Putin, uh, they have decided to redo the old Rocket J. Squirrel Bullwinkle cartoon series and leave Boris Badenov, a.k.a. Louis Prima, and Natasha, his girlfriend, on the floor, on the cutting room floor. That is a double disgraziata. That's a double shanda. 1-800-848-9222. one 848 Let's go to Billy in Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Billy. Hey, Curtis. This is great radio. You know, always with you. I just wish they had more callers like that guy, Mike. I think his name was the retired police officer. I mean, these guys got uh, great information on Eric Adams and, and stuff like that. Yeah, well, remember, he was a cop who busted his shoes in the 50th Precinct in the Inwood section of Manhattan not far from the projects where uh, Lou Alcinda, a.k.a. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, grew up right down the block from uh, Kennedy High School, which had the escalators to the sky. Anybody who went to Kennedy High School, the escalators went up further than the escalators at Trump Tower, where, if you remember, Donald Trump citizen came down to announce to the world that he was running for the presidency of the United States in 2016. Curtis, what's your prediction for this summer? I think it's going to be riots, protests, just like that guy uh, Hawk Newsom said. There will be riots. There will be bloodshed. I think it's going to be bad. Why? Why, why do you think that? I think I think even Eric Adams is going to try to crack down the crime somewhat in his own way, I guess. But there's going to be backlash from these people. 
I mean, they're going to hit back. Well, I, I will so tell you, not- I will tell you, Billy, I've got uh, good uh, feelers out there amongst Black Lives Matter because I battled them in the summer of 2020 along with Antifa. They have been weakened. As you can see, all the money they ripped off from corporations uh, and from benefactors, uh, they can't. They can't explain how any of the money was spent supposedly to help the peeps. Antifa, they've gone back, uh, you know, to living off their blind trust. These are mostly white guys, white gals, you know, from uh, out there in Iowa where there are more pigs than people and Idaho where there are more potatoes than people. So they've been weakened. Now, I will, I will agree that if all of a sudden there's a bad cop shooting, uh, yes, or a yes. series uh, of situations in which the cops' yes. back is against the wall, and if Eric Adams yeah. doesn't have their back completely, yeah, that could that could blow up. But right now, those two organizations, Black Lives Matter and Antifa, have been weakened greatly, not by anything Eric Adams has done, but by their own corruption. People who were true believers in what they where did all the money go into their pockets? Into their pockets. Yeah, but Billy, now have you been uh, riding your bicycle around? I have. You let me tell you, I don't. I see less cops now on the streets than when De Blasio was mayor. I was over there by Macy's this last week, this past weekend, and uh, there was nobody around Thirty Fourth Street. There used to be a whole bunch of cops right there by, um, you know, um, where they got the tables and stuff there. I didn't see any cops in, in all around Penn Station anywhere over there. Well, you see, what's happening, Billy, is instead of Eric Adams uh, saying, I need to hire more cops, he had the chance. Remember when he visited President Joe Biden, when he had just won the Democratic primary, it was a big kudos for him. And the president said, hey, I have some extra stimulus funds here. If uh, cities promise to hire police officers, I'll cut it loose from the budget. And you got to hire police officers. And Eric Adams said, no, no, not now. Uh, if I become mayor, and he was basically following up on what de Blasio had said. He wouldn't take the money to hire cops. And now you got to regret it because he has less cops. They're retiring at normal rate. They don't have enough money to replace them. And they're going to lower the standards because they're finding it increasingly impossible to hire cops with the standards that they had before because – too many young men and women are saying, I don't need to become a police officer and then to be cursed at, spat at, and then being told I can't arrest somebody for committing a crime right in front of me. Well, I, I hope you're right, though, Curtis. I have a bad feeling about this summer. No, no, I, I have a feeling it certainly won't rival the summer of 2020 when anarchy prevailed. I don't think uh, we're going to see that again. We should have learned from our mistakes. Uh, but this is the time to crush Black Lives Matter, to crush Antifa, the remnants of them. They're still out there. Antifa, all these uh, white kids who moved into New York and moved into other cities, hopelessly naive. They believe in anarchy. They don't believe in any structure. They've sort of fallen off the map because I think uh, they've seen uh, how wrong because they were battling in the streets and all for naught. Side by side with Black Lives Matter, who turned out to be nothing but thieves, who took the millions and millions of dollars that Fortune 500 companies and Wall Street and hedge fund monsters threw at them, uh, a form of insurance. So if my corporation donates to Black Lives Matter, you won't attack our facilities. You won't attack uh, our edifices. You won't attack where we do business. 
It was basically extortion. Where did all that money go? Millions and millions of dollars. Where have all the supporters of Black Lives Matter gone to explain that? Like then Mayor Bill de Blasio, like Eric Adams, like Carolyn Maloney, who wants to run again for Congress. I read already. A poster child for term limits. Every day they'd be out in the streets painting Black Lives Matter in one of the five boroughs of the city of New York. Now they don't even mention them. Why? Because they turned out to be a bunch of thieves, Black Lives Matter. Stole the money. Invested in real estate. Self-avowed communists. The ideology based on uh, Joanne Chesimard, a.k.a. Asada Shakur, cop killer, who has been given sanctuary behind the sugarcane curtain of Fidel and Raul Castro, and Angela Davis, hardcore communists. They were more ideological than the founders of Black Lives Matter, who turned out to be all crooks. They took the money, invested it in real estate, and then left Black Lives Matter and said, a triple who fought all of you. We're in the real estate business. Anyway, up next... Oh, on this anniversary of The Godfather, 50th anniversary, there are people out there who are saying, why are you extolling the virtues of The Godfather when there were so many other better movies? Oh, that's right. I think some of you may be in for quite a surprise as we continue to search for a new name for what used to be The Other Side of Midnight, the weekend edition, but will be no more as of Friday, so come forward with your suggestions. Spring. It's spring, the equinox. First day of spring now. As we left St. Joseph's Day, uh, for all you Sicilianos out there, uh, Workers of the World Unite, the patron saint of all workers. That was Saturday. And then, uh, as you know, uh, we're still in Lent. So for many of you who are observant, no meat for you, even on St. Joseph's Day, which was Saturday, never mind Friday. But then we came off of St. Patrick's Day uh, on Thursday, uh, right into uh, Purim, into Purim. And got to tell you, uh, we'll score the Quinella. Definitely looking to score the Quinella as we attempt to find a new name that we have to have locked in. And totally embedded into the fabric of our WABC production by next Friday night when I begin the 20-hour cycle of always broadcasting Curtis on the weekends in all of its forms. Remember, from 1 to 6 in the morning Saturdays. And then I joined Anthony Weiner as I did hours ago from 2 to 4 Saturday afternoons. Only to return 12 midnight to 6 Sunday mornings. And then I'll be with Chris Hahn this afternoon from 3 to 5, left versus right. And then just hours later from 9 p.m. to 12 midnight. And then the most requested, the uh, most participated uh, caller show 
of the 20 hours of broadcasting that I do will be with my wife, Nancy, the Animal Welfare Hour, from 12 midnight to to 1. And we take all calls on everything involving dogs, cats, and all animals, and it has become the hit of the uh, uh, weekend uh, edition of WABC. And then I'll be substituting for my Kumbadachich, Rudy Giuliani, on Monday at 3 o'clock, 3 to 4, before Bo Snurdly. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And remember, this is, uh, this is the month of the 50th anniversary when The Godfather premiered at the Lowy State Theater uh, in New York. I think it was March 24th. We're coming up on that because Saturday uh, will be my birthday, which will make me 68. But there are quite a few people who are saying, why this uh, idolatry of the Godfather? So many who have been discussing it, that there's so much to touch upon. And we're going to do that momentarily, especially the many opponents who believe that the Godfather is actually a disgraziata against uh, Italian peoples because he glorifies organized crime, the mafia, La Cosa Nostra. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Russell, who's calling from uh, the epicenter of America, the heartland of America, Columbus, Ohio. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Russell. Okay, uh, Curtis, nice to hear you again. And I think the the answer to your comedian question is Jeff, believe. You couldn't be more hopelessly right. You are absolutely correct, Russell. How did you know that? Uh, I've, I've listened to Frank, uh, well, it's been a few months ago, but I heard him on the program with Frank. Yeah, no, no, he is uh, Jeffrey Gurian, originally was a dentist. He had a practice up in Inwood, not far from the 50th Precinct. That's what Mike was talking about. That's when he saw me going to the dentist, and I would have done anything to delay going to the dentist uh, right in the shadow of uh, JFK High School with the escalator to the sky. And Jeffrey Gurian was, uh, at that time, a developing comedic writer and comedian. He would go to open night mics uh, at comedy clubs all across uh, Manhattan at night and then practice dentistry by the day. So he would practice his lines on me. I would come back from trips where I would have all-out wars with gangs uh, when establishing the Guardian Angels. I'd have broken jaws, broken teeth. And he, as he was working on me, he'd be trying out the lines. Uh, and he'd say, I'm not going to give you I'm not gonna give you laughing gas because you'll laugh at anything I say. Uh, if you'll laugh at something I say now and the kind of pain you're in, I'll know it's a good joke. Yeah, I'm the same way with the dentist. I can't, I can't stand it. Oh, I can take anything but a dentist. There's no way. Why is it It's so many macho, maniacal men, I mean really macho guys, they're not afraid of anything, but they're afraid of a dentist? Yeah, I think it's the drill, the just, uh, just sound of that drill. Just, it just makes me pass out. Yeah, well, you know, in the 60s when I was a kid and I first had to go to the dentist, uh, I remember the smell because when they would be drilling you know, for cavities, and then they would put the uh, mercury fillings in. Oh, boy, was that a mistake. But you would <laughs> you would smell the burning of the teeth, whoever it was was being drilled into at that point. You'd smell it in the waiting room. You would hear the muffled cries of the patient. 
<laughs> and then all you had was a magazine there, National Geographic, from like 1956 to read, and you would be like, oh, my God, what am I doing here? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it brings back bad memories. Really bad. And remember, there was no nothing to numb the pain. Forget the laughing gas. There was none of that. It was sort of like, okay, you got a cavity from chewing all that bubble gum, so we're going to have to go drilling even if you're not willing. <laughs> yeah. Well, have a good night. I'm going to get off here. I've got a break, broken ankle at the moment, so I'm recuperating. All right. Well, I want you to stay on the line, Camellia. Uh, our phone screen, and please get Russell's information in the heartland of America. Boy, that's a great memory recall. Jeffrey Gurian, now a great comedian in his own right, great comedic writer, does a lot of stand-up, was my dentist and would try out all of his lines on me, uh, would not give me any painkillers because, as he would say, as he was repairing the damage uh, that I had uh, suffered in many of my street battles around the country establishing guardian angels against gangs, he would say, wow, if you laugh at my lines while you're in pain, then I know. I know this is good stuff, and I'm going to use it uh, on open mic night at Caroline's. Uh, so Russell is going to get the Curtis Lee with Booby Prize, which is the WABC hat, the Curtis Lee hat. Wear it with pride in the heartland of America, Columbus, Ohio, which is where the international headquarters now of uh, of White Castles is. And also, I believe, Wendy's. Back-to-back, belly-to-belly. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Al in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Al. Go on, Curtis. Good show as always. Now, hold on a second, Al. I can barely hear you. Just remove uh, your mouth a little bit from uh, the speaker. Let's see if uh, we can uh, hear you a little clearer, Al. Okay. Good. Good. Is that a lot better? Good. Much better. Much better, Al. Yeah, great show as always, I was saying. Thank you. Um, I think for the trivia question, I believe you're talking about the movie uh, The Seven Samurai. Yes. Wow. You're sharp, Al. The Seven Samurai. I remember seeing that in the theaters. And these were uh, these were men, very proficient martial artists, uh, who would go into villages and for no pay, just return of housing and a bowl of rice, would teach the local villagers how to protect themselves against the horde of barbarians or whatever warriors were trying to take over their town. Hey, can I give you a name for your show, possibly? Sure, of course. We're taking all suggestions because we got to bring this to closure. As of this coming Friday night. Well, here it is. Curtis Sliwa on the overnight. Your turn to be heard. I like that, Al. Could you repeat that one more time for all of our listeners who are our focus group? What is your suggestion, Curtis Al? Sliwa. Hmm. Curtis Sliwa on the overnight. Your turn to be heard. I love that. And especially for getting the seven samurai. Stay on the line here. We're keeping Camellia very busy tonight. Those uh, WABC Curtis Lee hats are going to be flying out fast and furiously. Uh, do, do, do you yes. know what Marlon Brando once said when, about going to the dentist? No. He once said, he said, you can stop by acting like a man. <laughs> That's what he said once. Oh, man. I heard him say that. Yeah. He used to call ham operator uh, from his island when he lived in Tahiti because, uh, you know, he was just bored. So he would just call up everybody and anybody for years and years. You know, and uh, good actor, but very strange cat, you know. 
Very good. Yeah, very, you are right. In fact, we're going to be talking about Marlon Brando momentarily, but oftentimes he would be talking to his very dear friend, Wally Cox. Now, I know I've mentioned that name a few times, but it was a strange grouping. Marlon Brando, who was the box office king in Hollywood with this nebbishy, schlubby Schmendrick, this pitcher, Wally Cox. Who was Wally Cox, ladies and gentlemen? What did he star in? And why was it that he was so often associated with Marlon Brando? Now, it's not like they bought a bungalow in Cherry Grove. No. No. And by the way, uh, where is Cherry Grove? You see, we're really getting uh, into extensive trivia now. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Tricia, who's calling from Kingsbrook. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tricia. Oh, it's Kingsburg, New Jersey. Oh, my, my, my mistake. Uh, I apologize, although it is really Camellia's mistake. Oh, oh, Curtis. You know, first of all, Norman Greenbaum's one-hit wonder, Spirit in the Sky, should be your theme song, and your uh, name show should be Your Turn to Talk, your tagline. Wow. All right, let me get a little Norman Greenbaum here. I need a little bit of accompaniment here. Now, do you remember when you first heard this one-hit wonder, Tricia? Oh, I just love music. Oh, you do? Oh, I do. I do. And I love you. And uh, you know what? You were too generous with Anthony Weiner today. He was all, all about the DNC today. You gave him too much time. Well, remember... Uh, if you're going to have oh, a show. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, you see? There it is. The one-hit wonder, Norman Greenbaum. One-hit wonder. Spirit in the sky. Listen to him sing. This is for you, Tricia. Thank you. When I die and the name of the rest, gonna go to the place that's the best. Amen. Nah, you're not getting me yet, Grim Reaper. <laughs> oh, that's so true. And, you know, earlier in your program when you were talking about uh, Ray Davies. Yeah, of the kinks. Right. So he he does have a, a, a child with Chrissy Hind, who Rush Limbaugh used her uh, theme song for his show. Wow, I did, Ohio. I, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah. you are a wealth of MTV VH1 <laughs> no, no. trivia. Lo- oh, Curtis, we all love you. We love you. Well, we thank do. you. And you know what? I don't want to even get into Adams. He's such a joke. You know, even before he was in office, he's going to flying off to Puerto Rico with the crypto guys and stuff. It's just a joke. The crypto monsters. I mean, look, you talk about three-card molly, encouraging people to invest in crypto. I've heard our own John Katsimatidis caution people about that. Donald he Trump did? cautioned people. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, you know, this could be like a shell game. This can be like uh, playing three-card molly. And yet, here it is, you have the mayor of Miami and Eric Adams, our mayor, vying to become uh, the central uh, center of crypto criminal activity throughout the world. 
It's sad. It really is. And his little tour that he's doing uh, in the cities that have the worst crime also. Yeah, Trish, there'd be plenty of time. Let's say he gave it a year and he just focused on driving crime down in New York City, which can be done. I mean, you you figure it couldn't be any worse than it was with de Blasio. But if he actually were to improve it, he would have more invitations to speak about uh, criminal justice issues, crime prevention, policing than he could ever handle. He could be traveling all over the world. But no, he's already on his Eric Adams tour of what he called my mayors, my police, my sanitation department, my city. It's like, what's this I and me? What happened to us and we? We pay for all of this. It's our police department. It's not the mayor's police department. It's not the mayor's mayors. Eric Adams, my mayors? Really? 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Mike in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Mike. Yeah, hi, Curtis. Listen, uh, I live here in the Bronx. You know the Fordham section. Yeah, that's where I started the Guardian Angels uh, back in 1979. I was a night manager at Mickey D's right there off of East Fordham, Webster, uh, and Marion. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm down more like Sedgwick and West Fordham. You're down near what used to be the old Irish section uh, over near uh, St. Nicholas at Tallentine. Yeah, the big church. That's right. Okay. The reason I called is that there's, there's in, the, in the area, in the neighborhood, there's these huge cat colonies. I mean, there's like maybe 5, 10, 15, 20 cats in, in either one. And they're in like this vacant lots. There's two vacant lots. One of them is if you go down West Fordham towards uh, Landing, I don't know, Landing or Cedar Avenue. Yeah, well, I've seen a lot of them along the aqueduct. As you go south from West Fordham Road, you walk along the aqueduct, you go to 183rd. There are a lot of cats in those side alleyways uh, uh, that are feral cats. Yeah, these are these are like really okay. The ones when you go down West Fordham and you're going towards like you know the bottom, like land, land landing yeah. and like cedar. Yes. Okay. The, the the problem is is that these cats are really friendly. I mean, they're not like wild or crazy, and they don't bite people. They come out and you could actually pet them, but there's so many of them. And what happens is the owner of this vacant lot, which happens to be next to this. New homeless shelter they built down by landing and, and cedar. Yeah, I know where that uh, is. I know where that is. Okay, great. So the problem is the owner is like trying to get rid of these cats, and I was told that he had poisoned some of the, some of the cats to reduce the population. And I, I tried getting the city involved in that because that's that's a felony, I believe. Okay. Yeah. So the problem is is they didn't do nothing. What his objection is that these cats, are, he's claiming that these cats are preventing him from selling his, his lot. It's a large vacant lot. It's fenced in. I mean, this is this is like totally insane. I try to rescue some of the cats and I got them some homes, but there's like there's like so many in there. What what, what you know? What can you do with something like that? You're you're the guy to go to. Yeah. Well, I tell you what. Uh, we can rescue those cats. As you uh, pointed out, they don't seem to be totally feral because they'll actually come up to you. That's not what a feral cat would do. Uh, 
They won't come up to a human being. Uh, so they may have actually been raised indoors. They're now living outdoors, so they're used to humans. It's sort of like a little bit of feral, but they've been domesticated. What I'll do is, Mike, I'm going to put you on the line with Camila. Uh, she is very busy tonight on the phones. Uh, you give her all of that information, and Mike, I promise you this week I will personally visit uh, that cat colony there and that empty land next to the uh, next to the uh, homeless uh, shelter at uh, Landing and Cedar. And yep. uh, I and my wife Nancy will get involved and try to get those cats out of there as quickly as possible. Uh, either adopt them out, foster them out, or if uh, any of them happen to be feral, bring them to Canarsie where we keep the feral cats. Right, right. The whole thing is, like, I, sit, I, I go there and I feed them, and they come right up to you. They brush up against you. I mean, they're really affectionate animals. And, and I, I, when I found out about this guy, he's connected. By the way, the owner is connected with a large parking lot that's on Cedric towards that big apartment complex, the huge apartment complex. Yeah, Fordham Plaza there. Yeah, yeah, okay. He's, he's supposedly one of the bosses there. And, like, what happens is he. I heard a story that he had the cats were actually breeding behind the garage, it's a huge garage. And he, he told this woman who lives in that huge apartment complex, she told me, he said, if you don't start taking these kittens, it was some, about four or five kittens, I'm going to have them killed. Mm. I'm going to have somebody drown them or something. I mean, I would appreciate anything you could do, Curtis. Yeah, well, when you speak with Camila, uh, give her all your information, your phone number, give us the right. exact location where the cats are. We will visit and we will keep you updated and we will do everything within our power. First, uh, I'll give a very stern warning. To the guy who owns that empty lot, uh, lot, Dad, if there's one hair harmed on any of those cats who help keep the rat population, the rodent population, the mice uh, population, which is enormous in that part of the Bronx, in check, uh, there'll be a hell of a price for him to pay. And I will have that one-on-one conversation with him while my wife goes about rescuing them and adopting them out or fostering them out and taking care of whatever needs they have, Mike. I promise you that. Well, who could you, by the way, Curtis, who could you donate things like bags of cat food or bags of litter? Who who could you donate them to that's really going to need them and use them? Yeah, well, actually, uh, you can have a conversation. You'll leave your number, and Camila, you'll get all of his information. uh, And uh, we'll make sure that you stay in the loop with all the animals that we help all over the tri-state area. It's not just the cats. It's the dogs. It's other animals. It's part of our guardian angel Animal Protection Division, which is uh, one of the fastest growing divisions we have in the United States with all that we do in terms of crime prevention and getting patrols out there. This one is definitely in demand. Yeah, and there are people who will go out there and kill cats. You imagine, you're in the Bronx there, there are like eight rats for every one person living in that section of West Fordham. Uh, You you don't have enough cats. A natural way of suppressing the rat, the mice, the rodent population instead of all the pesticides that they put down. They get into the air, get into the water, get into the land, poison other animals. It's a horrible death because they implode. And then the children are playing, and then they get the poison. Makes no sense. 1-800-848-9222. 
Let's go to, uh, is this Valera in Pompano Beach, Florida, where so many New Yorkers and those from New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Connecticut are fleeing to? Yes, Curtis. It's pronounced Valeria. It's Italian for Valerie. Oh, Valeria. Okay. Uh, thank you. Thank you for correcting me on that. It's okay, Curtis. It's all right. Listen, I did not suffer from insomnia before I discovered your show. Now I'm the happiest insomniac on the planet. I can't go to sleep at night. I have to listen to your show. I'm totally addicted because I used to live in Manhattan right after they got the son of Sam. I moved to Manhattan. I lived on Chelsea and I lived in the Upper East Side and we were so felt so safe, honey, when you were the guardian angel, when you started the guardian angels and they got the son of Sam and just eternally grateful to you and we love your wife and how she cares for the animals but i gotta tell you something curtis how does this sound captivating conversations with curtis that's a good one valeria captivating conversations with curtis well you know how that mama luke uh is jealous of you and he said something about the trivia and You know, he's just jealous because he's not captivating. Sure, he gets a lot of guests guests to come on the show, and because he needs the guests. You don't need guests. You carry the show all night long. You're captivating. And you know what? You attract captivating people like the guy that was living on the Indian reservation and the guy in the Coast Guard. I mean, you don't have to get, you know, semi-stars to come on your show. And speaking of Wally Cox, there's a rumor going around that he had a fling with Marlon because they were roommates in the 50s when they were breaking into showbiz in New York City. Now, what an odd couple. What an odd couple that was. Can you imagine Marlon Brando and Wally Cox, who looked like the most nebbishy, schlubby, pisher man you would ever want to meet? Exactly. And, you know, remember, he was the voice of Underdog, our favorite cartoon, one of our favorites growing up. That's right. Underdog. He was the voice of Underdog. Wally Cox. He was the voice of Underdog. (laughs) We had great cartoons growing up. We really did. Who would have thought, though, that Wally Cox would have had an affair with Marlon Brando? Well, I think they're both from the Midwest. I I think it's like the the state of Illinois or something that they both came from the Midwest. Yeah, it could, could be. be uh, it could be a lot of actors, uh, a lot of actresses came yep. out of Illinois, and, Wisconsin, Missouri, that whole area. Yeah, and so they had like a kindred spirit, and you know there was a lot of fooling around back then. You know Montgomery Cliff, Rock Hudson. You know they they played you know, homosexuality to a T, but, you know, behind closed doors, New York was always kind of wild, always had its little wild areas here and there ever since New York was created. That's true. It was a a refuge because, let's face it, if you happen to be gay or lesbian in other parts of the country, they would, like, want to burn you at the stake. So there were very few uh, cities you could go to. Chicago was another one. Los Angeles, San Francisco, but for the most part, uh, you were isolated in these other cities. You had to keep everything on the down low because if anybody had found out, it it could actually lead to you being physically hurt, 
thrown in jail, uh, your family endangered, all because you would rather be with somebody of uh, your same sex. How crazy was that? Right. And it ha- and I witnessed that growing up in New England. You see, my grandfather was a tailor and he had a business in Min- in Midtown. But I was raised in New England, so I was always back and forth to Midtown. Having said that, I had friends that were beaten up in junior high in the early 70s. I'm a little bit younger than you. I graduated high school in 75. And when uh, other guys in the school could tell that a, a, a boy going through puberty was effeminate, they would pick on them, especially if they were in the drama club in junior high and high school. That was like a big thing, like if you weren't macho. But I had friends that I, I mean... I had friends that were gay, and they were afraid to come out. We didn't talk about it, but I always stuck up for them. And then when I moved to Manhattan um, in 78, thank God, after Son of Sam, um, you know, it was slowly but surely coming about. Like, I had gay friends that lived there. Remember Joe Allen's restaurant? They used to make a lot of money working there, the waiters. Sure. Sure. In fact, uh, yep. Joe- one of my best friends worked at Joe Allen and I worked at La Maganette and I worked um, at another place in Hell's Kitchen. I don't know if you remember this. I was my first bartending gig. It was kind of scary, honey. It was called Lady Anne's Full Moon Saloon. Now, that one it I don't remember. One of, I don't remember that it, one. It was not far from a fire station, and it was in Hell's Kitchen, and it was the only job I could get because I had no experience as a bartender, and I was a horrible waitress. I wasn't that good. I was better as a cocktail waitress. You know, because back in the day, you didn't have all that computerized. You When you had to take orders, everything was done on a little pad, or you had to memorize it. Remember back in the 70s? Oh, exactly. And everything was based on tips. Everything was based on tips. Yeah, it was based on tips, but you had to do everything on a little pad and you had to add and subtract perfectly in a rush. There was nothing done on the computer. It was not computerized. So one of the girls told me that I could get a job at Lady Anne's Full Moon Saloon and my heart sunk when I got there. But they said, listen, it's a shot and beer bar, but the firemen come in. It was in Hell's Kitchen. It was on either 8th Avenue or 9th Avenue. And I got to tell you, this is when I was so grateful to you and the guardian angels. And I, I just thank God for you because I had to take the subway back home to Yorkville late at night, 1 o'clock in the morning, 1.30 in the morning. And you guys kept the subway so safe back then. The summer of 78, I'll never forget it. Yeah. 78 and 79. Yeah. No, no, no. Those... I mean, even though New York was a little on the crazy side with, you know, Times Square and everything, we didn't have Rudy Giuliani yet. It was during the Koch years, right? That is correct. And But you really did a lot with the subway. And girls like me that had to take the subway at night after working, we were so grateful to you, Curtis. Yeah, well, Valeria, the you... The city that you, never sleeps. Yeah, Curtis you... you captivating you, conversations in the city that never sleeps with Curtis Slewa. Oh, that's, that, that's so theatrical in nature, that, that whole... I could see it up in a marquee. I could see. Well, I was an actress. I was an actress. I took, um, I took um, drama less group drama lessons. I had to audition to get accepted. Remember the Marx Brothers, honey? 
Yes. Chico Marx had a daughter. Chico Marx had a daughter. She had a gorgeous apartment on the west side, not far from the famous Papaya King. I forget what street it was on. And she used to hold drama lessons in her beautiful apartment. You had to audition to get into her like um, private little drama school. And one of my one of my gay friends, God rest his soul, he died, who worked at Joe Allen's. He was a phenomenal um, waiter. He made a lot of money and he could sing, dance and act. His name was Alan. He t- hooked me up. I auditioned and I got in and I'll tell you because I had my after card and I used to work as an extra in Brooklyn, my sweetheart, when we had um after that, many years later, I got my break. I used to work for Another World. Remember when they filmed that soap opera, Another World in Brooklyn? Yes. And it was right next door to the Cosby Show. One set was uh, one side of the building was the Cosby Show when it was like the, all the rage. And then the other side was Another World with Mac and Rachel. They were the stars of the show. And I was an extra, so I would get paid after, you know, I would get paid like, uh, 150 to 200 a day, but back in the day, in the early 80s, that was big money. Oh yeah, you know who else uh, was an extra? Uh, I, I was amazed. Uh, one of the greatest sports broadcasters of all time, Warner Wolf, would go out and he would be an extra on the set, just as an anonymous uh, person, not as Warner Wolf, just to be in the background, just to be part of a production. Can you, uh, can you imagine that? Well, you know, if you're not a drama queen. And you do what you're told and you're, you know, you don't try to upstage the stars and you come in looking handsome, you know, or or cute or pretty, whatever the look you're going for. They remember you. Did you You ever did you ever find that uh, in that one little uh, opening that you had to sort of a style and profile that you were left on the cutting room floor? um, No, I didn't. I I, to tell you the truth uh, at that point, I had had my little boy, and um, who's now a 37, and he's a dad, and he's happily married with two beautiful baby girls. Um, I was phasing out. You know, by the time I started to get my big breaks, I was, I was phasing out, and I had already moved to New Jersey, so I was going back and forth. Uh, but I, I, I loved, I was taking my, my acting lessons with Chico's daughter. She was such a sweetheart. And um, she would tell us stories about her father. Oh, my goodness. Some phenomenal stories. You know, Groucho was a genius. They were all geniuses, the three brothers. Uh, You notice uh, there was that, I believe it was an 82-year-old woman who was pushed down and killed over near 28th between. I'm crying. I'm crying. That's another topic I want to talk to you about. I'm crying. Curtis, I live in Florida. I only lived in New York City for a short time, but my grandfather had a business there. My mother was born in Brooklyn, um, not far from the Paramount uh, Theater. That was her area. And then she moved to Rhode Island uh, when she was a little girl. But my grandfather kept his business in Brooklyn. And I used to, I go to New York a lot, it, you know, b- prior to COVID, when I go to New Jersey to see my family. I always go to New York. Uh, I go to the Mark Hotel. I go here and I go there. I love it. You know, you can walk up and down Madison Avenue late at night up until like 19, 19, 2018, 2019. It started getting sketchy. 
Curtis, I read the New York Post every day, and I cry. How I cry. I don't know if they caught that crazy woman with the long dark hair, the white woman. They killed the lady. The, well, she didn't kill her on the spot, but she died a few days later. Yes. The acting, the actor, yeah. voice coach. Yeah, I think uh, she was. voice coach, method acting. Eighty-two years old, uh, pushed down. She, I, she, I cry for all of them, honey. I because you know I, this is what I do. I do it in New Jersey, and I do it in Brook. I do it in Staten Island, and I do it in Florida. But I won't go to New York because it's too dangerous. I'm part of the hustle dance community. Oh. We do real hustle dancing to real 70s disco music. It's like it's a it's like a genre of ballroom dancing. Sure. We also do salsa. We also do salsa dancing. So there's this great place in Staten Island that we go to. It's called Pastels. Yeah, I've been there. It's not far from. I've been yeah, there. There's a restaurant on one side. It's like a Z something Z. Yeah, I can't. And then on the I other camp- side is pastels. Yeah, I campaigned there during my mayoral campaign. A guy named Vito oh, Bruno, who used to own a lot of the clubs, said, "Oh, we got to go there at night. It's a fifty-five plus crowd, the disco era we crowd." Have a blast. And- yes, and we do the hustle. And right. We do the hustle, and we go to the Starlight Ballroom in Nutley, and there's beautiful ballrooms in New York City. But I'm too afraid to go because. I don't want to be somebody that you read about in the New York Post. Oh, no. You don't know when your number's going to come up. Having said that, Curtis, all of those New Yorkers that ran away to Florida, I'm going to get them by the scruff of their neck, and I'm going to tell them, you're coming to my fundraiser that I'm going to have for Curtis if he decides to run again, and we're going to raise money for you in Florida. Yeah, and not only that, you can actually see me, Valeria, do the hustle as I did in the disco era, in the after-hours clubs, in the mainstream clubs, with my polyester waffle-weave flame-retardant shirt, my bell-bottoms, my platform shoes, the Patty Duke, the bus stop, the bump. But, of course, every dance would lead to the hustle. And if you were a hustle king or a hustle queen, you dominated the dance floor. And a lot of guys, they just didn't want to dance. You know, they would sit on the side there. Uh, the women would get up. They'd be hustling with each other. And so I'd just jump in and start hustling with all of them. And then I'd notice uh, there were the eyes on my back. The Supreme Cousines were not at all happy with me. Feet don't fail me now. It's time to get my way out the back door, go to the men's room, and then disappear. Because they were going to give me a beatdown. 1-800-848-9222. That was Valeria, now in Pompano Beach, Florida, uh, gave us uh, a blast from the past. But think about that, that uh, 82-year-old woman, that voice coach, method acting coach, pushed to the ground, eventually died from her injuries. It's a white woman with long hair who's wanted for that, no mask on, should be clearly identified, but this is going on in so many neighborhoods. Right there in uh, Chelsea. And then up on 70th in Columbus, uh, a 92-year-old woman attacked by some Gabon, some guy uh, from Staten Island, emotionally disturbed. And then this uh, crime in Bayside, Queens, which never had shootings before, the 111th Precinct, which is right there on Bell Boulevard. In fact, I'll be there in Bayside for the annual St. Patrick's Day Parade. 
on March 26th, that's Saturday, my birthday. I'll be there with uh, Andrew Giuliani, my compadre Cheech, uh, Rudy Giuliani, as we gather up signatures so he can qualify to run in the Republican primary to become the next governor of the state of New York. That'll be a great parade. Uh, but that 111th precinct hasn't had a reported shooting at all this year. And you know what happened? There were 24 shots fired. 24 shots fired. Shot up a few cars. A guy was shot in the back of his car, taken out. And all of a sudden, the cops are hush, hush, mush, mush. Because those kinds of crimes are more memorable, believe it or not, than in those areas where crime is just unfortunately a normal occurrence. And this is all going on while our mayor is on a junket. As he says, he's going to bring his crime-fighting techniques to every urban area in America. It's like, hey, Eric Adams. Stop being out of town, Eric Adams, and do your job here. And if you do a good job, they'll want you there. Do you think maybe you should drive crime down here first? Crime in the subways up 100%. Crime in the streets up 68%. And not showing any signs that it's going to be going backwards. Unfortunately, it seems to be going forwards. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Carrie in Brooklyn Heights. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Carrie. How you doing, Curtis? You saw my wife when you were running for office on Court Street in Brooklyn Heights. You called for a while. I don't know if you recall it or not, but you know I was a member of that famous synagogue in Brooklyn Heights, but we won't talk about that. Um, no, also, I, I remember you right across from Brooklyn Borough Hall, which was the headquarters uh, then for Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams. I remember that, Kerry. Yes, that, that's true. And do you remember many, many moons ago, you held a fundraiser for the Guardian Angels, and you had an auction. And me, I, and my wife, when your sateen jacket and red beret, which I still have that, hanging in my closet, so I see Curtis Sliwa every day when I go to get my jacket. <laughs> and it's a great memory. Oh, and you and your wife were so generous uh, to our efforts. So generous, Carrie. Well, <clears throat> also, I have a little name for you. Try this out. Okay. The guardian angel of talk radio's witching hours, mm-hmm. Curtis Sliwa. I like it. Repeat that one more time. We're writing it all down as you say it, Carrie. The guardian angel of talk radio's witching hours, Curtis Sliwa. Now, now you are, uh, we're tabulating because we're getting all kinds of responses. Uh, they're texting, uh, they're emailing, they're sending it to WABCradio.com. Uh, they're calling it in. We have now, just in one 24-hour period, we're up to 222 suggestions Yours is the 222nd suggestion for a new name for the show ever since Frank Morano had a hissy fit and demanded that we no longer be called The Other Side of Midnight, the weekend edition. Can you believe that, Carrie? 222. Uh, what can you expect from a Morano? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> although, although I must tell you, Carrie, he is on a roll. He had two interviews back-to-back, belly-to-belly. Uh, oh, an unbelievable, uh, in which now they're talking about a potential Marconi Award. Paul Manafort, oh. 
Roger Stone, uh, it went viral all across the nation. In fact, uh, YouTube didn't like his interview with Roger Stone. They actually took us off their channel temporarily. And to their credit, our owner and operators and management circled the wagons in support of Frank Morano and said, no, 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 he did the right thing. This guy could be doing interviews on 60 Minutes soon. Uh, anything's impossible. Yep. Well, give give uh, your wife my best, your beautiful wife. I'll never forget. I was actually right outside of Brooklyn Borough Hall. Eric Adams was inside. At that time, uh, he had already won the Democratic primary. I was campaigning in that area. <laughs> it was so bothering Team Eric Adams that I would be right there campaigning in the shadow of Brooklyn Borough Hall, downtown Brooklyn. By the way, now that we're mentioning downtown Brooklyn, a few blocks away from Borough Hall is the Marriott Hotel, where the worst mayor in the history of New York City, and that's saying a lot, comrade Bill de Blasio, formerly the part-time mayor of the dope from Park Slope, and his wife Charlene are staying in the penthouse at the Marriott. While repairs are made to their house that they own on 7th Avenue and 11th Street in the heart of Park Slope. I still have not gotten an answer from anybody as to who is paying for that penthouse stay while supposedly their personal home is undergoing rehabilitation. I don't buy that one bit. 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Jim calling from Richmond Hill. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jimmy. Good morning, Curtis. Always a pleasure. Uh, I have a double hit, one hit wonder. Uh, if you can believe it. Hmm. 1970, there was a group called the Poppy Family called Which Way, a uh, song was called Which Way Are You Going, Billy? And the lead singer was Susan Jacks. And four years later, Terry Jacks, her husband, had a song called Seasons in the Sun. Oh, yeah, I remember that one. Two it one. I remember that one. Two it one. You don't remember Which Way Are You Going, Billy? Yeah, but I mean, think of it. You had the Kinks in 1970 release Lola about right. a man dressed as a woman. Uh, that was uh, that shocked the world, and that was not a one-hit wonder because obviously uh, the Kinks had made many good songs. But Spirit in the Sky was a one-hit right. wonder, and the Poppy family, I wasn't as familiar with them, but you're saying they had one-hit wonders also. Yeah, well, the, the lead singer was Susan Jacks, and her husband was Terry Jacks hmm. uh, from Canada. And four years later, he had Seasons of the Sun, which is a song I actually can't stand, <laughs> but it, it hit number one. But, uh, yeah, uh, so they were double. Well, I got to tell you, one. this is reminding me uh, so much of Canada. Takes us back when we were discussing the the fate, the plight of Joe Rogan, the podcaster. Uh, when Spotify was uh, at the time paying him a hundred million dollars, now apparently it's two hundred million dollars. And the person who uh, stood up to him was a Canadian, Neil Young, and a fellow Canadian, Joni Mitchell. And they were not one hit wonders. No, 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 no. Uh, they took off all their. Uh, their music from Spotify, and it led to uh, the entire Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, Stephen Stills, Graham Nash, and yes, the bad boy, uh, Cosby, uh, Crosby, uh, to pull their playlists. And that battle is still going on, although it seems like Joe Rogan has won. 
since he's gone from making $100 million to $200 million because of all that controversy. Ha! Imagine that. Double the amount of money he's making because so many more people began to listen to his podcast because of the controversy. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Robert in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Robert. Hey, uh, Curtis, I'm sorry. I've been holding on. Uh, Let's talk about Lola. Hmm. Okay, the Kinks song, which in 1970, as I said, shocked me, and I know a whole generation because it was the number one song, and it talked like a man dressed like a woman. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you mentioned something about the lyrics? Yes. Uh, uh, In fact, the uh, lead singer, uh, they had just recovered after being banned and performing on stage for four years because uh, apparently for raucous behavior. But the lead singer, he ended up having to fly 6,000 miles. Right. Yeah. Back to uh, Uh, London to do a voiceover of one line in the song if they hadn't done that because they didn't have the technology they have now, which you could have done it uh, from your bacouse, your bathment, your attic, your living room. But he had to fly all the way back to change that lyric. The BBC had a titty attack because of the, it tastes like Coca-Cola. Exactly. So Ray Davies had to fly back to London to change the lyric, you drink champagne and it tastes just like cherry cola. Exactly. Yeah, they couldn't use Coca-Cola. But going back to Lou Reed for a second. Sure. You know um, that uh, transgender uh, actress? Um, well, there's so many I'm now. Uh, I, yeah. I have, I, I have lost Dav- count. Ray Davies supposedly dated Candy Darling for a while. Whoa. But that's the same one, the same person that's mentioned in Lou Reed's Walk on the Wild song, side song. You know something, Robert? It wouldn't surprise me at all. They were all into freaky deaky stuff. I mean, that is freaky deaky. We've learned enough about Ray Davis, lead singer of the Kinks tonight, just from callers who had interaction with him. That would suggest he's more than freaky deaky. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go back-to-back, belly-to-belly from Robert in the Bronx to Steve in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Steve. Uh, it's Curtis. I got a uh, name for your show. Uh, shock to the system. Oh, shock to your system. Shock to the system. Oh. And what caused you uh, to suggest that? Well, it, it reminds me of a movie that Michael Caine did, in which he was just uh, a normal office worker. They they ripped him off, and he killed everybody that was in charge. So I feel you'll be, uh, you know, shake up, you know, shake up things for people. Also, uh, a couple of things, Elvis. There was he. There was one movie he did not sing it completely. Uh, the the, uh, 
the closing characters or the uh, song in the movie? Do you know what movie that was? No, I was, uh, to be honest with you, I was not an Elvis fan at all. I really didn't watch his movies, to be honest with you. All right. One of the, now, there was the last movie that Frank Sinatra did was for uh, NBC. It was called Contract on Cherry Street. Who was the main killer in that movie? The head of a big band. He died, uh, I said, about a year ago. Wow. Boy, that's a brain buster. Who is it, Steve? Jay Black. Jay Black. Jay Black yeah. and the Americans. Yep. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. He just recently passed away. Boy, that guy had some great pipes. Yeah, he did. Uh, one thing, a couple of weeks ago I called you, you know, since you were talking about the Godfather, about how uh, the guy got off the contract. And I told you the uh, the guy who wouldn't let uh, Sinatra out was Mitch Miller. You say you got to check on it. Did you ever check on it? No, to be honest, and we're going to go into some Godfather-esque uh, discussion up next. There are many people now on the 50th anniversary are saying, why Why are we glorifying the Godfather again, which romanticized the organized crime? Some other callers have suggested other movies, and we're going to take the temperature. But you say that it was Mitch Miller, right, Steve? Yes. Okay, and repeat that again so we can clarify it. We've got our fact checkers in the other room who are all asleep at this moment. Wake up out there! All right, in The Godfather, there was a part early on where the guy, one of the guys, Winston, there was two with Brando, and supposedly he wanted to uh, get out of the contract, and the guy, the producer, wouldn't let him out of the contract. So Brando sent one of his main guys and told them that uh, either his signature would be on the contract or his brains would be on the contract. And the guy let him out, let uh, the, the, the uh the singer out, and that was based on Sinatra. So I think it was Mitch Miller who didn't want to let Sinatra go, but finally he did let him go out. Yeah, uh, somehow, Steve, I don't believe that is true. Although our crack team of fact-checkers who are all snoring, cutting Z's out there, these young uh, whippersnappers, uh, you know, have uh, absolutely no discipline whatsoever. We're going to put them on that because in the next hour, oh, uh, We're going to do some uh, confronting of all of you who think that the Godfather uh, movies were the greatest ever made and those who have suggested other movies were far better because the moral of the story, the moral of the story, whereas they feel the Godfather's moral is that, oh, you had organized us to the mafia all wrong, uh, really wasn't as bad as it was made out to be because it was a romanticized version of organized crime, unlike Goodfellas, that was closer to the nerve. But there are other movies that people have suggested. These are the movies that people should watch. One that also featured Marlon Brando in a different kind of role. And one that featured both James Cagney and Humphrey Bogart simultaneously. Oh, we're going to get into all of that. And then we're going to source out this Godfather uh, situation once and for all, because there is uh, that group of people who continue to glorify it. And another group of people who continue to say that it led to a number of other Italian-oriented movies that just constantly glorified La Cosa Nostra and the Mafia and stereotyped Italians 
as being like associated at the hip with organized crime. But on that note, let's go to Gary and Inwood. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gary. Curtis, good morning. Just a little tidbit for you. A one-hit wonder singer. Are you familiar with him by the name of Curtis? No. Who is that again? Repeat that, Gary. One-hit wonder, a singer, and his first name is Curtis. Wow. And what is his last name? Lee. Reed? Lee, L-E-E. Curtis. Pretty Little Angel Eyes. Wow. Curtis Lee. And the name of the... Little Angel Eyes. Little Angel Eyes. Pretty Little Angel Eyes. Pretty Little Angel Eyes. I remember the song. Wow. Curtis Lee, One Hit Wonder. Now, uh, the other day, Gary, I was listening uh, to you. You were on with Greg Kelly. And you were telling him that in Inwood Park, near where you live, is a monument to where the Indians had sold the island of Manhattan to Peter Stuyvesant and the Dutch Reform for $24 in trinkets? Absolutely. Down the street from me, Curtis. It's a three-minute walk from where I am. And adjacent to the soccer field and the ball field is the boulder. And on that spot, at one time, was a giant tulip tree. So the boulder took the place of the tulip tree when the tulip tree died. But on that spot is where the Lenape Indians made that trade, according to that boulder. And which uh, tribe did you say that was? Lenape. Now, you know, there is conflict there. Because there are some who would say that was actually the Canarsie Indians. The Canarsie Indians, which at one time stretched from Suffolk County to Nassau County through Queens and Brooklyn and into Manhattan. There's always been an ongoing debate. Recently, uh, the Canarsie uh, Redskins, who are the uh, Sicilianos, uh, claim that they were legitimate uh, indigenous people, native Indians, and they were entitled to be able to open up a casino based on the federal rules and regulations of the Bureau of Indian Affairs. And this was nothing but a bunch of mobsters choking on their lobsters who happened to be Sicilianos claiming that they were the Canarsie Redskins. I remember seeing the Canarsie Indians. Uh, they lived on uh, actually uh, these uh, homes that were thatched that were on poles over Spring Creek in Canarsie that led to the dump years and years ago in the 60s behind the Seaview Bowling Alley where the Kentucky Fried Chicken Joint was, across the street where the projects. Oh, I'll never forget personally meeting those survivors of the Canarsie Indians. We dedicate this song to Valeria, who used to live there in Hell's Kitchen, Chelsea, aspiring actress, had to take a job attending bar at a gin mill. Somewhere between 8th and 9th Avenue, she told us that great song. She now lives in Pompano Lakes, but is part of a hustle group. And I don't mean those people who claim they have to have a side hustle because they can't earn enough money with their primary occupation. But actually, we're on the dance floor. 
during the disco era and have maintained the disco movement, especially those of us who are boomers, 55 plus. That's an era we'll never forget. And no doubt, this song by Gloria Estefan, Get On Your Feet, sort of epitomizes all that. I can't tell you how many times I'd be on the dance floor and I'd look at all the Gavones standing around, you know, with two feet. They thought it was unmanly to dance. They'd be sitting all there, you know, like wash women, uh, gossiping with one another. Meantime, I'd be dancing with their gals until uh, feet don't fail me now. Get me the hell out of there because it was too hot to handle. But too many guys, too many guys just didn't understand that, especially in the disco era, you could dance. You could dance. And uh, if you had the flow and the synergy, you could dance all night like a whirling dervish. But we're in the 50th anniversary of uh, what has been the glorification of the Godfather movies. Godfather 1, Godfather 2, and not so much for Godfather 3, that's for sure. Seems like it left a a lot of people uh, hurting uh, for more, but not after Godfather 3. But let's look at this, because a number of our hosts and hostesses, actually our hosts, Frank Morano, the other side of midnight, as you know, uh, we have beef with him uh, because uh, his hissy fit has caused us to have to get a different name for our show other than what it was. Since I came back from the mayoral campaign, it was called The Other Side of Midnight, the weekend edition. He decided, uh, oofa. And so he's the golden uh, boy now. He can do no wrong with his back-to-back interviews with Roger Stone and Paul Manafort that have put him in line to possibly win a Marconi Award, the most uh, precious uh, of uh, radio awards in the business. I might even uh, get him an opportunity to occasionally do interviews on 60 Minutes uh, like uh, like some, uh, some individuals do who are not part of the normal 60 Minutes crew. Uh, they were that good. And praise to our owner and operators, John and Margot Katsimatidis, uh, for taking uh, Frank's back because his interview with Roger Stone that went uh, viral, uh, including uh, the Paul Manafort interview, uh, was so good and so controversial. I don't know why. It's something that Roger Stone said, and I can't quite put my finger on it. But YouTube uh, has um, um, disconnected from WABC temporarily, uh, claiming that uh, we had violated their standards, whatever that was. I'm sure we'll be back on board soon, but... Instead of throwing Frank Morano under the bus, they put him on a pedestal. He can do no wrong. So naturally, he has a hissy fit, and now he gets what he wants. So we're continuing to look for a name for this show. And uh, you're all welcome to participate. We've had 224 make that. Some other suggestions have come in since our conversations on the radio. 224 suggestions uh, for a new show name. And they're all quite good, I might add. I may have to see if I can put together a focus group, a panel of respected individuals who know the radio business, who can help us boil it down so that by next Friday night, We have everything together 
and we're ready to launch the new name of the new show, even though it'll be on same time, same place as it is now. But there is a battle brewing here because on the 50th anniversary of The Godfather, the debuted, you may have remembered uh, the opening at the Lowy State Theater on March 14th of 1972, and then eventually for worldwide release on March 24th. That would make the uh, anniversary for worldwide uh, release this uh, Thursday. So many people have claimed that it is the greatest movie of all time. Others have said, and they are writing about it fast and furiously, that we should revile The Godfather because of the stereotypes that it perpetuates. And I would say that Greg Kelly, that you can listen to in the afternoons, great show from 1 to 3 here on WABC. Uh, he really has attention deficit disorder, which is great because he digresses and gets into a whole wide range of subject matters that I'm sure he wasn't intent on hitting to begin with, which makes it all the more interesting to listen to his two hours a day, 1 to 3, Monday through Fridays, because of all the twists and turns And how many times he goes in different directions you could never have anticipated. But apparently he is a Godfather trivia expert. On his uh, Twitter, uh, his Twitter account, he had all kinds of videos and quotes from the Godfather this week. Frank Morano fashions himself likewise. Probably none better than our own Rudy Giuliani that you can listen to Monday through Friday, 3 to 4, and then naturally Sundays before Judge Janine Pirro from 10 to 11. Uh, He has recited Godfather passages, even though he is the man who has busted more mobsters choking on their lobsters, uh, uh, the the most in the history of the Department of Justice, as the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District took out the five heads of the major crime families, except did not work on the Cuomo crime family or the Clinton crime family. Maybe, maybe that's in the future, not for Rudy, but maybe for other prosecutors. But anyway, put that aside. And then, of course, there's Frank Morano, who fancies himself as an expert on Godfather trivia, based on the fact that, remember, at the baptism, and we know there's got to be a baptism coming up for young Carmine, will he actually follow in the footsteps of Michael Corleone, who had the baptism at Mount St. Laredo, right out there in Tottenville, in the uh, south shore of Staten Island, where, remember, the baptism was taking place, and Michael Corleone, in a uh, Andrew uh, evilized Cuomo way, said, hey, it's time we settle all scores. Remember that? You think Frank Morano will follow in those footsteps because he's such a sickle fan, toady, and lackey of the Godfather? Godfather movies one, two, and maybe a little bit of three. Not so much. But speaking of Staten Island, there is someone out there even more of a contrarian than Frank Morano himself, more of a curmudgeon than Frank Morano. He has called this show many times, and he took on Greg Kelly and said, how dare you say The Godfather was the greatest movie of all times? He suggested one that I'm actually in agreement with him. My name is Bernie. I'm from Staten Island. There's a movie that's better than The Godfather. It was made in 1938. It's called Angels with Dirty Faces. 
It's a gangster movie. It's better than The Godfather. And people still talk about How dare you say that on this anniversary, the 50th anniversary, some crummy movie I never heard of. I don't uh, like I'm not buying this, Bernie. It stars James Cameron. I heard you the first time. I don't care. I don't care. Angels with dirty faces. That's a made-up job on your part, isn't it? No. I I don't believe you, Bernie. I've never heard about this movie. On the 50th, let let The Godfather have have its day, okay? Bernie. What's your problem? What's my problem? My problem is you're making up a movie that doesn't exist. Angels with... I'm only kidding. Maybe it does, and maybe I'll check it out. All right. I'm glad you put it on our radar. Angels with Dirty Faces featuring James Cagney. It's a mobster movie. Bernie from Staten Island likes it. How could we go wrong? Well, Bernie really rose to the occasion. He uh, stuck up for angels with dirty faces. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, the story was so pertinent to what we've just been talking about, Hell's Kitchen, where that 82-year-old voice coach, that method actor, trainer, was killed by that uh, white woman who is still uh, being sought. Full profile of her picture. She's not wearing a mask after she had pushed her down. And then eventually this woman passed away, a revered figure in that neighborhood. But the two lead characters, the whole story of Angels with Dirty Faces, is a great moral to this story. Great moral. And I, I want to applaud I want to applaud Bernie for bringing this to all of our attentions because there was no moral that came out of The Godfather. There's no Aesop's fable where, oh, wow, there was a moral to this. No, it was a glorification of organized crime. But with angels with dirty faces, no, it was different. And Bernie was right. In fact, let me give you one of the scenes here where James Cagney is in prison. He's doing three years. And of all people, Humphrey Bogart, who normally would play a wise guy, a thug, a gang member, was his lawyer. I'm pulling every string I can. I'm seeing all the right people, and I think I can get you off in about three years. But you drunk like I could do that three years in a handstand. It's a long time. That ain't no picnic. You be outside having a saw, but I know it's cushions. I know it's a tough break, Rocky, but I'm not going to mark time. I'm going to scout around, make connections, not only for me, but for both of us. You understand? Why should I take that for? There's no other way out. I'll be sensible. If they get me too, I'll not only be this bar, but they'll check up on my ball box and grab that hundred grand. You don't want to lose that dough, do you? All right, Fraser. It's my rap and I'll take it. But it's my hundred grand and I'll take that too the day I get out. Look, I know you're a smart lawyer. Very smart. But don't get smart with me. that i know you're a smart lawyer but don't get smart with me here it is james cagney is willing to do three years he said he could do three years in a state penitentiary on his head as long as a hundred thousand dollars was waiting for him so humphrey bogart i think his name was frazier that he was playing a lawyer and oh Oh, what a great actor Jimmy Cagney was coming off of St. Patrick's Day on the 14th. I think it was uh, Rocky Sullivan, right? Rocky Sullivan, I think he played in that. What was the uh, group of young people 
that the priest was trying to influence through the actions of through the actions of uh, Rock Rocky Sullivan, played by Jimmy Cagney, try to get them to go straight. Remember, both these guys grew up in Hell's Kitchen. One became a priest, one became a gangster. Who played the role of the priest? And what was the name of the young people who had shade on their face that the priest was trying to influence by having uh, Rocky Sullivan do something that was unimaginable for a tough guy to do? Let's see how good you are with the Curtis Sleewood trivia. Don't ask, don't tell. I'm so cheap. I throw nickels around like manhole covers. But if you get this, boy, you're good. You're good. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Pete, who's calling from uh, Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Pete. Yeah, I think it was the East Side Kids were the kids that were they were trying to straighten out. And I think it was Carl Malden that was the priest. You couldn't be more hopelessly right. Wow. You see, the dead end kids. Dead end kids, yep. Right. They were they were little little thugs. Because uh, the little thugs back then were the Irish kids, the Italian kids, the Jewish kids. Uh, and uh, James Cagney, they looked up to Rocky Sullivan because he was the, the thug of all thugs. And then uh, Pat O'Brien, the priest, was trying to convince him since they both grew up in Hell's Kitchen. Okay, you're in Sing Sing. You're going to sit in the big chair. You're going to be executed. He only had 10 minutes to live And there was no reprieve coming from the executive mansion in Albany to say Rocky would not be executed. He was facing the big house, the long walk. And he was the toughest of tough guys, remember? Yep. There was another movie that wasn't that popular. My cousin was in it. It was with uh, Ernest Bognine. It was called Pay or Die. It was about uh, the Black Hand. That was the mob back in the day. That was like in the 50s. And uh, that was pretty good. They don't show it too much. And my cousin was also in Pork Chop Hill. But what I was calling you about was with the Godfather, a relative of mine had an uh, extra part. But everybody knows him in the part. And the wedding scene, he had white hair and a white uh, mustache. He was, uh, his name was Frank Bianco. He lived in South Beach for years, and he got a part in it. And also my music teacher, Nino Morreale, he played the clarinet. And that was another in the part that everybody remembers him playing the clarinet. He was a wonderful guy. He was my music teacher at Newdorp High School, and he taught me a lot. He taught me how to play the drums and a lot of instruments, which I do like as a sideline. I don't do it anymore because arthritis set in. As you know, 66 years old, you start your fingers start to go. I can't even close my hands anymore. But I had a good run. Well, you know, you know what they do when you go to the. Uh... You go to get a pedicure, which I'm sure uh, sometimes you've gotten, Pete, and a manicure. They put your hand in that little bowl before they're ready to file your nails down. Uh, now that you have arthritis in the hands, uh, you can take a Bengay bath for your your 
your hands. You just put them in a little bowl of Bengay, and maybe you'll get a little bit of traction back. Wow, I'm going to try that out. I am going to, I've tried a lot of things, but I usually a jacuzzi and over at the Bogata, that's what has been a lot of help to me, but I can't do it that often. Oh, look, but, a, a poor man's, you want the poor man's jacuzzi, Pete, the poor man's jacuzzi, you go into your bacouse, your bathroom, you open up the porcelain palace, you put your feet in there, make sure your socks aren't on, and you flush it over and over. That's the poor man's jacuzzi. Ah, that's great. I'm going to try that. Oh, it's good. When your dogs when your dogs are barking, your feet are barking, and, you know, it's like, oh, just put your feet in the toilet, keep flushing. It has the effect of a jacuzzi. It's just that the water is not warm like a normal jacuzzi. It's really cold. Wow. And you were talking about one-hit wonders. I don't know if they would be classified as a one-hit wonder, but I became very close friends with him before he died. He died about a year ago. Pepe Cardoza of Alive and Kicking. They were a Brooklyn group, and they were originally given a song, uh, Crimson and Clover, by Tommy James and the Chantels. And then Tommy kept the song. That sold about three million records. And they gave him, uh, Tommy gave him uh, Tighter and Tighter, which uh, became a hit and sold over six million records. And these guys performed. They did the, uh, like, weddings and uh, concerts and stuff up until Peppy passed away. But now they're, they're finished. They're wow. Well, wow. now, Pete, you're a musical aficionado. You said you learned to play the drums at New Drop High School, right? Right. I actually played the drums because uh, on Saturday Night Live in 1984, they, uh, to, uh, Tommy Price, who I grew up with, he was a drummer. He learned under, uh, what's his name, that uh, Gene Krupa was his godfather, and he taught him. He played, he's in the Hall of Fame with uh, Joan Jett. Uh, with uh, for for her, her band, but he played with uh, Billy Idol, played with Blondie and stuff. He missed the flight, so they asked me if I because he told them he plays the drums. So they asked me, and I did the two sets. I did White Wedding, and uh, the other one was Rebel Yell. Oh and my God! Well, yeah. Billy Idol, you you did Billy Idol's two songs, Pete. Yes, I even did the yelling in the background. I, you know, like that. Now, so, was uh, uh, was he doing lines of cocaine between uh, songs, Pete? Well, you know what? I really didn't see anything on that. Yeah, Saturday Night Live, I mean, everybody did everything. But, uh, you know, back in the day, in the 80s and stuff. But uh, I didn't see that. But now, now when, 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 when you were at uh, New Drop High School, were you in the band marching up and down the field? No, I actually played football, so I couldn't do that. I was on the JV team. We actually beat Monsignor Farrell. They put me in at, uh, so that uh, Pat Brandefine, who was the star, he already had three colleges scouting him. So Sal Soma, who was the famous coach from there, he put me in the game like uh, so I would take the beating so that Brandefine wouldn't get hurt. <laughs> And we ended up we ended up winning the game. We were down by 16 points, and he put me in. And I didn't want to play. I wanted to hide. I mean, I was I was falling down like uh, when I, everybody came near me, you know. And I, they were going like, "Look at her," you know. Like the the team was hassling me, but we got lucky because we had nothing to lose. 
and we ended up pulling it off. We won by three points. Well, that's amazing because Monsignor Farrell at that time was the powerhouse. The powerhouse. They were the best. There was no doubt. I remember I played against them. uh, uh, It was twice when I played for Brooklyn Prep, uh, freshman uh, and JV. Both times they had an A squad, a B squad, a C squad, a D squad, all better than our squads. And both times as an outside linebacker, they broke my clavicle in my shoulder because both guards would pull and the tight end would pull and they would bear down on me 155 pounds and I'd try to crack back them. And the only thing I cracked was my clavicle twice. We played against you. I played, but I dislocated my hip because you guys were good. You guys were better than good. Matter of fact, put me right out of the game. But I came in to replace uh, Brandifying. That was like in 1982 or three. I'm not sure. Hey, Pete is reminiscing. He's got that leather helmet on. He was on the... He was on the bench. Coach called him in to take a beating, you know, so he could protect the star. And look... New Drop actually beat Monsignor Farrell. And now Pete will be reminiscing. It's like a lot of you old-timers, right? You had that one day on the gridiron, at one time that you starred, and you keep telling the story again and again and again. And I understand that. I completely understand that. But to be honest with you, the football team I was on, both as freshman JV at Brooklyn Prep, was lousy. I told you the story before. I was the flanker there. It was all Irish, right? All from the Rockaways. There was Patty Roach. He was the quarterback. There was Denny Farrell, the fullback. There was Coiny. Coyne, he was the halfback. And all they did was they played, uh, toss the football back and forth. I'm, hey, I'm out here. Throw to me. You're not Irish. We're not throwing to you. I don't think they threw to me one time. I was doing jumping jacks out there. Nobody around me because the other team, it didn't matter who we played. Monsignor Farrell. Uh, oh, we played uh, Stepanak up in uh, Westchester. Oh, we played, uh, oh, who is that? Uh, St. Agnes when they were out at Rockville Center where they had uh, the annual St. Patrick's Day parade uh, earlier on Saturday. And they all crushed us. And I'd be standing out there doing jumping jacks. Hey, Patty, you think you could throw to me? You go, no, I can't. You're not Irish. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Wait a second, let's go back to the curmudgeon, the contrarian, Bernie from Staten Island, who took on our own Greg Kelly and said that Angels with Dirty Faces was the greatest movie of all time because of the moral of the story. Here is that scene where the two guys who grew up with each other in Hell's Kitchen, the priest and the mobster, James Cagney, is talking with the priest just moments before he's got to go to the electric chair in Asning, in Sing Sing, old Sparky. Was at the last minute the guards dragged you out here screaming for mercy? Suppose you went to the chair yellow. Yellow? Hey, what's the matter with you, Jerry? He's been worrying about my courage. I know that. This is a different kind of courage, Rocky. The kind that's, well, that's born in heaven. Well, not the courage of heroics or bravado. The kind that you and I and God know about. Still don't know what you mean. Look, Rocky, just before I came up here, the boys saw me off on the train, Sophie and several of the others. Well, you can well imagine what they told me. Your father would tell Rocky to show the world what he's made of, and tell him not to be afraid, and go out laughing. And... Well, what do you want? I'm not going to let them down. That's what's worrying you. 
That's what I want you to do. I want you to let them down. You see, you've been a hero to these kids and hundreds of others all through your life. And now you're going to be a glorified hero in death, and I want to prevent that, Rocky. They've got to despise your memory. They've got to be ashamed of you. You asked me to pull an act, join Yella, so those kids will think I'm no good. You asked me to throw away the only thing I got left, the only thing I've been able to take away from me. You want me to give those newspaper substances a chance to say, another act, join Yella. But, Rocky, you and I all know that you're not. You're asking a nice little favor, Jerry. Ask me to crawl on my belly, last thing I do in life. I know what I'm asking. And the reason I'm asking is because being kids together sort of gave me the idea that you might like to join hands with me and save some of those other boys from ending up here. Not done, Joan. You're asking too much. You want to help those kids? You've got to figure out some other way. Well, it's impossible to do it without your help, Rocky. I can't reach all of those boys. Thousands of hero-worshipping kids all over the country. Oh, don't give me that humanity stuff again, will you? I had never that in a courtroom. Told everything I knew. Name, names. You had to load down the whole dirty mess. Now, what more do you want? What I've always wanted, Rocky. Straighten yourself out with God. Outside of that, I can't ask for anything else. Well, John. Wow. Ah, well, one of the greatest scenes of all time. So you have Rocky Sullivan, a.k.a. James Cagney, the gangster, on a murder rap, going to the big house, the electric chair, with just minutes to go. The reprieve has not come from the governor at the executive mansion in Albany. They're going to put the juice in his caboose. And the priest who he grew up with in Hell's Kitchen, who took a different path, says, no, act like you're afraid. The dead-end kids and others are going to be reading about, if you go there and you say something like, that's macho, maniacal, it's going to lead them on a one-way trip to Palookaville. Act afraid. First of all, let me uh, correct myself. I had actually uh, cited to one of the callers who said that that was uh, Carl Molden. That's incorrect. Let me take away. Hopefully we didn't give a uh, Curtis Sliwa baseball cap out, a WABC baseball cap out for that one, because it was not Carl Molden. I'm sorry. I was a little stung God. Who played the role of the priest who grew up with Rocky Sullivan in Hell's Kitchen, a.k.a. Cagney? Who was that priest who was in so many, so many movies? In that era. I mean, that was like, what a one-two punch that was. And ultimately, did did Rocky Sullivan, a.k.a. James Cagney, what did he do when they strapped him into the electric chair? Did he do what his friend, the priest, had suggested? Or did he go out like the thug that he was and threatening all the guys who had strapped him uh, in to the the big chair, the high chair, to put the juice in his caboose. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. What a great movie. Now, to me, that's preferable to The Godfather because there's a moral here at the end of this story, Angels with Dirty Faces. And I want to salute Bernie, who's probably listening right now. Somewhere in Staten Island, he is even more of a contrarian, more of a curmudgeon, as he has called us on many an occasion, more so than Frank Morano is. Although Frank Morano is also from Staten Island. Birds of a feather flock together. I asked you a lot of questions. I hope you can get it. We need to amend that. It was not Carl Malden who played the priest. 
from Hell's Kitchen. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But we're still in search of a name for this show. That we'll have to have one by next Friday, hooker by crook. What does that term hooker by crook mean? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. What? How was that term hooker by crook derived? Hooker by crook. Let's go to Isabel in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Isabel. Hi, Curtis. Um, I have two names for your program, for your great program. Um, one is conversing with Curtis, and the other is speaking with Sliwa. All right, so conversing with Curtis. I like that mm-hmm. CWC, that's the acronym, conversing with Curtis. Right. Or the other acronym, uh, SWS, mm-hmm. speaking with Sliwa. Right, right. That's very good. Now, that makes, oh, uh, I'm looking at the tote board here. Because uh, we are tabulating the number of suggestions that have come in by text, snail mail, that have come to our WABCradio.com website, to my email, to every conceivable social networking outlet that features Curtis Sliwa. <laughs> We're now up to 250 suggestions with your two, Isabel. 250 suggestions that we have to put before focus group and try to boil it down to one acceptable name that the suits, the markets, the muckety-mooks, the owners and operators of WABC are going to accept. Oh, good luck with that. But I want to I thank you for your contribution, Isabel. Thank you. You have a great show, great program. Thank you. Let's go to Joel in the Irish Riviera, Rockaway Beach. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Joel. How you doing, Curtis? The name of Brian. That's right. That's right. While I have the sound of the Ramones in my ear singing Rockaway Beach, Rockaway Beach, Rockaway Beach, you couldn't be more hopelessly right. Was that not well, one of the great performances? I got performance- one for you. I got yes, one go for ahead. you. Go ahead. What's the name of the church? What New York parish was uh, that shot in when Rocky comes back to the neighborhood and Pat O'Brien's directed in the choir singing? Remember that? Yeah, and then the the dead end kids are there, right? Well, I don't think they were in the choir. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. <laughs> they were pickpocketing and jostling and mooching and stealing. They were real street urchins, uh, Joe. Real street urchins. Exactly, but the church was in Brooklyn. That's your that's your clue. Wasn't that really a good clue? St. Brendan's in Brooklyn, not St. Brendan's in the Bronx. St. Brendan's in Brooklyn. Right now, St. Brendan's, uh, is that, uh, was that next to St. Brendan's High School in Sheepshead Bay? I'm from the Bronx. I'm not sure. I'm telling you, the, re- the-, the reason I ask is my oldest sister, Alita, went to St. Brendan's All Girls High School in uh, Brooklyn in Sheepshead Bay uh, in the 60s. Okay. And, uh, I went to St. I went to St. Helena's Business High School in the Bronx, and its nickname was the Oakland Raiders of the Archdiocese. <laughs> now, uh, let me ask you because you heard Bernie talk about Angels with Dirty Faces. I thought that was one of the greatest movies because of what it was trying to convey to young people at the time. Yeah, I mean, obviously, where you know he. You give up yourself for the better good of the of the world, right? Something like that. 
Do you remember, though, after uh, James Cagney had that sit-down in his cell with Pat O'Brien, who played the priest? You couldn't have been more hopelessly right on that selection. Do you remember what he eventually did, even though it seemed like he had totally rebuffed his lifelong friend from Hell's Kitchen, Pat O'Brien, the priest? He bounced the cigarette butt off the guard. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> and the guard, remember the guard said, I can't wait till they light you up in old Sparky. That's right, yeah. Uh, then there was another great line with him and the cop. The cop goes empty like he's trying to bluff the cop with an empty pistol. And the cop goes empty and uh, James Cagney goes, like your thick skull, copper. That's right. Oh, he was such a great actor. And then in that in that film, Humphrey Bogart is his attorney. Yes, he says, "Hey, I I can't give myself up because he was involved in the criminal enterprise." Uh, and all Cagney says is, "I'll do three years in the state pen on my head, but I want that hundred thousand dollars when I get out, or else." And you're right; the guy's name was Frazier. Wow, what a memory you got there! The luck of the Irish is with you, Joe. That, I always, that was always a big fan of that movie, you know? Even when they were on Saturday mornings, I would watch them, the Dead End Kids. Yeah, a lot of people seem to think that I was one of the Dead End Kids. Uh, you know which one? I wonder, I wonder why. <laughs> Wait a second here, Pat. I sound like one of the Dead End Kids. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, too bad you don't sound like the man. That's what you should be. Oh, and if a Rockaway vote, in which I got 95% of the vote out there in the ponds in Rockaway Beach, Broad Channel, Breezy Point, Howard Beach, I would have been the mayor. Oh, what a great movie that was. Because, you see, it told a tale. But none of you have figured out when James Cagney, they walk him from the cell to the big house to strap him into old Sparky to light him up in the electric chair and sing, sing, and arsening. Did he listen to his lifelong friend, the priest Pat O'Brien? Or did he go out the toughest guy in the world? What did he do, ladies and gentlemen? That was the turning point in the movie. They used tremendous creative license there, and all for the good. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But, oh... Then there was the picture that I would have chosen as the greatest movie of all time. Made in the year that I was birthed about the waterfront in Hoboken, Jersey City. What a great picture. It was Marlon Brando, not as the godfather, the romanticized uh, notion of the head of an organized crime family. They all jadrules, knuckle draggers, evil they should all go to hell without an asbestos suit. But remember, there was Marlon Brando, his Terry Malloy, dock worker, but also professional fighter. Remember this scene from On the Waterfront? My choice as the greatest movie of all time. How much you weigh, Slip? And you weighed 168 pounds. You were beautiful. It could have been another Billy Khan. That skunk we got you for the manager. He brought you along too fast. It wasn't him, Charlie. It was you. 
Remember that night in the garden, you came down my dressing room and said, Kid, this ain't your night. We're going for the price on Wilson. You remember that? This ain't your night. My night, I could have taken Wilson apart. So what happens? He gets the title shot outdoors in a ballpark, and what do I get? A one-way ticket to Palookaville. You was my brother, Charlie. You should have looked out for me a little bit. You should have taken care of me just a little bit so I wouldn't have to take them dives for the short-end money. Well, I had some bets down for you. You saw some money. You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. Instead of a bum, which is what I am. Let's face it. It was you, Charlie. Tell him I couldn't find you. What happened to his brother, Charlie? What happened to Marlon Brando's brother, Terry Malloy's brother there? And who played that part? And I am telling you, I think that was the greatest scene of all time. The music, the background, the fact that they were in that car, being driven by a mobster. Two magnificent actors in their prime. On the waterfront in the year that I was birthed, I can't look at that scene enough. It is so well done. And what happens in that car ride to Terry Malloy, Marlon Brando, and his brother Charlie? And who played the role of Charlie and what happened to him? What a great movie that was. And again, good triumphs over evil. When good men, good women do nothing, evil triumphs. That's why the moral of that story was so strong. Just like angels with dirty faces. What's the moral of the Godfather? There's no moral there. They romanticize organized crime. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Gina in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gina. Hi, Curtis. Curtis. Uh, James Cagney, he did what the priest asked him to do. He he played yellow at the end. That's right. You heard him, like, crying, right? Ah, yeah. Don't kill yeah. me. Oh, don't kill me. Yeah, he laid it on thick. He did. He he did a great job with that. And also, Curtis, St. Brendan's, I went to St. Brendan's Elementary School. It's located on East 12th Street. And Avenue O, and it's right next door to the high school. The, the elementary school isn't there anymore, but the church is beautiful, and it's on East 12th and Avenue O. Yeah, that's where my sister Alita went when we were living in Canarsie. And, in fact, her debate coach there was John Sexton, who uh, eventually went on to become the chancellor of NYU. Uh, he lived out in the Rockaways, a real Rockaway guy, and the guy who got me into Brooklyn Prep. He pulled every string in the book as their most successful alumni, got me in there, even though I failed the entrance test. You had to take a specialty test twice. I think uh, uh, I claimed that I had a mastoid ear infection for the first test. Can you believe that? (laughs) Well, you know, when I went to school there, the principal was Sister Alita. 
Oh, Sister Alita. Yes. When I was in elementary school student at St. Brendan's, that was our principal, Sister Alita. Was she uh, the mother superior there? Well, she was very uh, elderly and tough. Uh, I don't know if she was the superior. She may have been. I don't remember that. But I know where the goiter is located. You asked that earlier this evening. Yeah, what's that? The goiter is under your Adam's apple. Ah, the goiter. The goiter, you mean? Yeah. You you said you felt it in your goiter, uh, something that you talked about earlier that you didn't think was going to work out. That's right. That I feel it. Yeah. Well, that's where it is under the Adam's apple. Now wait a second. Does don't does doesn't women don't women have goiters like girdles? Well, <laughs> well, a goiter is caused by inflammation in um, the thyroid. So I think both sexes could get it. But I think we have a location for Adam's apple too. Except for the men, it protrudes. And the women usually doesn't. Now, why is that, uh, Gina? So Lola, we started out the show talking about the song Lola by the Kinks. A man dressed up like a woman. Uh, you would have been able to identify that it was really a man by the Adam's apple, correct? Usually, usually. But I know there's exceptions to the rule. Hmm. So a little bit of technology. You could actually look at a lady who has a protruding Adam's apple like a male would have and think, oh, that's that's a transgender, that's a transvestite, right? I don't know, but, but a woman's Adam's apple showing is not common. It's just not really common. Hmm. Gina, I hope you're right because uh, I can't find my goiter and you're claiming it's right below my Adam's apple. No, a goiter is caused when you have inflammation in your thyroid. If you don't have a goiter, it's good. It, it, it means your thyroid is working properly. So no wonder why I haven't been able to find my goiter. Be grateful. <laughs> you see, I was ready to go and get my annual colonoscopy and my endoscopy the same day. That means the probe gets inserted uh, upwardly and downwardly at the same time and meets somewhere in the middle of your esophagus. Well, Curtis, you truly are a specimen to be observed. That's true. But, hey, why, <laughs> why have pain twice, right, when you can just do it once? You get your colonoscopy, they put a probe in you, and you tush, you tuchus, it goes up. And then the endoscopy usually tries to determine if you have reflux or other uh, problems uh, in your esophagus. And they put it down. And imagine they meet right at the bottom of the esophagus and it's a. That's the way it was for me. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Phil in Connecticut. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Phil. Curtis. The actor in the car with Marlon Brando was Rod Steiger, and he got bumped off. That's right. Rod Steiger played a tremendous role as his brother, Charlie. He knew that by letting his brother, Terry Malloy, go, it was certain death for him because they drove him, remember, right into the garage, closed the garage, and that was it. He was killed. And I have two trivia questions for you. Sure. Okay. What famous movie 
was the only movie where three actors were nominated for Best Actor for the Academy Award in the same movie. Wow. So a threesome, right? Like the Three Horsemen. Which three actors were nominated uh, in the same year for For the the same movie? Right, the same movie. Not the supporting role, but for the lead actor, right? Correct. Wow, that one. You got me. Who? It was the original Mutiny on the Bounty, Clark Gable, Francois Tone, and Charles Lawton. And who won it that year? Victor McLaughlin for The Informer. Now, I should, you know, give me the three again in Mutiny on the Bounty. Clark Gable. Okay. Francois Tone, who okay. was married to Joan Crawford. Right. And Charles Lawton. Oh, Charles Lawton should have won that. I remember that. His role, he was evil personified. Uh, I mean, he re- you really understood why they had a mutiny. Okay, here's one more for you. Sure. The Bobby Darren song, Mac the Knife. There was a name of a woman in there who's an actual person, Lottie Linya. Who was Lottie Linya? All right, so let me go back. Bronx High School of Science, Bobby Darren. He had the leather jacket on from the Bronx, carried a switchblade, rose to fame. Uh, incredibly a fast ride uh, up, and then unfortunately uh, left this plane. And again, the name of the woman? Lottie Linya. Okay, and who was she in real life, right? Do you remember the movie from Russia with Love, the James Bond movie? Yes. With Sean Connery. Yes. She played Colonel Kleb. Oh. And, and Lottie Linya was the wife of the man who wrote the song. Wow. Wow, you are a wealth of trivia, Phil. And you see uh, Frank Morano, who does The Other Side of Midnight, Monday through Fridays, uh, 1 in the morning at 5, 5 days a week, 20 hours a week. He claims that trivia does not lead to conversation. And look, we had a whole conversation on a number of trivia questions you asked me. And now I have a name for the show. Okay. All right. I know this is going to be good because you were good with trivia. The Weekend Overnight Bulldozer. The Weekend Overnight Bulldozer. State that one more time because we have folks here who are a little special ed. It takes them a little bit of time to write it out, you know, with a number two pencil. You know, you would think, my God, this is so difficult. Please say it one more time, Phil. The Weekend Overnight Bulldozer. That's going to be in the mix, Phil. I promise you that. And I thank you for the incredible number of trivia questions you asked me in our audience and then was so quick to give us the answers. Thank you, Curtis. Our number is 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go back to the phones. It's Ross, patiently waiting on the line in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ross. Curtis, what do you hear? What do you say? What do I hear? I'm hearing you. What do I say? What's on your mind, Ross? Well, that was the line that they used in uh, um, Angels with Dirty Faces 
whenever they greeted one another, one oh. another you know, they'd say, what do you hear? What do you say? Rocky, what do you hear? What do you say? Oh, very but good. It was a gr- great scene, when, well, a great part of the film, when he was leaving his cell and on his way en route to the electric chair, one of the uh, police guards goes to take Rocky by the arm to walk him down the last mile, and he pulls his arm away from the guy, and he, the guard, he slugs him. And one of the cell, uh, one of the prisoners in the cell looks out of the cell, Rocky, and he goes, that's it, Rocky. He says, choose your own company. <laughs> <laughs> Great line. But um, to go back to Alive and Kicking, and this will be a little Brooklyn trivia for you. From Alive and Kicking, the keyboard player was a guy from Avenue I, great songwriter, Bruce Savannah. Played the organ Hmm. in that band. Bruce later went on to uh, play in a band called the Planetones with Kenny Vance from Jay and the Americans. They later on became Brooklyn Dreams. It was Bruce Sedano, a guy named Eddie Hokanson, and uh, a guy named Joe Esposito. Joe Esposito is now lead singer of the Brooklyn Bridge. He sang... Um, you're the best in the Karate Kid, and was the um, duet vocalist with Donna Summer in Brooklyn Dreams on the hit Heaven Knows. Bruce Sedano married Donna Summer and was her husband. Now, you know, uh, there was always that rumor that Donna Summers, who dominated the disco world, was actually a transgender. You know that. Uh, Yes, ridiculous. Ridiculous. She turned out to be a wonderful woman, a holy roller, right? An evangelical. Uh, Yes, she was a a God fearing woman and uh, she had a lot of class and she was a lot, had a lot of spiritual insight. And uh, in fact, her sister is a reverend as well and was a backup vocalist for her in the band. Why do you think that that rumor was so prevalent that Donna Summers was actually a man pretending to be a woman? You know, I tell you the truth, I really don't know. But they did the same thing with, I think, Lady Gaga. Remember, they said she was an Aphrodite. She was uh, the same kind of rumor went around about Donna, um, Lady Gaga in the beginning of her career. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, Aphrodite, which meant that she yeah, had that, both the uh, female equipment and the male equipment. That's correct. That's correct. Yes. But um, a lot of musical trivia came out of Brooklyn, man. Uh just uh, so many bands and so many talented people as like yourself there. You're doing a great job. I love the show, Curtis. I love it. Well, thank you. I I know uh, Kenny Vance uh, very well, the Planetones. In fact, Eddie and I studied acting together. Great guy. One of the nicest people I ever met in the business. Very nice man. Oh, very, very spiritual. Very spiritual. Yes, he is. Yeah. He actually uh, lived out there in the Rockaways right near the beach. He did. Love going to the Schwitz. You know, the Schwitz, the Russian and the Turkish baths. And then they beat him with those leaves or whatever the hell that stuff was. But the guy was so spiritual. What was that? Let me catch the echo of my mind. What was that song again, Ross? Looking for an echo. Looking Looking for an echo. echo. That would bring the house down when he and the Planetones would do that. Yes, Kenny also, that house he had in Rockaway, full of memorabilia. And Hurricane Sandy, it was almost biblical. He was away at the time. The entire place got washed away, yes. the house. 
he had gold records in that house. Kenny was the um, original music director of the first season of Saturday Night Live, music uh, produ- uh, director on uh, Eddie and the Cruisers with Michael Paré, who I studied acting with, too. And uh, he lost everything. And when I tell you, Curtis, I never saw a man. I mean, he lost everything but his car. And all kinds of pictures and things in the house, gold records, as I said. And when he was with Jay and the Americans, they opened for the Beatles in Washington, D.C. in 1964. But I never saw a man take such loss with such grace, with such poise. Oh, there's no doubt, Ross, he was a five-star top shelf and still is down in Florida. When the moon hits your eye like a bigger pizza pie, that's amore. When the world seems to shine like you've had too much wine, that's amore. Bells will ring, tingle-ling-a-ling, tingle-ling-a-ling, and you'll sing Vita Bella. Ah, in just hours, it'll be Dean Martin with his daughter, Dina Martin, after the two hours of Joe Piscopo, the Ramsey Subaru uh, Sinatra show. And then I come back on at 9 o'clock, take you to 12 midnight, and then it's the most requested, uh, most phoned-in segment of the 20 hours that I do over the weekend where WABC, the acronym stands for Always Broadcasting, Curtis, the Animal Welfare Hour with my wife, Nancy, Animal Rescuer Par Excellence, uh, who runs the Guardian Angel Animal Protection Division for our international organization. But uh, as we continue on this 50th anniversary of The Godfather, And I want to salute Bernie out there who took on our own Greg Kelly. In fact, uh, if you can, uh, if you can there, Bruce, uh, cue up uh, Bernie. That's uh, 52 here. Uh, Before we go uh, back to playing Bernie, who took on Greg Kelly uh, about uh, The Godfather and whether it was the greatest uh, movie of all time. It's interesting that the owner-operator of the Farrah's, I think that's in Midwood, not far from where Sid Rosenberg grew up, the pizza parlor there. I think the Farrah's uh, was known because they had that uh, fresh basil and olive oil garnish on every slice. I never was a Farrah guy, but the owner-operator who had worked in that joint since he came over from Italy, I think in 1959, lines around the block, all the hipsters and millennials. Oh, I got to pay $25 for a slice. <laughs> not my not my style of pizza, that's for sure. But a hardworking guy who passes into the hereafter. So it reminds me of how pizza is so important to our entire tri-state area. I mean, I've had great pizza in Jersey. Great pizza in the Little Italy in New Haven. Really good pizza there, naturally throughout the five boroughs of the city of New York. And then once you get beyond that, it gets worse and worse and worse. And then you got all these corporations, you know, with their franchises. Ah, cardboard pizza. 
about the slice of uh, some of these customized uh, pizzas, you know, with the guacamole on it, the asparagus on it, uh, what, the buffalo chicken on it. What, what kind of pizza is that? Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And let's uh, visit, revisit that cut. Where Bernie, the contrarian, the curmudgeon from Staten Island, took on Greg uh, Kelly. That's 62 there. 62. You got that, Bruce? Uh, Let's play it. My name is Bernie. I'm from Staten Island. There's a movie that's better than The Godfather. It was made in 1938. It's called Angels with Dirty Faces. It's a gangster movie. It's better than The Godfather. And people still talk about How dare you say that on this anniversary, the 50th anniversary, some crummy movie I never heard of. I don't like it. I'm not buying this, Bernie. It stars James Cameron. I heard you the first time. I don't care. I don't care. Angels with dirty faces. That's a made-up job on your part, isn't it? No. I, I don't it. believe you, Bernie. I've never heard about this movie. On the 50th, let let The Godfather have, have its day, okay? Bernie. What's your problem? Yeah, what's my problem? My problem is you're making up a movie that doesn't exist. Angels with... I'm only kidding. Maybe it does, and maybe I'll check it out. All right. I'm glad you put it on our radar. Angels with Dirty Faces featuring James Cagney. It's a mobster movie. Bernie from Staten Island likes it. How could we go wrong? And let's go to, I believe it's Bernie in Staten Island. Uh, Your turn to be heard here on WABC in response to how Greg Kelly treated your suggestion of angels with dirty faces, Bernie. Uh, Hello, Curtis. This is Bernie. I'm surprised that Greg Kelly never heard of that movie. I'm very surprised. Now, Bernie, uh, Bernie, do me a favor. Turn your radio down for a second. Turn your radio down. We're catching the reverb. It's bouncing all over the studios here, so we can't really hear you clearly. But you took on Greg Kelly, and you didn't blink. You didn't. You didn't retreat. No, I didn't. I'm surprised that Greg Kelly never heard of Angels with Dirty Faces. It's a very famous movie. I'm surprised that Greg Kelly never heard of it. And besides, it's important to remember that James Cagney was a singer and a dancer 10 years before he became an actor. And the the, the, uh, the hoodlum was a singer and a dancer. And he made a movie called um, Yankee Doodle Dandy in 1942, where he sang and danced. And I think... I think Cagney won the Academy Award that year for playing in that movie. He sang and he danced. Cagney was an actor who could play anything. An amazing man. Yes, he was. And I think, uh, if I stand to be corrected, Bernie, that he came from the Mid-Hudson Valley. Uh, uh, That's where he was born and raised? No. Uh, James Cagney was born on the Lower East Side. He came from a poor family. And in those days, uh, the Lower East Side was populated mainly by Irish, Jews, and Italians. And he fought when he was 13 or 14. He had fights with his uh, with his pe- people on the Lower East Side. And uh, he, he uh, was so good with his fists, he, be, he thought about becoming an amateur boxer. So in an interview with Cagney, shortly before he died, 
he said that when he was 15, he was so good with his fists, he would get up early every morning, and his mother saw him, and she said, why are you getting up early in the morning? How come you're losing weight? And Cagney said, I'm thinking of becoming a boxer. So his mother, his mother looked at him, and she said, can you lick me? So Cagney, who was 50, said, no, Ma, I can't lick you. Cagney, in his interview, said that was the end of his career as a boxer. Uh, now, Bernie, uh, what was that movie where he took the grapefruit and smashed it into the woman's face? That was called, that was the movie that made him. It was called The Public Enemy. He, he he put put the grapefruit into May Clark's face. May Clark was a, a famous actor in those actress in those days, and she became famous for that one scene. And Cagney, shortly before he died, in his interview said, "People remember him mainly because he died at eighty-six." Uh, Cagney said. People remember me for that one scene where I shoved the grapefruit in the May Clark's face. And he said, um, Cagney said, that was a piece of ad lib because they didn't tell the director that they were going to do that. They did it on the spur of the moment. And that's what people remember him for 80 years later. Now, when he passed away, as you said, at 86, where was he living at that time? Well, Cagney was born on the Lower East Side, and he viewed the movies, uh, which he came to late in his life, mainly as a uh, career uh, where he made his money. When the movie was over, he said in his interview, he would get on the train immediately and would go to upstate New York to Stanfordville, New York. It was in Dutchess County, and Cagney had a uh, home in Dutchess County. He lived. He originally lived in uh, Martha's Vineyard, and he sold that home, and he bought the home, the little home in Stanfordville, and that's where he died also, in Stanfordville. Wow, he so was Bernie, born on the Lowry Yeah, you see, that's why I thought Vernon... That he was from upstate New York in the Mid-Hudson Valley. Uh, see, Bernie corrected me. I took the constructive criticism, unlike Craig Kelly. Wow, he showed up Craig Kelly there. What a tremendous knowledge about one of the greatest actors of all time, Jimmy Cagney. And he's so right. The guy could sing. The guy could dance. Who could ever forget Born on the Fourth of July? How many times would we watch on Channel 9 when they would play the same movie five nights in a row. What was the name of that program when you would turn to Channel 9 and you would see Jimmy Cagney, born on the 4th of July, five nights in a row at the same time? What was the name of that show? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to the phones and all the way from uh, Nattyville in the heartland of America, Ohio. It's Jay. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jay. Curtis, what's up? How you doing tonight? Uh, I've had better days, but I will tell you this, Jay. 
I've been giving a lot of people slack tonight, Bruce, if you notice. I haven't been uh, taking them uh, to the Blackboard Jungle and letting them know what the Robert rules of order are about callers to the Curtis Lee Show. Never ask me how I'm doing because naturally I'm going to tell you. I've had better days. And never say, oh, thank you for taking my call because I've been soliciting all of you to call endlessly. Why would you be thanking me? You think, oh, I know who you are? No. And don't ever use the uh, euphemism, oh, first time, call a long-time listener. I've heard that so many times. It's given me cauliflower ears. Kabish, Kabish, Jay, Kabish. Yeah, I understand, understand, understand. Okay. But uh, anyways, that other guy, that the, the Frank Mooch macaroni guy, you know, what is he, running a cooking show, talking about frozen pizza? We ought to call him the Italian chef. Wait, wait, wait a second. Now, uh, what did you call uh, Frank Morano? Give me that name again. Frank the Mooch Macaroni. Yeah, he does mooch a lot of stuff. The Mooch uh, Macaroni. I like that. I like that. That that might be a new nickname that I give him. Yeah, he is. He, he's always talking about cheese, wine, pizza. Uh, you know, he never wants to buy from a franchise like uh, Little Caesars or anything like that. Oh, he has a heart attack. He would rather starve to death than buy from a franchise uh, uh, restaurant. Do you know that, Jay? Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. And he's one of them guys, you know, he's always telling you, hey, my aunt makes the best deviled eggs and egg salad. And you say, Frank, when are you ever going to bring that in? And he always forgets, you know. That's why he's Frank the Mooch. That's right. I like that. Instead of calling him the Mamaluke or the Mangalooch or the uh, Mashad, Frank the Mooch Macaroni Morano. <laughs> That's a good one. Got a good ring to it, doesn't it? Yeah. And, you know, he's never been to Cincinnati. I don't think the guy has traveled outside of the tri-state area, to be honest. I think, you know, Pennsylvania would be a long trip for him. Probably to the casinos up in the Poconos. But you got to tell you, he, 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 he couldn't find Cincinnati on a map, Jay. Yep. And, and what's all this frozen pizza talk? You know, I go to the coffee shop. The kids are drinking frozen coffees. Next thing you know, they'll be drinking, they'll be eating frozen pizza. You know, I want some hot pizza. I want some hot coffee. I want to wash my pizza down with a cold beer. They listen to Frank. These kids will be eating frozen pizza and warm beer. And remember, in Cincinnati, you're going to always put cheese on it. Uh, this is what Frank would like, chili with the cheese on top. <laughs> you know, yeah. as long as you put cheese on anything, Frank... The Mooch Macaroni Morano would eat it. Yep, that's true. I do appreciate it, Jay. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. In fact, uh, let's go there to uh, The Godfather because, again, we have all different hosts here who claim that they're aficionados on The Godfather Michael Baticic, Rudy Giuliani, no doubt about that. He's always classically quoting from The Godfather, as believe it or not, Donald Trump has done in his life, and as Barack Obama, all three of them. Although in the case of uh, Rudy Giuliani, remember, Rudy Giuliani put into jail the five heads of organized crime, all five heads of organized crime. 
even after Paulie Castellano got whacked outside of uh, Spark Steakhouse by John Gotti Sr. with his underboss, Semi the Bull Gravano, and their crew. And then he took out uh, uh, the replacement. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Now, I want you to listen to Greg Kelly as he talks with his callers about the Godfather. I don't picture the Godfather and Southerners, you know, that doesn't really go together in my mind. Gosh, oh my gosh. I played at my wedding the theme song to the Godfather. Everybody freaked out, little country town, and it speaks softly love. And it is a love song. It was the very first song we played. I think we have a little of it right here, Beth, in honor of you and your... Uh... And the other song is The Godfather Waltz, Come Live Your Life With Me. And we played that one, too. Well, that's very nice. So, a little tidbit on that. My f- that's it. That's the one we want to cry in. Now, why uh, this song? I mean, what did it mean to you? I love The Godfather deeply but it's another song no one can buy tomorrow no one can sell their sorrow but when you look into my eyes darling you'll always see love i will give you love come live your life with me wow isn't that amazing This woman had the Godfather played at her wedding in South Carolina. You know, I thought my uh, cousin, Joey G., the cheats from Howard Beach, was bad in that you would ring his his doorbell in old Howard Beach and it would play the Godfather theme. But she actually not only had the music played at her wedding, and it wasn't even the wedding song. No, it was this song. And she memorized the words. But wait. Then Greg Kelly starts talking about Clemenza. Do you remember, uh, Greg, what uh, uh, Clemenza said to Michael when they were practicing with the weapon and he left it loud? Why he left it loud? To get rid of any pain-in-the-ass bystanders. Actually, he says pains. Pains because it's like an Italian thing. That's why a lot of Italians love the movie because they mispronounce words that we hear in our neighborhood. How about what uh, 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 Duval said to uh, Sal Pezio, uh, the great fish, when he was begging for his life? Uh, wait, who was begging for their life? Oh, he said, for old time's sake, give me a break. For old time's sake, can't do it. Can't do it, Tessie, right? Sally can't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. It's great, great. And then remember, there was Godfather 3 that got none of the notoriety of Godfather 1, Godfather 2, but a caller did bring up Godfather 3. My favorite part of the movie is in Godfather 3 when uh, he turns around and says, just as I want to get out of here, they pull me back in. I remember that line. I, I didn't. Like I, I didn't like that movie. It was such a bust. It was so. It didn't look like The Godfather. It didn't feel like The Godfather. But it was an ending, period, to all of it. Yeah, they should have shot it in a totally different style, like truer to the first. Ver- I, 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 it was like a cartoon compared to 
Shakespeare. I just, I couldn't stand it, and it was a big bust. It was. In fact, why was it a bust, ladies and gentlemen? Why the Coppola not be able to recreate what was the uh, following that he had for Godfathers 1 and Godfathers 2 and Godfathers 3? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then the trivia question that is yet to be answered. First mentioned uh, on uh, the Greg Kelly Show that you can listen to every Monday through Friday from 1 to 3. It had to do with the FBI, the acronym standing Forever Busting Italians, reading the license plates. What's the license plate of the FBI's car that pulls up to the wedding where they bust uh, Jimmy Kahn's camera? Or Jimmy Kahn busts their camera. What's the license plate on that car? Nobody knows the answer to that question. Is that true, ladies and gentlemen? What was the license plate number on that car? When Sonny Corleone comes out, always with anger management issues, um, along with James Kahn. Happen to be Jewish, uh, but like our own Sid Rosenberg, uh, always uh, fancied himself as Italian. Interesting that this week... Sid Rosenberg is away. He's even California filming the Gemini Lounge. The Gemini Lounge. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. That's where victims got Khashoggi'd all the time. By guys I grew up with. Oh, yeah. It's Chris Rosenberg. Remember, that, that should have been the character that Sid Rosenberg played. This was the Jewish guy who pretended he wanted to be Italian, too. And then uh, there was uh, Patty Testa, Joey Testa, and Anthony Centaur. I mean, they were the killing crew and the leader of the crew. Oh, they would meet there in Troy Avenue, the Gemini Lounge. These are guys I grew up with, taught them stickball, ran the streets with them on 89th and J. And yet, here it is so many years later, they're recreating that in a movie. And our own Sid Rosenberg is appearing in that. I think it's a three-day shoot. I'm not sure. He's out there with Bo Deedle. Bo, who's been in uh, most uh, of the mob movies. God, when you talk about mob movies, there have been so many of them. Uh, from The Godfather. I mean, uh, just uh, look at the panoply of them. I'm thinking Goodfellas, Casino, Donnie Brasco, Married in the Mob, Prissy's Honor, Mafia Princess, Honor Thy Father. The Last Mafia Marriage, Wise Guys. Let me see. Oh, yeah, there was Analyze This. That's right, Analyze This. The Untouchables, A Bronx Tale, The Sopranos, Mafia, The Family, The Shark Tale, Mob Wives, The Many Saints of Newark, and Lilyhammer. Ladies and gentlemen, Sid Rosenberg, also a great interviewer, did one of the greatest interviews I've ever heard of all time. Who was he interviewing when he was talking about the mob movie, actually the TV series, cable series, Lily Hammer, 1-800-848-9222, and how odd of the location that it took place in, 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go, if we can, to, uh, let's go to Ted, who's calling from Forest Hills. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ted. Yeah, you always see me on Selfridge Street and Metropolitan Avenue. 
Ah, Austin Street and Metropolitan Avenue. That's right. I used to live there on a month of Sundays. So, yeah. Uh, it's a million dollar movie. Uh, it was on. It was on actually ten times a week, ten wow. thirty to uh, to nine. Then I think ten thirty to uh, eleven thirty or to eleven. Right. So it oh, was on it. twice. It was on Channel Nine. It was called the Million Dollar Movie. Uh, I remember they would have. Remember King Kong would be on like uh, for a whole week, and yeah, then yeah. then they would have. Um, uh, clearly, a Yankee Doodle Dandy with Jimmy uh, Jimmy Cagney on for a whole week. They, they would play the same movie over and over. Did you ever find yourself watching that same movie every night all week long? Uh, no, never. Uh, I didn't really care for the movies on that channel too much. Oh, you didn't? Mm-mm. Wow. What were you into instead of watching movies on Channel 9? Free movies, I might add. Oh. Whatever else was on at that time, uh, probably some uh, uh, variety. Ah, what were your favorite variety shows, Ted? Uh, well, uh, it was Ed Sullivan. If they had the Beatles on, of course. Oh, naturally, and, you uh, were a Beatles fan, right? Yeah, and then after the Beatles are the Doors, not not the Rolling Stones. The Doors are better than the Beatles. Ah, you like Jim Morrison and the Doors? Yeah, that they're. Uh, they're hot, hot as hell. Too bad he had to. Uh, he's buried in uh, Paris. Uh, I don't know, that's what happened when you overdo it. Now, hold on a second, Ted. You uh, subscribe to the theory that he OD'd and they buried him in a graveyard in Paris. When in fact there are there have been spottings of uh, Jim Morrison all over the world. You do know there's a whole website devoted to the many times that Jim Morrison has been spotted by his fans. Yeah, well, so so uh, as uh, what's the guy on a, in the middle of the night that sees flying saucers? Um, Art Bell. I can't take it. Art huh? Bell, the Looney Kazuni from Parts Unknown. Yeah, him, him, and the guy. No, the guy in, on your channel. He sees him. Uh, you mean Frank Morano? Yeah, yeah, he he thinks he sees him. Yeah, my. Yeah, no, no, and then there's Tupac yeah. Shakur. People have thought they've seen Tupac out there. Elvis Presley. Everyone thinks they still see Elvis Presley. But you're right, Jim Morrison of the Doors. Oh man, they were so good. Yeah, you could be. All our songs were good. Really hot. They just uh, the albums, terrific. Well, I tell you and what, light my fire. Nothing beats light my fire. Oh, that was great. L.A. Woman. I loved L.A. Woman. Ted. Right, uh, Alabama song. Yeah. Take me to the next whiskey bar. Yes. All great ones. Yeah, my uh, my wife Nancy. She loves. She loves the Doors. Jim Morrison, even though he he supposedly died before she was even birthed. She loves Jim Morrison and the Doors. But there are some people who think that Jim Morrison is still alive. By the way, Ted, oh. uh, stay on the uh, phone right here. Camelia will send you uh, your booby prize uh, because you did guess that it was the million dollar movie. And ladies and gentlemen, okay, how, many, how many of you would stay up and watch the same movie five times during the week on Channel 9, the million-dollar movie, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, as Ted had described, although he said they played it twice a night. I don't remember that. I remember the once a night. 
1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I remember seeing King Kong. How many other movies were like regular movies that you would see on the Million Dollar Movie? Free movies. You make your own popcorn at home. And you'd watch the same movie five nights a week. 1-800-848-9222. Old man, look at my life. I'm a lot like you. Look at my life, I'm a lot like you were. Such a good song, such a good song. I think uh, we'll uh, play this song in honor of Bernie of Staten Island, who lit up Greg Kelly. On his show Monday through Fridays from 1 to 3, Greg, uh, like uh, Michael Baticic, Rudy Giuliani, and Frank Morano, declaring themselves uh, experts on Godfather uh, trivia. Bernie said, what do you mean, Godfather? Angels with dirty faces. With uh, Jimmy Cagney and Pat O'Brien and the Dead End Kids as uh, a better, better movie. Let me hear that. This is in honor of Bernie in Staten Island. He's a contrarian. He's a curmudgeon, just like Frank Morano from Staten Island. That's our tribute to, to Bernie here. In the meantime, as we continue to go through the laundry list of Godfather-related topics, this is the 50th anniversary. And remember, it all debuted on March 14, 1972. Uh, the premiere was at Lowy's State Theater right here in Manhattan. And then on March 24th, it opened up nationwide. I preferred uh, On the Waterfront... Uh, Marlon Brando's role there as Terry Malloy taking on the mob, as opposed to the Marlon Brando who romanticized uh, the mob with his portrayal of uh, the Godfather and the Corleone, the patriarch of the Corleone family. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Pam in Orange County. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Pam. Hi there, Curtis. Um, How long did you have to wait to see The Godfather in line? Wow. To get into the movie. Uh, I didn't go when it premiered, uh, and I believe that I saw it not in uh, New York City. I believe I was in Miami Beach at the time. Because I lived in Fort Lauderdale at the time, and it, I think it was at least two-hour wait. Wow, so you were online in Fort Lauderdale, right? Right, and I didn't tell my one boyfriend that I got to see it, so I got to see it twice, and I stood online a couple hours both times, but I didn't care. But it is my favorite movie. And um, also I wanted to ask about 
Frank Morano, you were talking about how he sort of, when he goes to the restaurant, he sort of slurps stuff and um, doesn't act um, too dignified or whatever you want to say. I don't know if I can say this, but I would call him a cafone. You, uh, you know, d- just say that again. I mean, he's a discredit to Italians because you don't act, you don't act like that, you know. You mean uh, being a schlemiel and a schlamazel? So he slurps uh, the tortellini in the broth. Uh, he, right. he fishes out all the tortellini with the spoon, and then he he gets as much of the chicken soup as he can, the broth, and then he tips the uh, bowl. And naturally, he slurps it, but he's a schlamazel because then he gets it on the sweater. He's always wearing a sweater. He's like a guy in the Midwest. He always wears sweaters for some reason, Pam. Mm-hmm. But I just, you know, I have called before, and I'm just hoping that I know he might get that Marconi award, but I'm just hoping that he gets off the air because I just can't listen to him. But Pam, Stop. Pam, you, you, you need to, and I'll tell you why. I, I need you to do me a favor uh, because uh, at nights when I'm not on the air here in the weekends, I'm leading guardian angel patrols out because the subways uh, have such uh, bad crime problems. Crime is up in the subway 100%, even though we have a new mayor, Eric Adams, who claimed that he was going to be the law and order mayor. He's too busy going on junkets. He was right down there, not far from Fort Lauderdale this past week with the crypto monsters and the uh, ripoff artists and the profiteers in Miami instead of being here. But the reason that you and others must listen to Frank Morano four hours in the mornings, one to five, five days a week, is to rat them out to me to let me know what's going on, Pam. Please, please. Oh, but that's torture. Oh. Well, look, marriage is torture, right? Mm-hmm. And how many of us have been married and we've had to put up with it because it's a form of torture, right? But we, we do it because we have to do it, Pam. Right, but this uh, I hope that we can rat him out and get rid of him. <laughs> no, no, you're not, because he has been nominated for a Marconi Award. This is one of the most prestigious of all I, radio he, awards. He probably got all his friends to vote for him. I don't believe no, it. No, no, in fact, uh, right, he had the interview with Roger Stone, who lives right down there, you in Fort Lauderdale. That's where he was going to the Swingers Club with his wife, right in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, and then he had the interview with Paul Manafort. Uh, it got attention all over the world. In fact, it was so controversial with Roger Stone that YouTube removed us from their channel playlist, WABC. And instead of management and ownership rejecting him, Pam, they rallied around the Frank Morano fa- uh, f- uh, flag and patted him so hard uh, he has to go for a chiropractic adjustment uh, because of that. Oh, I know his ego. Oh. So anyway, I hope that maybe you can take, get back your rightful place and, you know. Well, you know what, uh, Pam, right now he's the golden child. Uh, he can do no wrong here at WABC. Ever since he scored that daily double, those interviews with Roger Stone and uh, Manafort, back-to-back, belly-to-belly, he's an untouchable here at WABC. You can't even mention his name. God forbid. Oh, my God. You know, he's an untouchable. But I will tell you this. 
I don't know if he knows this, but he was supposed to do an interview earlier the week for the special that WABC put on for the St. Patrick's Day Parade. And he was supposed to interview Jerry Cooney. And I took over that interview. He, he doesn't know this. He, was, uh, he has a device at home because he's watching uh, his son Carmine during the day so his uh, beautiful wife Rachel can go out uh, and work as a journalist. So he is able to do that with the technology at home, although he comes into the studio when he does uh, The Other Side of Midnight. So he's on his Omicron. He's ready to do the interview with Jerry Cooney. And then I took it over from the studios here at WABC. Oh, man, was he mad. Because, you know, this is the go-to guy. If an interview needs to be done at WABC, it either goes to John Katsimatidis, who makes news all the time with his interviews. He's the number one guy in terms of the interviews. Followed quickly by Frank Morano, who is now Coney Award for his performance this week. Man, you can't even say two words to him. You know, he's just... He's up there in rarefied atmosphere. You need an oxygen tank to be able to get up where he is now in the radio world. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Julio uh, down uh, in the schoolyard in Phoenix, Arizona. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Julio. How you doing, uh, Curtis? I like the uh, the song. Is that Simon and Garfunkel? Is that who uh, sings that song? Julio down by the schoolyard? Yes, uh, and I hate Simon, and I hate Garfunkel even more. <laughs> you know, I've heard that all my life, and I know I know how you feel. Yeah, so you mean you've been haunted by people thinking that you were Julio down by the schoolyard from the uh, Simon and Garfunkel song? Absolutely, absolutely. So... But, uh, yeah, I was calling. Uh, I want to give you a suggestion about your new show or the name of the show that uh, you're taking uh, suggestions for. Oh, absolutely. Uh, first of all, though, I want to ask you, uh, I'm not uh, familiar with the phrase teach when you refer to Giuliani. What does that mean exactly? Well, now it's interesting because uh, you live in Phoenix, Arizona, right? Yes, sir. Were you born and raised there, Julio? No, no, no. I'm from El Salvador originally. Came to the U.S. in the 80s. Right. And how are you listening to WABC right now, Julio, from Phoenix, Arizona? Through your app. Good. Online. Good. So listening on the app. Well, I'll tell you what. With so many Italians from organized crime in the Witness Protection Program, they've been sent to live in Phoenix, like Sammy the <laughs> Bull Gravano, who was sent to North Phoenix, he was installing pools while his wife owned a restaurant there. Is that right? Wow. Yeah, so there are a lot of Italians that have been sent to both Phoenix and Tucson. In fact, Joe Bonanno had been sent to Tucson. It's become a haven uh, for a lot of uh, members of organized crime. And the Kumbada Cheech is, as I call Rudy Giuliani, who I'll be substituting for on Monday from 3 to 4, my Kumbada Cheech, you're not related to them by blood. So he's not my cousin. He's not my uncle. He's not my brother. But he's so close to me that I would take a bullet for him. That's what it means. Oh, so that would be like uh, saying my compadre if you're uh, Latino, Mexican. Exactly. Same thing. 
Very good, very good. So, I guess my suggestion for the show would be uh, overnight, join overnight with your Kumbarachich, you know, uh, or the Sliwa. But you wouldn't even have to say your name because everybody would use that phrase. They know exactly who the, who, you know, they're talking about. No one else I've heard you would use that phrase on the radio but you. That's true. I basically uh, have it lock, stock, and barrel. It's like my trademark. Uh, when I refer to Rudy Giuliani, the greatest mayor the city of New York has ever had, as my Kumbadi Cheech. Absolutely. And I would, you know, you hear that radio, that phrase on the radio, you'd be, oh, I know who they're talking about exactly. So Frank Marano would be, uh, would not be able to replicate or steal that phrase from you. You would have that all lock, stock, and barrel. That'd be all you. Oh, that's that that's that's brilliant. Now, by the way, how many years ago did you leave El Salvador and come to America? Nineteen eighty-one. And what? Well, that was right after the Civil War, there, right? That's right. Absolutely right. What was that like in El Salvador, a poor, impoverished country, to have a civil war in which you had two sides? You had, obviously, communists on one side, and then uh, for purposes of description, I'll call them nationalists that we supported on the other side. Well, you know, at the time I was uh, pretty young, so uh, I do remember some of the things that did go on there. like uh, for instance, going to uh, going to school, sometimes you would find uh, you know severed heads on the side of the road or dead bodies like strewn dogs on the side of the road by the curb, and you would just kind of just kind of look away and you know carry on, go to go about your business. Uh, hopefully, it was nobody that you knew about, but uh, that was kind of the thing you know back then, living back then, or. You could be uh, having dinner with your family, or, you know, at the table, and then you would see uh, you would see and hear gunshots. Sometimes in the sky, you would see tracers, you know, that, that kind of thing in the middle of the night. And uh, you know that there was a lot of a lot of stuff going on at the you know at the time there. So you would you would just kind of oh, okay, another shooting, you know, that kind of thing. So it, it, that's about some of the things that I remember. Have you been back to El Salvador since? Myself, no, but part of my family has many times, actually. And what do they say goes on there now? You know, uh, it's interesting that you you asked about that because you were talking about uh, Mayor Adams trying to to go to the crypto route in New York. I believe the uh, president of El Salvador right now is trying to get the country to go crypto, all of it. So it's it's that kind of thing is going on right now, but uh, it's a lot mo- it's a lot more modern than when I was there. Obviously, there's a lot of uh, uh, American style restaurants and that kind of thing, businesses, and uh, we use the dollar over there now instead of the the money that we used to use back then, the currency. Yeah, well, Julio, Julio, uh, the I call them the crypto uh, gangs, white collar criminals. <laughs> That's right, yeah. yeah. Who, who have descended on El Salvador and convinced you have a very young president in El Salvador now uh, to, right. to, to try to make that the crypto uh, capital of uh, Central America, South America. 
But when you begin to start looking at some of these people who are investing in Bitcoin and crypto, you say, oh, my God, they're, they're like uh, white-collar criminals extraordinaire. They're, they're like ready to rip off anybody who invests in crypto or Bitcoin. Yeah, I don't know a whole lot about that. And I, to be honest with you, I would not, uh, I would not invest in any of that myself. Yeah, now, uh, when you were down there, you left at what age? I was about uh, 12, 13, roundabout. Uh, I remember dealing with uh, many of the refugees from the Civil War in El Salvador and Los Angeles because many of them went there. And they were being uh, bullied and taken advantage of by the Mexicans uh, because the Mexicans tended to be bigger and had been there longer and so the El Salvadorians would come in and they would take work anywhere they could get it. And a lot of times the Mexicans objected because the El Salvadorians would do it for even less money than the Mexicans would do it. And so that, that's how MS-13, this gang came about, is you had the Mexican gang, 18th Street, preying on the El Salvadorians. And the El Salvadorians, uh, the majority of them, a lot smaller. They weren't as large. They weren't as big. They didn't obviously... And know the lay of the land in L.A., so they formed their own gang, MS-13, and now you know the rest of the story. Yes, sir. Yes, yes, I do. It's sad, actually, pretty sad uh, what's happened over there with, with that part of the uh, the culture over there. I tell, I, I tell you how totally obsessed they were in the gang culture. Again, it was predominantly very small, very diminutive. Uh, by themselves, they would put fear in nobody. But I remember I was patrolling the ramparts with the uh, Guardian Angels. This is before it became trendy. Melrose, the ramparts in L.A. And MS-13 was just dominating. And this little El Salvadorian guy came up behind a Guardian Angel and slit his throat from ear to ear. We had to stem the flow. He was bleeding. We grabbed this El Salvadorian guy. We pounded him. I mean, we pounded him into the concrete like he was a pile driver. Knocked him completely out. And this guy was wow. still trying to fight us, even though we, we just kept pounding him. Uh, and because he had earned his his stripes, you know, this was like the ultimate in machismo. But, boy, I, I yeah, looked in his eyes right there and I said, this is going to be a treacherous gang. And, boy, they've spread all across the nation. In fact, they have outposts all across the world. And it all started from the El Salvadorians, refugees, like we see in the Ukraine now, but because of a civil war, and started the gang to protect themselves against the Mexican gangs in Los Angeles. Yeah, they're they're pretty ruthless, I hear. You know, I uh, like I said, I haven't been back over there, but I've heard stories about them. Uh, they they stop at nothing. They'll do any and everything just to uh, get their way. So I agree with you. Well, you know, the most interesting thing in a Latin American community, if you go to the nearby Western Union or the other places where you could send remittance home to your country of origin, whether it's El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, Mexico, wherever, is that most of the money goes out of America to those countries. Phoenix is the only Western Union that gets most of the money coming in from Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, Mexico, because that's where a lot of the coyotes will bring the illegals. 
They'll house them there, and then they'll call the family back in Central America or Mexico and says, hey, by the way, you better send a few more hundred dollars because we're not bringing them the rest of the way to Chicago or to Minneapolis uh, or St. Louis or wherever it is they were destined to go. So you actually have more money being sent to the Western Union in Phoenix than leaves. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. They hold uh, people over here hostage until they uh, they receive their payments, if you will, and then they are uh, let go to wherever they're going. That's true. Well, I appreciate it. Feel free to call anytime, Julio. Originally, at the age of 13, fleeing El Salvador at the time of the Civil War and then establishing himself in Phoenix and listening to us in the app in the middle of the desert there now, the fastest-growing urban area in America is Phoenix. Thank you, Julio. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Suzanne the Man in Washington Heights. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Suzanne the Man. Oh, this is Curtis Sliwa. Yes, here I am. Uh, I, had a, I had a Godfather 3 comment, but also three Frank Morano complaints that have been driving me insane for years. Which you... <laughs> Frank, do you want the Frank Morano or the Sofia Coppola? Yeah, well, one, let's right? uh, let's deal with Godfather Three first. Uh, okay. <laughs> she was one of the reasons I think it was such a nightmare that movie. It's just this rambling, incoherent thing. But she sounded like a valet girl the whole time, and calling Michael Corleone Dob. And by the end of the movie, when someone finally shot her in the stomach. She's standing there. My friend in the silent theater said in her voice, "Dob, I'm like." And everyone in the audience burst out laughing. We were so, I said, where was that guy two hours ago? We could have used him to shoot her and get her out of there. But the Frank Morano stuff, you didn't like it. Um, first of all, he he talks like a verbal SAT. It's just irritating to listen to. I have a good book. Oh, I like that. I like that. Frank Morano talks like a verbal SAT. Oh, yes, that. to show off his vocabulary constantly. Also, you could raise a family between clauses of a Frank Morano sentence. Oh. Also, oh. you can leave at clause one, come back to clause 19 with the kids from college. The, the other thing is, oh, God, I hope he doesn't start doing this again, because I almost went down to the station to strangle him to death. He calls maple syrup, maple syrup. And finally, I found out why. He said, because, oh, there's a river in maple or something in Moby Dick. I never read Moby Dick. Um, and I knew he did. He probably did that to get a girl to say, "Oh, you had where's that from?" So I read Moby Dick, and he would get some play. And the third thing he does is say France. Everything else around him is he doesn't come from Staten Island. He just that one word. It's like a one word chevalier. He suddenly says Paris, France. I said, "Why do you say France? Why don't you say España and Italia?" You know, I mean, it just drives me crazy. He drives me. He gets me so aggravated. I can't believe he's going to get a Marconi Award. No, no, he's, uh, Suzanne, this is the most prestigious award in the radio business. Many, many years ago, uh, I was nominated uh, when my partner was Ron Kuby, whose mommy is a commie, uh, but we lost out. We lost out to a guy from KGO, a guy named Ron Owens uh, from San Francisco at that time. Originally, he was on uh, WABC when they were taking syndicated radio, which was a real mistake when they first flipped from spinning stacks of wax, uh, top 40 to all talk. They had Ron Owens out. He beat uh, me and Kubi, and then I was never nominated again. But Suzanne, because of these two interviews, back-to-back, belly-to-belly, first of Roger Stone, and then the, the next day, Paul Manafort, 
They were so well received that not only was he nominated for Marconi, YouTube removed us uh, from the channel and our management and ownership rallied around Frank Murano, basically put him on a pedestal. He's now the golden child here. And I believe that you will see that he's probably going to end up maybe doing an interview or two for 60 minutes. Like sometimes, you know, they have a guest interviewer come on. He's got a favorite. Radio. No, no, look, 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 he's an untouchable now, Suzanne. He's an untouchable. It speaks to the paucity of radio now, I think. You know what I mean? Since so corporatized. It's just, oh, my God. Something else he doesn't want to strangle. I can't remember what it is now. Oh, he says Connecticut. I'm like, will you stop saying that? He drives me insane with into this. Yep. Just, uh, no, no, I know, I know what you mean, but you know, Suzanne, all of these comments would have been accepted by management like uh, two weeks ago. Uh, we could have all piled on now. It's sort of like it falls on deaf ears. They, they, they've actually said, Suzanne, that Frank Morano is the future of talk radio. Oh, my God. What? The future oh God. of talk radio. He's the anointed child. He's the golden calf. He can do uh. no wrong. He wanted to get a monocle, too. He has that Roger Stone thing where he thinks he wears like a cummerbund and a tarasol vest and suspenders and Congress gaiters and a monocle, but it doesn't. You can put all, you know what I mean? That's horrifying. You know, uh, we're going to continue on that Suzanne, the man from Washington Heights, she went through a litany of things that Frank Morano does that really are unnerving to her, and I know many of you. So, uh, yeah, Frank Morano, when he speaks, uh, it is like a verbal SAT, right? Uh, but that was a good line. That is so... And you know something? Speaking of SATs, it's harder to get your SAT scores than your birth certificate, and you know how difficult that was to do. But the schmuck to punch, Chuck E. G. Schumer and Elliot Spitzer, always claimed that they had perfect scores on their SATs. And I thought SAT was the acronym for Saturday. You know, you take the SAT test on Saturday. Your mom gave you two Sharpen number two pencils and two Hershey bars for energy. Didn't help me. But the schmuck to putz, Chuck E. Schumer said he got 1,600. Spitzer said 1,600 perfect scores. And I've tried to check it. It would be easier for me to get Barack Obama's birth certificate than the SAT scores of you, anyone else listening all over the world now, in Canada, throughout uh, 38 states and parts of Europe, it would be almost impossible. So you could say anything as we continue.
It's uh, my favorite, my wife's favorite, Nancy Ed Sheeran. Bad habits. You get a chance, you got to watch the video that comes with it. Absolutely outstanding. Five stars, top shelf. And uh, it's all about people's bad habits, which uh, always get them into double trouble, that's for sure. Always get them into double trouble. As we round into our last hour of the six-hour extravaganza of uh, this show that we have to come up with a new name for because Frank Marano, the golden calf, uh, the untouchable, a man who may well be winning a Marconi Award for the back-to-back, belly-to-belly uh, interviews he did with Roger Stone and Paul Manafort. They went viral all over the world. Uh, he had a hissy fit and decided he didn't want these two mornings on the weekends to be called The Other Side of Midnight, the weekend edition. So it's our job to come up with a new name, and we've got a date now. It's been established. It's got to be locked in by Friday night so that uh, all the folks who work behind the scenes can put together all the schematics to make it the regular feature of what this show will be called. And we're approaching 300 suggestions. They're flowing in fast and furiously on Facebook. They're coming in on Instagram. They're coming on uh, some of you uh, twits who use Twitter are tweeting uh, it in. Uh, Some of you have sent snail mail. Some of you have uh, gone online at WABCRadio.com to register your suggestions. It's an incredible array. Many of you are calling in, not just to this show, but other shows. And the the phone screeners, uh, like Camellia here, are taking the information and then adding it to our list. We're approaching 300 names that are going to have to be sorted through, put before a focus group. Uh, once uh, Matt Meany, the program director, uh, Chad Lopez, the capo di tutti, the general manager, of course, John and Margot Katsimatidis, owners uh, of uh, Red Apple Media, our parent company here of WABC, and others who will make the final judgment so that when I begin the weekend of broadcasting, ABC always broadcasting, Curtis, the 20 hours, We will have that new name locked in when I come on the airwaves 1 a.m. on Saturday. But remember, I still got quite a bit to go this weekend. Uh, Within a few hours, I'll be on with Chris Hahn, the other side of midnight. Uh Not the other side of midnight, you see. I'm getting obsessed with that, saying that, because I won't be able to say that soon at all. May even make reference to it. Uh, but it's left versus right, Chris Hahn versus yours truly, 3 to 5 today. And then in quick succession, I come back 9 to 12. And then the most highly rated of the 20 hours that I do, the most requested, the most called into, the Animal Welfare Hour, uh, featuring my wife, Nancy Sliwa, who is the animal rescuer par extraordinaire and the director of the Guardian Angel Animal Protection uh, Division. You can get more information on that at guardianangels.org. That's guardianangels.org. And by the way, you can go to the Facebook uh, section of guardianangels.org and see uh, the article that was written by The Sun in which they sent a reporter and a photographer with me and the Guardian Angels as we were on the number four train. 
uh, as we are every night. Uh, from 125th Street up to Fordham Road, where I first started in 1979, just going back and forth, walking through the cars. The transit police do not patrol the moving trains. And we were running into problems, car after car after car, culminating in finding a 74-year-old woman. Her name, Mary Reeves. She was from Atlanta. She was homeless, riding the number four train back and forth from New Lots in East New York to Woodlawn, the Irish, uh, uh, the mini Dublin area, last stop on the number four train. In fact, they had a a St. Patrick's Day parade earlier on Saturday on McLean Avenue. And a 74-year-old woman who had been a, a teacher, a college professor, a lawyer, Got robbed of all her money, all of her ID. She was on the train. She was homeless. She was penniless. So lucid, so intelligent. Great conversation we had with her, and nobody would help her. We did. You can read all about that on the Facebook uh, page of uh, the Guardian Angels. Go to guardianangels.org. May have been the best article that actually captured what we do on a regular basis because we're dealing with the emotionally disturbed. We're dealing with the homeless. The city uh, has a plan, although, to be honest with you, we haven't seen much of it. Uh, Mayor Eric Adams is too busy going on his uh, junkets now as he's, I don't know what the hell he was doing in Washington and then Miami with those uh, crypto uh, profiteers and then in Chicago. (laughs) <laughs> which is the crime capital of America. <laughs> hey, got to clean up New York first. Crime in the subway is up 100%. Crime in the streets is up 68%. He's going off on a junk, a jaunt, a junket, trying to teach other cities what they should be doing. Uh, we got to do it here first. But anyway, let's continue. It's been a night devoted to a lot of Godfather memorabilia because this is the 50th anniversary this week. But more importantly, talking about other movies like Angels with Dirty Faces, starring uh, James Cagney and Pat O'Brien. The the moral of the story there with the dead-end kids, how important. And actually, my all-time favorite, On the Waterfront with Marlon Brando and Rod Steiger, in which uh, Marlon Brando was not a romanticized, uh, organized crime figure like he was in The Godfather, but actually battling organized crime as a dock worker. Terry Malloy was also a boxer. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Giuseppe calling from Newburgh. The Camden on the Hudson. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Giuseppe. Good morning, Curtis. Yes, Joe. Are you there? Yeah, loud and clear. Great. The Camden on the Hudson. Come on now. You were here in Newburgh uh, quite a few years ago. I remember you came up to the gym, the boxing gym. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And uh, not that bad anymore. It's bad, but it's not Camden on the Hudson. Okay. I I amend that. You have a nice waterfront. You got a lot of uh, uh, restaurants, gin mills, clubs down there. But unfortunately, further down Broadway, as you pass uh, Sitco Station after Sitco Station, it gets uh, it gets pretty deep. Uh, okay, uh, so enough about my wonderful city of Newburgh. Uh, I just want to say, uh, listening to you tonight, I decided to give you a nickname, uh, and that is the Cat Man with nine lives. 
the cat man with nine lives. Okay. Absolutely. Now, you do realize I've used up uh, 11 of them, so <laughs> I only got one to go. And we've got to get permission from our owner and operator, John Katsimatidis, because he was the original cat man. That was his nickname and still is. No, I didn't know that. Yes. Oh, when he ran for mayor himself in 2013 in the Republican primary. Uh, I remember that. Yeah, he ran against a guy named Joe Loder, who had been deputy mayor for Rudy Giuliani. Uh, and it was the cat man because people could not pronounce his last name. You know, Greek names, they go on forever. Uh, it took me a few years before I could get the correct pronunciation. Margo, his wife, had to keep uh, teaching me Katsimatidis, Katsimatidis. Uh, but the people couldn't pronounce it, so they just truncated it to the cat man. Well, thank you for explaining that. I love that. Yeah, so I'm going to have to ask permission. Uh, the cat man, because I have nine lives, I've used eight of them, and i got to really keep this one uh, in abeyance uh, because uh, I, may need, I may need it in order to survive. Well, you, you'll, uh, he'll, he'll grant you that. Just ask him. All right. I promise you. I promise you, Joe, in Newburgh, excellent suggestion. New nickname nickname for me, Catman, because I have uh, nine lives. I've used eight of them, as many of you know. But I don't want to bogart our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, who is a great talk show host in his own right. In fact, coming up at 8 o'clock, he'll have on the golden uh, calf himself, potential McCartney. Mark Marconi Award winner Frank Morano, who will join his roundtable discussion uh, for a half hour. A lot of local issues they'll discuss before John begins interviewing quite a few of the news uh, makers uh, the rest of the hours until he gets to 10 o'clock. And then it's Mike Wombaticic, Rudy Giuliani from 10 to 11 before Judge Janini Piro from 11 to 12. And by the way, I will be substituting for Mike Wombaticic, Rudy Giuliani. On Monday from 3 to 4. Well, let's go to Sal in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Sal. Johnny Katz has been meeting with Bo Dito and uh, Eric Adams has put up Riker's eyes. What kind of an imitation was that? What was he? Uh, what was Sal? Uh, Sal? What was his name? Sal Manila? Now, that's the one disease I never had, Salmonella. Never had that. Although I know he lives out there in Bay Ridge somewhere, Salmonella. But, boy, you know, with Sid Rosenberg out this week uh, performing uh, in the movie The Gemini Lounge, something I know quite well, I told uh, Sid, you might as well have been Chris Rosenberg, the wannabe Italian, just like he is, uh, who ended up getting whacked, I might add. Why? Because he stole money from the Cubans down in Florida. And then the audience came to Gambino's, hey, you got to kill Chris Rosenberg. And they did. These are cold-blooded killers. I grew up with them. Joey Testa, Patty Testa, Anthony Stentor. Hey, they could show you at least 50 victims or more at the Gemini Lounge on Troy Avenue. By the way, uh, I'm not sure what role Sid Rosenberg will play, and I believe that... uh, Bo Dito has a cameo appearance also. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Gene, in fact, in Bay Ridge. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gene. 
Let's get Gene uh, there. Eugene. My name is uh, Eugene. I, I, I apologize. Eugene from Bay Ridge. Okay. No, that's from Kiss. You remember that song? From Kiss? No, I was never oh, a member of the it. I was never a member of the Kiss Army, but uh, related to us. All right, Warriors of the Wheels of Steel. And listen, Curtis, you were talking about the Marxist stuff, all right? Yes. Listen, you're talking to a guy who was in Mean Streets, um um down on Pier seventeen, met Jerry Orbach, Christopher North, that was in uh what was that show? After the Bronx Tale. You look in the Bronx Tale racetrack scene, the guy in the back of Eddie Mush waving the paper up and down in the suit. All right? That's one of your guys right there. Wow. Okay? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And back in the day when I was in the lion dance, right on the thing, the days of Barkley Tot with everything. But I feel as good as good today. Good. Know? How old are you, Eugene? Hey, 57. Hmm. Ah. It, 57. Now, how long you lived in Bay Ridge? I don't even know if I'm 20. Uh, Bay Ridge? Yeah, how long you lived in Bay Ridge? Well, let me see. I I was born uh, 64 in Crown Heights, and uh, I used to occupy all around the place, and uh, I've seen it over and over again, along with everything else. Huh? Well, you've certainly had... that That was from... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Eugene. No, that that was after I was born in uh, what Crown Heights, and uh, when I moved, I what I lived on Canarsie Road for a while, and then uh, went around or whatever, and uh, never left until uh, 2002. Wound up going to Jersey and hitting Pennsylvania with five acres over there, rented to the wrong person, and uh, went back to Jersey and came back here. Man, you along t- with a bunch of bunch of motorhomes, dirt bikes, and everything, and guns. Never hunted, fed the deer. But uh, you know, I had uh, I counted some Billy Badasses. Excuse me, uh, but uh, that I'm still mad at to this day. Yeah, who, I go through who, that who, all the time. Who, who, uh, give me an idea of who you have anger management issues with. Oh me? Oh anger management? Oh well, with the with the unjust, unruly people that when you go out of your way and uh, sometimes you start to bend a little sideways, let alone backwards, to do the right thing and be a good citizen, this and that, and they take advantage of you, mm. stuff like that. You yeah, know? and then uh, you know, then you know the yeah, then then, then it just seems to me that it gets your ire up. It gets uh, you get you get oh, your blood yeah. boiling. Yeah, these little things, you know, I think about them 30 years later, you know, I could have, would have, should have said this, this, that, why didn't I, went and bother, maybe because I'm a Libra, you know what I mean, or something like that. Uh-oh, uh-oh, that means uh, as a Libra, you never forget. Oh, forget about it, it drives me nuts, you know. Wow, so you remember, you, got, what do you, what do you, you remember things from 30 years ago, shoulda, woulda, coulda, and it obsesses you to this day. No, but I focus on on the great things that happen, which they always do, and uh, that's more on the positive. Little, you know, not letting the negative seep in because you ain't gonna do nothing about it. It's another day, right? Oh, they, absolutely, yeah, absolutely right. Now, what, what, where did you it's deposit a- all those guns you had? Oh, I wound up selling them back. I was, you could say I basically rented them. You know, I bought them, shot them up. This uh, became a small arms expert, reloaded a couple of shells, and uh, that was that for that. Now, uh, Gene, what am I going to do with them? No, I understand, what but do do? what exactly did you shoot, Eugene? What did you shoot? Oh, I shoot anything but uh, something living, okay? Ah, I see. So, like, clay, clay pigeons and, you know, cans. Yeah, yeah. 
That yep, exactly. But, Three uh, down in Calverton, go down in Calverton. I used to go down there, you know. And I never never I shot anybody, morning. never shot anyone on two legs. No, not yet. No, no. I whoa, 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 whoa. what was that? Not yet. Whoa, well, hold on, G. No, you, you, G. You said not yet. What do you mean by that? Well, what do you want to do? You want to uh, 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 go from uh, from the t- from the bottom up or the top down or whatever? What are we all looking at in, uh, sometimes in, in this thing over here? We want to get into that looking at everything. Like I know, that. but you let's know face saying? it, Eugene, you have thought about shooting somebody, haven't you? Because it says somewhere in a, a, a very nice book I had, paraphrased, the living uh, uh, whatever, from Chicago or whatever, there's a time for everything, this, that. We're the only things there. Everything else is dead. It's from what we're standing on. You understand? But it's put there. Very nice thing. And uh, no doubt, you know, uh, you have to look at, you know, you have to up to up to the sky. I yeah. know, I know. But let's face it. From time to time, Eugene, yeah. I get the sense that there have been people in your life. If you had had a gun in your hand at that moment, you would have blasted them into the hereafter. Oh, yeah, you know, this guy, you know, coming on my property, renting my property, and then taking my things, my lawnmower after, and, you know, hunting when I'm feeding animals and stuff like that. You know, I mean, it's very easy, you know, that these are our friends, you know what I'm saying? What are we, somewhat homo sapiens, you know, we come a long way, you know, with all these things. Yeah, yeah. I had a problem with that. What did you you have a problem with, Gene? Oh, with that 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 Fosse I heard about that time with the monkeys, whatever. And I told you about that thing, the faces of death, whatever. That movie when they hit the monkey, and oh my God, forget about it. That was horrible. That was horrible. Like that stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah it turns my you know, my wife's stomach. She she's so upset when when she hears about that kind of movie. They had faces of death one and faces of death two. Ugh, forget about it. I just saw a little bit of the first one. I had it. I saw those movies back in the day. Golden and Globus with the Chuck Norris and all the movie, all the I was watching the other day with a seven ups of car chase re-edited. Excellent. I got to tell you, you mentioned the two Israeli brothers, uh, Golan and Globus. Uh, They had contracted Uh to do a Guardian Angel movie uh, at that time. It would have been uh, directed by, at that time, the hottest uh, director. He wanted to be a producer. Uh, in Hollywood, he, he was the director of Rocky, the director of the Karate Kid, John Avelson, and uh, Kent, uh, and next door, next door to me as I was in Century City, they had a whole building there. Uh, remember that uh, Golan and Globus, they were called Canon Films, so they had right. n- next to me uh, the, the Texas Ranger himself. The man who took on Bruce Lee, you remember in that famous scene, Enter the Dragon, at the yep, end. Yep, my, uh, my, uh, the school I went to, um, uh, what is it, Sifu Frank Yee, down on the corner, down top of the diamond thing, whatever, back then. And I was in a parade. I was in the line, Hungar. Yeah, Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris. He had he had all the pictures from from the uh, movie from Bruce Lee. Uh, what is it, Bolo? Yeah, yeah well, Chuck and Norris, right? He was friends with him. I felt this big. Yeah, with everything. Yep. No, 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 no. Look at it. Yeah, there's no, there's no doubt about that. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it could have been. And then all of a sudden, Chuck Norris is in the other room. He's breaking up furniture. He's with one of the. Uh, uh, the brothers, the Israeli brothers, because they had gone bankrupt and his uh, check had bounced and he broke up their office. The other brother was with us trying to explain that they had just gone Chapter 11. He had a run in there and Chuck Norris just 
broke the whole place up, broke the whole place up, Gene. Wow. The what was that? That was um uh that was the movie um Code of Silence you're talking about. He yeah. went in the bar, no? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm telling you, telling you. Wow. Lucky I did an intervention there. You know Gene wanted to shoot somebody. You know he's got those guns. There's no doubt about it. I can tell when somebody's got a trigger figure. Finger. Finger. And they're ready to uh, go hunting. And Gene wasn't talking about going up to the Poconos going hunting for deer. Oh, no. Remember when I said, hey, you're looking to shoot somebody with two legs? And he slipped. Remember he said, yeah, maybe. And then he went on. Lucky I did an intervention. God only knows who would have got clipped out there. I recognize that voice. This guy, I'm telling you, off the hook, unhinged. Sneak up, sneak up behind you, you would never know. Pop, pop. Down you go. You're sucking concrete. You're, you're bleeding out. And then a guy like Eugene, he goes and he has a cup of coffee in the diner across the street, bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. He watches you bleed out there. The EMTs come, and it's like nothing. See, I, I attract them all. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Linda calling from Whippany, New Jersey. Uh, your turn to be heard here on WABC, Linda. Hi, good morning, Curtis. I have a name for your show. Oh. It's um, Cur- Curtis Under the Stars. Curtis Under the Stars. Boy, that would fit on a marquee, the Ed Sullivan Theater, with Stephen Colbert does his show from. I think uh, we could actually have him evicted, and we could call it the uh, Ed Sullivan Theater. We won't change that, except no more Stephen Colbert there on Channel 2. We'll turn it into Curtis Under the Stars. On WABC, your place to be. Thank you. That would be good. And I also want to say to you, yesterday you had a very rude caller. He kept calling you a stooge or something like that. I wanted to smack my radio. You, sh- you should have, Linda. You look, you, you got to understand. Ladies and gentlemen out there, I understand you get so angry. You just want to smack that old-fashioned uh, uh, terrestrial radio that we have. Feel free to do that. Feel free to get, get that anger out of your system. You don't want to go to sleep with that anger percolating inside of you, Linda. Yes, I did. I wanted to take my uh, two radios, one's a transistor, and just throw it across the room. And I don't know why you didn't hang up on him from the from the beginning. He no, was so no, rude. I understand, but that's, that's my role here. I got to take not only the good, but the bad. But Linda... When you're listening to WABC, do you listen to it on one of your radios, your trans, uh, uh, your radio, or do you listen to it on your transistor radio? I listen to it on my the uh, old-fashioned radio, and I listen to it on my transistor because I like to move around the house and take you with me. This is what I want you to do, Linda, because this helps me. In this ratings battle against, uh, because we're a show with no name now, and now I have to go up against Frank Morano, you know, the golden child. He can do no wrong, the untouchable. Uh, he's gotten phenomenal ratings, the best ever at WABC overnights. When you listen to me, 
Monday, not excuse Monday, uh, when I'm on substituting for my Kumbhati Chief Rudy Giuliani, three to four, turn both radios on. And whenever I'm on, turn both radios on because then I get credit in the ratings for two radios at the same time, Linda. That's a good idea. Maybe I should buy a few more radios and have them all scattered all over the house. Yeah, in fact, that's what my Aunt Mary used to do. She lived in Howard Beach. Uh, I was on in the mornings at that time. It was Angels in the Morning. I was on with my, now which wife was that? Let me see, one, two, three. Four. Oh, number two. Number two, that was uh, uh, Lisa Evers. And uh, my Aunt Mary, I said, Aunt Mary, how many radios do you have in the house? She had seven radios. I said, could you turn them all on when I'm on in the morning? Because then I'll get credit for seven radios listening to me. And she did that. And then my cousin, Joey G., the cheech from Howard Beach, her son-in-law said, what, what did you do to Ma? She's listening to seven radios at the same time when you're on. I said, because that increases my ratings. Sounds like a plan. Got to do it. Got to do it, Linda. Remember, I got to try to catch up to Frank Morano. Yeah, well, I think you're ahead of him anyway. No, not in the ratings, you see, unfortunately, Linda. Unfortunately, he's got a jump start on me. A jump start. Remember, five mornings, one to five, Monday through Fridays. Our number is 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Rick Patiently, waiting on the line in Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Rick. Good morning, Curtis. Uh, Just another two two things. I got my two fingers up. Sure. one, another name, Midnight Madness with the Hawk of New York. That's another thing. We've got to get your titles out, not just the name. You know, this Hawk of New York, we've got to push that. And the King of New York, I didn't know you became the King now. We've got to push that, too. I so, like that. Now, if you, if you had to choose one of the two, what would it be? Well, I think the Hawk, because the King has been used so much. Put the Hawk of New York and then have a squawk of a Hawk. Ah! You know? I like that. Uh, a little sound yeah. effects. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And it gets your name out there. You know, That's right. It, it Basically, it's like my form of propaganda. It, it, it works on the subliminal mind. You start oh, hearing absolutely. that. You hear the hawk. Uh, and then immediately yeah, you, th- you, you think Curtis Lewa. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. I, I gave you an edge of midnight last week. This one is the uh, Midnight Madness. Midnight Man. Okay. These are excellent suggestions. I I want to applaud you, Rick, and everyone else. We're over 300 suggestions at this point. We'll probably have others before I get off the airwaves after the animal welfare segment, 12 midnight to 1, Sunday going into Monday. Then I got to turn over the microphones to uh, the new new nickname for Frankie the Mooch Macaroni Murano. (laughs) All right, now I got my second finger up, so don't 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 hang up. All right, you ready? Yes. All right. Have you ever tried natural highs? Uh, you, you talked to me once about you tried every high in the world. Have you ever tried the natural highs? A natural high. What would that consist of, Rick? Well, me and I, I started the thing with a friend. Well, first of all, I'm not adverse to real highs. You know, uh, let's get that straight. But natural highs, you can get them too. And one I use is called fire and ice. We would go to like well, it was one day for us. But you order the biggest, coldest shake you can get, and you order a sandwich or a chicken or whatever, and you drown it. I mean, you drown it in the hot sauce. So when you're eating it, it's dripping off your mouth. And you eat those the hot sauce until you just can't stand it any longer. Then you suck down the shake with two straws so you get too much at the same time, and you get a brain freeze. 
Then you go back to the chicken right away to get rid of the brain freeze. And when you're burning up, you go back to the shake for another brain freeze. So your brain freeze hot, brain freeze hot. When you're finished, you got so many endorphins in you from, from all that torture. You, you feel like you just ran a marathon. You know, you get that runner's high. It's amazing. Rick, you sound like a real masochist. No, 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 no. I, well, wait, if you're hurting yourself to feel good, I don't know what I'm asking. Yeah, no, AJ, isn't that uh, what the, uh, uh, isn't that what uh, you told the madam there when you went for your SM, S&M appointment there? <laughs> Come on, don't do that to me. Well, no, I'm just asking you because, let's face it, many guys who pay all kinds of money to have somebody whip them, uh, normally you would get arrested if you did that, but if you pay for that, you know, that's considered a gratuity. Uh, you I, 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 I used to bounce for Hellfire, I know. Oh, what went on in Hellfire? Oh, my God. Curtis, I'm still in therapy. I can't be talking about it. I'm trying to forget these things. Wow. So you, you mean it was uh, the, the whips, the change? It was amazing. It was amazing. It, 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 it was just amazing. You, your wildest imagination and then turn it up to 10, you know? It was insane. Wow. And all of that went on behind the doors of what club? The Hellfire. For a while there, I worked for Plato's, and then and, and the Vault, and, you know. Wow. Now, did you ever see Roger Stone at Plato's Retreat? No, no. But um, uh, Two Tall Jones helped me out once. Two, these two, mumble- two yeah, Tall two Jones from the Dallas Cowboys? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in there, and uh, two Mamelukes had given me a, a problem at the door, and my partner was out that night, so it was just me. And, and Too Tall comes through the door into the lobby, and he's so tall, he had to, he had to duck his head so that the, the, the ceiling fan didn't hit him, you know? And he comes out like a, like a giant, and he goes, uh, Rick, any problem here? And the two guys just looked at him and said, no problem at all, and just walked out. I said, thanks a lot, Mr. John. I appreciate that. Now, it's... Uh... Two Tall Jones there to sample uh, some of the uh, flesh? Well, you, you know, it was like it was like anything else. You go there to be seen, not to in, not to interact, you know, like at the Studio 54. You, you just wanted to be seen. It didn't mean you were doing coke and all that, but you wanted to be seen with the people doing coke. Ah, so Two Tall Jones would go to Plato's retreat. I got to assume that some of the women just looking at his... Oh. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're already naked and ready. Yeah. Wow. So Two Tall Jones walks in there. He's totally naked. No, no, no. Stop. He's not totally naked. He was clothed. You didn't have to get naked. Oh, uh, uh, I see. Yeah, no, he, he, he was a looky-loo, you know? I See, I'm trying to imagine this theater of the mind, and I'm saying to myself, oh, my God, Two Tall Jones. Yeah, no, he, he, it was the place to go. You know what I'm saying? Like the Hellfire, a lot of those people that were in there, they they, they weren't into S and M. You know, Madonna would come down there and hang out and stuff. It was just the, the the craziest place to be, so that's where they wanted to be seen. You know, and uh, on a night going into a morning like this, many of them would be getting out of there like four or five in the morning. Yeah, we didn't close until six. Yeah. Wow, yeah. six o'clock. Yeah. How did you muffle all the screams? Oh well, it was in a brick building. You know, and and, and, and <laughs> in New York, in the in in those days, the, the early nineties and all that, the screams were just coming 
louder from the street than they were from the hellfire. (laughs) (laughs) But isn't it amazing, Rick, what the patrons were asking some of the clientele to do to them? Things that if they had done that to them in the streets, they would have been arrested for. He oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you, oh, absolutely. They should have been arrested even though they got asked to do it. <laughs> <laughs> All behind closed doors. Oh, Curtis, it was insane. It was insane. People would offer their, their wife to me as a tip, you know? You're kidding. They'd offer you their wife as a tip? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Rick. Uh, uh, I'm kind of short today. How much so-and-so gives you, uh, you know, a uh, does you? It's like no, no, Bob. Just catch me next week. That's all right. Yeah. Man, yeah, it was it was it, it, it was a crazy time. I mean, you know that you lived through those days. Of course, uh, I remember it well. I remember it well, Rick. Wow, two tall Jones in Plato's retreat. Can you imagine that? This guy was like six nine, three hundred pounds. He went on to be a fighter. Not he had a glass jaw. If you could even reach his jaw, you know, imagine trying to punch that guy, punch up on that guy, too tall, Jones, from the Dallas Cowboys, and then he's in Plato's retreat. Oh my God! They would be partying to the break of dawn. Now with, uh, hmm. Yeah. I wonder when the sun would come up now that we're uh, in that time where we lost an hour. Spring, we lose an hour. Fall, we gain an hour. Where would we be at the break of dawn? Or would it still be dark out? Yes, it will. Like a whirling dervish to the wee hours of the morning and then at 6 o'clock, actually sometimes, and the after-hours clubs, all illegal, I might add, sometimes till 7 or 8. And then when we'd crash through those doors, the sun was so bright. It was in your eyes, and you realize, Madonna Mai was in the normal club. The legal club. Then I went into the uh, late hours club, the after hours club. That was illegal. And you're just like a whirling dervish. You see, generating energy. Like a generator goes round and round and round. Like a whirling dervish, you actually had more energy at the end of a night of dancing nonstop than you did at the start of the night, believe it or not. As crazy as that sounds. But we are in pursuit of a new name. Orders from headquarters because Frank Morano, the golden calf now here at WABC, the untouchable, he can do no wrong, had a hissy fit and said, no more the uh, weekend version of the other side of midnight. So you've all been gracious enough. We've had over 300 suggestions, and I know more will mount up before we have to make that selection this coming Friday. Let's go to Sharon in Rockland County. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Sharon. 
Hi there. I just wanted to suggest a name uh, because you cover so much ground in the studio and outside of the studio. I thought I would take uh, the last line from a Robert Frost poem, and it would be Miles to Go Before I Sleep with Curtis Sliwa. Wow. And it, it would actually be culturalized since you're, you're choosing a world-renowned poet, Robert Frost. Could you repeat that one more time for our edification and so that our stenographer can uh, properly take it down, Sharon? Sure. Miles to go before I sleep with Curtis Sliwa, and it's from Robert Frost stopping by woods on a snowy evening. Oh, that has such a flow to it, uh, such a meter to it. I'm sure that will definitely be a competitor. Now, where in uh, Rockland County do you live, Sharon? Spring Valley. Ah, okay. You know, soon, in just a few hours, in the Irish Riviera, Pearl River, starting at 1.30 this afternoon, will be the second largest St. Patrick's Day parade in all of New York State, second only to what just transpired up Fifth Avenue this past Thursday. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, well, halfway through it, you better head home because, oh, my God, there will be people all over the street, and you will say to yourself, do they even, can they even see straight? (laughs) I know what you mean. And some of them will be looking for those leprechauns, hoping they'll lead them to the pot of gold. They'll have a shillelagh in one hand, they're kissing the Blarney Stone. Some of them are so blitzed all of a sudden, they realize, she was. I just kissed my best friend that I went to high school with, and he happened to be a guy. <laughs> right? Right? They, they have no idea. They're so blitzed. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> oh, that is wonderful. That is wonderful. I appreciate that, Sharon. We're going to add this to the mix. Once again, creative license in full effect. Let's go to Tom in Bergen Beach. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tom. Good morning, Curtis. Um, you had better days, I know, so have I. Listen, that guy, Greg, he stole my line. You remember two months ago I told you that you should change the name of your show and you thought it was a great idea, and I gave you my name, Midnight Madness, with Curtis Sliwa, theater of mine extraordinaire. That guy stole my line. Well, Greg, what are we going to do to him? Uh, is it a copyright infringement, a trademark infringement? You know, the Red Chinese, they steal intellectual property all the time. So I guess this oh, guy yeah, figures do. he figures he can get away with it with no ramifications. Uh, let's, let's get the room out of cheat chat room. Oh, that's right. Rudy Giuliani. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's, a, that's an excellent idea. How dare he steal your creative license, Tom? <laughs> Roger that. Just like the Red uh, Chinese who are constantly stealing intellectual property, uh, voiding all kinds of copyrights, trademarks, they don't care. They just bogart the rest of the world. Wow, I had no idea that some of our callers are bogarting some of the other callers and stealing their ideas so as to add to the mix and declare it to be their own. Let's go to Rocco, who's calling from Selden. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Rocco. Let's let's try and get you that uh, Marconi Award. 
Frank Morano has 7,720 followers on Twitter. Oh, 19. 7,719. You just lost one. You have 64,700, Curtis Lee, followers on Twitter. All you need to do is have a Twitter barrage, put your picture there, the microphone, let us know when you want us. I listen on the app on my iPad, and I also listen when I'm exercising downstairs on uh, Lexa. So let us know. Give us a barrage with the Twitter, and uh, let us know when when you want us to be on there. I have a, uh, you know, Curtis. You listen. You have passion. You you're very passionate. Remember the individual who mentally ill there when you were running for mayor, which you should have won there, you put your arm around him. Yes, yeah, I know I know so I many of you. them. I love you, Curtis, I love you. Just genuine concern. Genuine concern. You 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 not only would have gotten them off the streets out of the subways, but you would have made sure that uh, they received the treatment and proper care hopefully uh, turn the switch on their lives. Well, you you have you to, know. Rocco, you and everyone else out there, if you can go to uh, guardianangels.org, look at the Facebook page. You'll see that the sun came out uh, on patrol uh, with me at night with the guardian angels. Uh, I'm out there so many nights. So bad of late. Uh, subway crime up 100%. Just in the last week alone, uh, Eric Adams styling and profiling, traveling all over the United States. Hey, pal, you need to deliver on promise number one, public safety. But put that aside. You'll read this article in the sun right on the Guardian Angels Facebook, and you will see what we do on a regular basis. Now, mostly dealing with emotionally disturbed persons, homeless persons. And the story that will make you cry is a woman that we found on that number four train who had just uh, recovered from COVID-19. She had been released at Jacoby Hospital in the North Bronx along Pelham Parkway. She ended up on the number four train going back and forth from New Lots in East New York to Woodlawn, Little Dublin, uh, last stop in the Bronx. And uh, her name, Mary Reeves, you may come across her. Uh, she had graduated Emory College in Atlanta, became a teacher, a professor there, and then eventually earned a law degree. So knowledgeable, so intelligent, so well-spoken, homeless. And while she was on that train, robbed of all her money, robbed of all her personal identification. And the city would not help her because she had no ID. So I brought it down to a shelter that I was familiar with on 33rd Street behind Norman Thomas High School off Park Avenue in Manhattan. And they wouldn't take her because she had no ID. I said, guys, gals, she's 74 years old. She's from Atlanta. Listen to her accent. You got a houser here till we can figure out how to help her. Come on. And because I was there, and then naturally they saw the photographer from The Sun and they saw the reporter uh, they did what they normally probably would not have done. I've got to get her back to Atlanta. I have guardian angels in Atlanta. They're scouring around now showing her photo. You'll see her photo in that sun piece. Just go to guardianangels.org, look at the Facebook page, and uh, it just breaks your heart. And I will never forget her telling me, Curtis, I just want to join my mother and father in heaven with my older sister. I just want to join them. And she was crying. And it so reminded me of my mother, Francesca, because months before she passed into the hereafter, she said exactly the same thing. 
I just wanted I just want to join mom and pop and my older sister Mary in heaven. I don't want to be here any longer, Curtis. And I'd say, Mom, Mom, no, no, it's not your time to go. She said, yes, I'm ready. And within months, she was no longer here. I had that same feeling for Mary Reeves. And there's so many others out there, ladies and gentlemen. They just, you, you can't imagine the stories of some of these emotionally disturbed and these homeless people. Now, they'll talk to me because they're used to seeing me, and I, I've developed a manner that basically comforts them. But everything they're doing now in the city is just not working with them. It's just moving them from place to place. I, I To the mayor's staff, I'd say, look, I'd be more than happy uh, to show you how this can be done. Uh, I can be a consultant. You don't have to pay me. Uh, Why not tap into my 43 years of experience of doing this? I've become friends with so many of them. I know exactly how to convince them to get help. Eh, No calls yet. We'll see. Let's go to uh, Kevin in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Kev. Hey, good morning, uh, Curtis. Um, I had a suggestion for your uh, title of your show, and I also had a question for you. Um, The title is, uh, what about 50,000 watts of Curtis? Ooh, I like that. Uh, Repeat that again. uh, 50,000 watts of Curtis. You know, me, uh, considering the fact that you probably be the only uh, talk show um, host with, with numbers involving in the title, and, of course, 50,000 watts for the powerful sound of the W77 uh, ABC um, uh, system throughout the, um, not just the tri-state, but, you know, I know across the country. And uh, um, I also wanted to ask a question. I know you were just talking about the homeless and the situation in New York. Um, I remember some time ago, New Jersey was suing, I believe Newark was suing um, the city of New York about the homeless. There was moving them over here. Uh, well, uh, supposedly was uh, Roz Baraka, the mayor of was um had a lawsuit, I think. Uh, suing, this was the previous administration, Bill de Blasio. They were suing them because they were bringing the homeless from New York to Newark. I wanted to know where where, where do that stand in? Where is, like, um, is Roz, what's Roz Baraka and Eric Adams' relationship like? Or if you know that. Yeah, um, I I would say it's a normal kind of relationship. But the city of New York will always try to convince homeless people who they are sheltering that they will buy them a one-way ticket out of New York City to any city they want to go to. There happens to be quite a few of the homeless who are in shelters in New York City whose uh, city of origin, where they were birthed and they grew up, is Newark because they would much rather be in a shelter in New York City than Newark. Uh, and uh, the city will pay them. We'll say, hey, uh, we'll give you some money. Go back to Newark. It used to be, you know, where the Lincoln Motel was across the street from the baseball stadium? Yeah, the old Newark base, uh, baseball stadium next to the train. Um, I know you, you're very knowledgeable in Newark, so I, I, I definitely know you know South Orange Ave. And oh. you, be, you you be naming the spots, Curtis. I, I know you know the spot. Let me tell you, South Orange Ave, we were in our Guardian Angel van, we were dealing with a situation in which uh, shots, they were shooting right across South Orange Avenue at one another, two separate gangs. They shot up our van. Luckily, they didn't hit us. 
and we ended up driving it to Ramsey Subaru. It conked out in the parking lot, uh, and I said to them, is there anything they could do for the man? And they looked at me, and they said, yeah, Curtis, uh, we could bring it to the junkyard. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to leave off with this. Um, by any chance, uh, you know what, what intersection that was, South Orange Avenue, Curtis? You uh, you remember? It's a, a, few blocks, I mean, it's a, lot. a few blocks from the hospital. Okay, because they, it's a... Um, it's a well-known area called the uh, Four Corners of Hell. It's like the um, the number blocks of um, I think what's that South Ninth Street, South Ninth or South Tenth. Somebody just recently got killed over there. That's why I just uh, you know you 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 know what goes on in South Orange Avenue. But um, I appreciate your uh, you know your conversation, Curtis. And like I said, I don't know what the title going to be, but fifty thousand watts of Curtis. I like that. I like that, Kevin from Newark. South Orange Avenue, I spent a lot of time. Boy, that is, that is a rough area. And then there's Irvington right next door. And then East Orange, those beautiful Victorian homes. Boy, it fell on hard times. Really fell. Boy, people, they, what was that? The Hindenburg uh, movie theater in Irvington. It used to be predominantly German, I believe. And then all of the uh, African-American elite would live in those Victorian homes there in East Orange, professors, lawyers, doctors. And then it all hit hard times. Newark itself. After the riots. Oh, there's so much about Newark that is so endearing. The port, the airport, the rail system. It's like a mini New York City. And then right after you had Anisio was the mayor... A war hero, but a crook went away for mail order fraud, like so many mayors there. Sharpie, sharp James. Now wants to come back, run for mayor. Believe that. He wants to be a mayor again in Newark after doing federal time. Before him, Josh Gibson. No, 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 not uh, the Negro baseball star. Not that Josh Gibson. Uh, it's Gibson. He didn't get indicted as mayor of Newark. I think he got indicted uh, when he was doing... Uh, Board of Education contracts. He was an engineer by trade. Ah, so many of them. I love Newark. Could have done so many things in Newark. So many things. It had the whole package at one time. More Cadillac dealerships per person, per square mile in Newark than even in Detroit right off the assembly line. Now, you'd be lucky if you can buy a used Cadillac anywhere. Anyway, let's go to Mike and Yonkers. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Mike. Good morning, Curtis. Nice to talk to you. Listen, uh, I'd like you to hear your intro to your new show. You ready for it? going to take about 30 seconds, all right? Go ahead. Okay, here, here we go. Okay, everybody, welcome to the Home Nine Yards, the Curtis Lee will show that everything goes and nothing is banned. That the is, whole nine that is real good because that's a term I constantly use, the, the whole that's nine yards. That's it. You talk about everything. You don't hold back, you know. And that, I think that intro music by the doors is perfect. There'll never be another one like you. That is That's so good. You, 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 you're giving me the full package here. You gave the music, the intro, the whole nine yards. Wow. That's got to go. Talk to Captain Matitas, Mr. Captain Matitas. You like that? 
good. Yeah, no, no, no. Look, you very creative, very creative, Mike and Yonkers. Boy, he's not lost in Yonkers, that's for sure. That's really good stuff. Let's go to Lenny all the way down in Fort Lauderdale with so many of the New Yorkers, New Yorkers, uh, folks from Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Connecticut are fleeing to your turn to be heard here at WABC, well, Lenny. That's it, buddy. Happy Sunday. I got a movie and I got a show title for you. The movie is Once Upon a Time in America. Mm. You ever see that? It's about the Jewish mobsters. It's uh, Robert De Niro, James Woods. It's an excellent movie. Yeah, I remember James Woods calling me up when I uh, was doing KABC radio in L.A. from New York City. Ah, James Woods is known for uh, being a little bit of a, a wild man. Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's no control in James Woods, that's for sure. No, no. Didn't he have that actress chasing him around for a while? Sean, uh, Sean, Sean Young, Sean something? Well. Now we've run out of time for trivia as we continue to search for a name of this uh, six-hour extravaganza. In just a few hours, I'll be returning to you, uh, left versus right, with Chris Hahn. We're trying to make it out to the Irish Riviera. It's going to be tough, though, and Pearl River, the second largest St. Patrick's Day parade in all of New York State. And then I come back at 9 o'clock tonight. Go to 12 midnight, then the most requested, most listened to, most called in of the 20 hours of shows I do at WABC. The acronym standing for Always Broadcasting, Curtis. The Animal Welfare Hour featuring my wife, Nancy, the Animal Rescuer. And then I pass off the microphones, his new nickname, to Frankie the Mooch Macaroni Morano. WABC Radio is proud to celebrate 100 years from October 1st, 1921 to music radio to talk radio's crown.